Hi, my name is Red Cachet and today I am going to be talking about secrets again, but this time I wanted to talk about if you've got a secret and the need to get that secret off your chest. Now, some secrets are don't mean anything to you, so it doesn't matter, you forget about them and if somebody points it out that you probably know something about them or something, you don't really automatically remember unless they jog your memory about who told you quite often that's happened to me when I've known something about someone and they've pulled me up about it and because it didn't mean anything to me I didn't remember it which meant they got quite annoyed but c'est la vie about that but this type of secret is there's two kinds of secrets one obviously the secret of abuse now you don't really want to talk about that anyway and I don't want to talk about it but it's still secret and it still produces shame and yeah I've blogged it and I'm saying it so that's me getting off my chest so this time round if people want to rub it in my face or basically try and call me out so I have to talk about something I don't want to talk about I'll tell them to listen to the podcast and the second kind of secret, which is not, it's a bit of a strange one. It's a secret because it's something that not many people know about. Or people have taken over something and they're lying, so they don't admit the truth. So therefore, it's still a secret. Not because I've made it a secret particularly. The secret is simply that I've made tons and tons and tons of films, TV shows, shorts, cartoons, all sorts, you name it, I've done it. Tons over the years. And I also work in a call centre, occasionally. But when I do work in the call centres, I work for some years, then I stop, go and make some films, do whatever, come back. I'm really really proud of myself for doing that and for doing the films that is and seeing movies on tv or in the theater and knowing that you made it or you were in it but no one else knows obviously it's that little thing inside you that makes you think you know what well done that's brilliant that's fab but you can't really talk about it with anyone because nobody knows and I didn't really think that mattered, but it kind of matters a lot now. Because that's something that I'm proud of, which happens to be a secret, because obviously I've just told you so everyone knows now, but it happens to be a secret because nobody knows. It starts turning to shame, because part of you can only see yourself as somebody who just works in a job and, and just and doesn't do anything. It's like it's, it never happened, but it did happen. If you've done something amazing, you've done that many films, you're that prolific, but you have to put a fake name on things to remain in disguise. I mean, that was the payoff really, that if I let people have, you know, take the credit if you like, or didn't say anything because I had to put a fake name on it, to remain in disguise so that I could carry on making more and more films 
without being sabotaged or minimal sabotage because not many people realised I was the one that was making them, I would basically have a better life. I wanted the experience of that. I'd meet amazing people. I'd go on all these amazing, amazing adventures. But then I'd have to come back and go back to my old life because nobody can see me as anything but how, but then, or worse. If someone takes the credit for your work, basically, trying to say they did it themselves, or somebody changes their name to the fake name that is on the credits, it's really hard to overcome that. What can you say? They do make you feel like scum because they're lying and they don't want to be found out, which makes you feel inadequate. So they get everybody on their side to make you feel like stupid, basically. Well, I'm getting this off my chest now. I am a prolific filmmaker. I'm not going to deny it. And I sacrificed putting my name to the credits because I always had a fake name anyway when I was filming because I was in character and nobody believed my name, my real name, was my real name. And then nobody believed my legal name was my legal name. So it's, you know, it doesn't matter where I am. Somebody saying my name's something different and I just kind of know that that's always going to be like that. Um. So, yeah. I sacrifice that. I'm not going to be sacrificing it anymore, I don't think. No, I don't think I will be doing that. No. And I will get the credit for the rest of my films. And I will carry on making films for longer and longer so that I can have the best time possible. And go back to a better life than this one. And build and build and build until I'm in the place I want to be. But for the moment, it's la vie because it's all happened over again. So I'm here starting again. That's me getting all the secrets off my chest. My name's Red Gachet. Thanks for your time. Bye. Hi, my name's Red Gachet and I'm talking about some more secrets today. And the next secret I want to reveal, which has kind of already been revealed, but kind of not. It's like people have an inkling, but don't really know. So it's basically about body doubles. So in film, what happens is you might have uh, an action hero and in action films, people do kind of have little accidents or, you know, if anything happens to their face, for instance, um, we sometimes give them some time off so that they can, the bruise can go down if, I don't know, they've knocked themselves or they've been in a stage fight which gave them a bruise. But quite a lot of the time, what happens is one person will do one thing and the body double will do another thing or a stuntman will do something. Now we don't, depending on the stunt, a stuntman can just look like anyone and we'll just make them look like the lead character. But quite a lot of the time, what happens is there are body doubles. And that could be like the brother or the sister of the person, depending on whether the lead character is a male or, or female. Um, and what happens is, and it's quite hard to kind of comprehend, comprehend this, 
is that it turns out that they weren't all brothers and sisters or related people. They were, in fact, what we call doppelgangers. Now, a doppelganger is a person who's been invented, like a figment, basically, who's been invented, who looks exactly the same as who they are doppelganging, basically. And doppelganging is a term, it's a German word, which basically means stupid. But that is not why I would say they're called doppelgangers, because in England, doppelganging kind of means like, exactly the same like you've been doppelganged exactly the same you've been stopped you've been stumped is you know you something has happened where you're like uh oh, what uh so that's why it's doppelganger because i don't think all doppelgangers are stupid although quite a number of them have not grasped the concept and it's not necessarily all their fault but because of the time period that's gone by since yeah, I kind of think that doppelgangers should actually know that they should have their own identity so that they can work. So they need a national insurance number in England or whatever the numbers are in whatever country they're in. Basically, so that they can work. They need their own name. They can't go around with the, the name of the person that they look exactly the same as, obviously. Um, they need their own look for a personal identity. So I don't think doppelgangers actually have a sense of identity other than the, the group. So the group of them that look exactly the same all pretend to be the same person, which is really, really dangerous and illegal because you could be going, all right, I'm going to meet my friends down wherever, and two of them are doppelgangers. So you've got all this trust for this person that you've known for years, but... It's not actually the same person that you've known for years. It's the doppelganger who's only been invented two weeks ago. You don't know nothing. So you might be thinking, oh my God, they've lost their memory or they're on drugs. Let me help them. They might be violent. They might be thieves. And in my experience, not so much with the film doppelgangers, I have to say, but with doppelgangers like in normal life, it's incredibly, incredibly insulting that they actually assume that I have to think of them as the person that I've known for years, when actually they just swap all the time and I don't even know who they are. It's, it makes me feel really insecure to even get to know anyone because I don't know... I mean, basically, everyone around me is doppelganging, basically. And none of them will admit it to me. And not that I want them to admit it to me because I already know, so I don't really care. But it's illegal. Think about it in the workplace. In the workplace, you have security IDs for computers and everything. There's a whole GDPR aspect. If they swap, which they do, then the next person would have access to all of that. And that next person might go, well, I don't give a shit about the company. Excuse my language. I'm just going to go and sell that information or I'm going to use that to get whatever I want. All of them can't live in the same house, so there must be groups of them, and then they swap. Think about it in marriage, where somebody's been doppelganged. And then think about it in terms of pension, because only one person will get that pension. <coughs> Excuse me. So you can see how crime is going to be so high if we don't overcome this doppelganging problem. 
worldwide, that is. Now, in film, the doppelgangers will start moaning and bitching about how they haven't been paid for something because they look like the lead character. Some of them are quite famous. And they bitch to me and to anybody that will listen and create a huge problem for me and the networks and the and the studios. Nobody knows who's who. And we need to have identifying data. So if you are a doppelganger, get your own ID. It's easy. Just go to HMRC, the website, which is if you're in England, obviously. And there'll be details of how to get your own identity, national insurance number and everything. So you're different. You don't have the same bank account, obviously. You can't take over somebody's life, which is what they were doing. And I don't think it was so much on the film. It might have been, but I've noticed it. I noticed it more outside of the film industry than inside the film industry because I don't deal with the money side of paying actors individually myself. Now, in film, the doppelganging situation is shocking sometimes because no one really understood what was happening. The idea of what a figment is is shocking in itself, although no one should be embarrassed about being a figment because no one's fault. It just is, and we're dealing with it by comprehending what it is. But one very, very noticeable incident with doppelgangers occurred to me on a Bond film. And it was a Bond film. I'm not sure if it got released, actually. It might not have been released. But it was the darkest Bond film we've ever done. And the reason it was so dark was because we got invaded by the abusers. So it had to be like that. No one could lift their spirits up. It was really hard, really hard work. And Pierce Brosnan was nowhere to be found. And we were, I think we were, was, I think this was in America, actually. And I was thinking, well, where's Pierce Brosnan? We can't make a Bond film without Pierce Brosnan. And magically, which is how figments arrive, Pierce Brosnan arrives and he's shouting at me. How dare you transport me just like that, blah, 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 blah. And I was thinking, what the hell are you talking about? And, th and then there's another Pierce Brosnan going, uh, where are we? Where, what's going on? And another Pierce Brosnan. And this went on and I was just like, I, th what the hell is going on? But I realised, now with figments, when they first arrive, they sometimes, depending on who's invented them, have the personality of the person who's invented them. Now, this doesn't always last because if they're surrounded by intelligent and ethical, legal people, they will aspire to be like that. That will be their norm. If they are surrounded by abusers and criminals and liars and cheats, they won't know to change their personality, which unfortunately is the problem in a lot of areas, especially during the Armageddon, because that's how everybody was. So in terms of changing your personality, yes, actors find this very simple to do because that's what they do. They become a character for the film. But it takes religion, ethics, morals to change your personality into a decent person to be able to survive in the world. If figments and doppelgangers who do not understand this need to understand this is the only way you can survive legally 
Otherwise, you're going to be hiding, you'll be insecure, you'll develop psychological problems because you haven't got an identity, you, you won't fit into society. You won't have a bank account, possibly. You might steal and cheat to get money. You won't have anywhere to live because you've just been invented. You have no history, you have no family, no one cares about you, but unless you're a famous doppelganger. And even then, then you have to lie and say that you're the real person, but you're not. So, yeah, really, really unfair situation for anyone to have been invented to be someone else or to look like someone else so much so that it's confusing, especially if the person is famous. Really confusing for the doppelganger if the person's really, really famous because suddenly everyone likes you and you like that. Obviously, you like that. And just like, oh, don't do this. Please just go and come inside and let's have a talk and, and discuss morality and how to live and and all these things that I'm just like, you know, this really isn't my job. But actually, yeah, it is. If it happens with me, I try my hardest to make sure they know that I give them a lowdown. And it's a quick lowdown. But I give them the lowdown and say, this is what you need to do. This, this, this. And it's basically HMR, HMRC, bank account, inform the police. Make sure that the police know, which they did on that film. And there's another film, they, we had to inform the police as well. I can't remember what it was. It was, it's on Amazon anyway. Um, X, something X? No. Anyway, it's gone. But the point is, is these people were also invented in other countries, but they were English. They couldn't speak the language of the country. So then they have to come to England. And I'm just like, you know, this isn't migration. But the thing is, it's like, I have a not responsibility not to leave these English people in the middle of wherever. But they've just been invented. Like, they don't know anything. They, it's, it's so hard. So this film cycle, I do not want any abusers, any witches, any figment creators, any doppelgangers who haven't got their own identity, anything like that going on. But I just thought I'd tell you, because I don't have a high opinion about doppelgangers who have created their own environment of being someone else or being one person when they're about 20 and swapping and being illegal in work or in the films. Because, it, you know, some of them are really violent. And this, you know, situations at the BBC have been really violent because of doppelgangers and I cannot have that with any actor. Anyway... This is Red Cachet signing off and I hope all the doppelgangers get their own identity, get their own bank accounts, get their own NI numbers, get your history paperwork done that is actually legal because we can tell what the fakes are and it's humiliating to have to say, sorry, you're a fraud. Okay, I've said my piece. Laters. Hi everyone, it's Red Cachet again. And still talking about secrets, although this is not that type of secret. It's a secret because not that many people know about it. And it's also a secret because when it actually happened was like centuries ago. So again, nobody knows. But I think it's quite important because it's one of those secrets which sometimes brings me shame and sometimes it makes me really proud. So it's a kind of like topsy-turvy secret for me because 
I now don't think, oh, I should hide the fact that I've been alive for centuries, even though I haven't actually been alive for centuries. I died and came back, died and came back, died and came back. So not really alive. And plus I was in the living dead as well, but that's another story. Anyway, so this is one of those secrets that can have a huge impact if everybody knows because and obviously some secrets you have to have a certain amount of maturity and responsibility to deal with otherwise it can go very very wrong which is why it brings me great shame sometimes and at other times I'm really proud because people take responsibility everything's running smoothly it's just brilliant so at the moment I'm kind of proud and kind of ashamed. So it's kind of in the middle. Let's get to the secret, you say. Well, basically, a long, 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 long time ago, in one of the castles, which has probably been knocked down by now, they had a big castle knocking down sesh in England a few centuries ago. Anyway, one of the castles, um, I was with some monks and some of the, I think the Admiralty were there, um obviously some courtiers, um, and we were looking at the Old Testament, I think it was, and there is a section in there about wealth. The conversation at the time um, in the palace was about money. Now, most people in the olden days used to just trade, basically, give me some apples and I'll give you some wool, or give me some wheat and I'll do ploughing your field or something like that so money wasn't really in it although the admiralty had gold so coins were made and not many people had coins and the other thing is if you have one gold piece that's worth a lot of money that's that you know that could be like five horses but if you've got to if you want something you have to give back so I used to being a little girl used to get like a coin every now and again and maybe I want an apple. There's no apple tree. I go to the man with the, a few apples and I say, can I have an apple? And I give him a gold coin and they're like, oh no, I can't take it. I can't take it. This is too much. They're going to know. Basically, if you've got money and that you've got no reason to have the money, then, you know, something could happen. So people were kind of scared of money at first. Plus, it didn't have a denomination as such. But, you know, you could say this is worth five horses or to me, that's worth an apple. I just want an apple, I don't care, just give me the apple, I'll give you a gold coin. Occasionally, if the Admiralty were with me, they would make sure that the whoever's giving me the apple would know that that's okay, because I was being kind to the people, I was giving them wealth. But then, there was an argument, that person with the gold coin then couldn't get what they wanted, because nobody would take the gold coin. It was like, no, we'll get arrested for stealing, even though we didn't steal, because, you know... There's only that many gold coins. There wasn't that many, obviously, because it was only the Admiralty. Anyway, so this was going on around the country. Some people had a few gold coins. Some people wouldn't take them because they thought they would get arrested or they'd get robbed or, or something. So in the Old Testament, there's a passage about everything, obviously. Um, there's quite a few passages in the Old Testament about everything. But this particular section about everything is about um, wealth. And it's about how you can have everything. But in order to have everything, you must take great responsibility. Now, I have that responsibility and I have practically everything in business, that is. And I give 
I was I take responsibility by giving to the World Fund or charities, but also if my companies are in different countries, whatever the profit is for that country of that business would go to the government of that country to keep political and economic stability. God has made me do that. He said, you must share. And I, I was hesitant, I have to say, because I wasn't getting anything. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, you know what? Wait until I get something before I do that. But no, it was quite insistent. So I had to get the Pope involved and the Pope started the World Fund and therefore funds were released to that enable to provide relief to governments who were overwhelmed by the amount of figments that were popped up all over the place during the Armageddon. Anyway, so why it brings me great shame is that the conversation at the time when we were reading the book was the female way of reading this Latin is quite lovely. The male reading of it in Latin, because there's male and female ways of speaking and male female ways of reading as well. So the understanding is different for a man and a woman, I think. And plus I was a child, so there's also a child's reading of this. Um, the, I think he was in the Admiralty, I'm not sure. They, two of them, got really excited and greedy and they were like, yeah, we can have everything, we'll be like the dons of the seas and, and this, that and the other. And we were just like, what are you talking about? You just, it says right there, you've got to take responsibility, you're not supposed to be a don of the sea. You are supposed to be responsible and that means making sure that everybody has something, you know, like share it around kind of thing. We didn't take any notice of them because they weren't actually senior. They were just curious and, and you know, part of the court. And plus, the religious people, the monks and everything, were also aware, that I wasn't aware, that this was something that everybody would be thinking. So, obviously, that brings me a little bit of shame because the amount of greedy, selfish, blah, blah, blahs in the world is so humongous that I actually have to prosecute practically everybody, which I will, to get money to be able to sort everything out. That's number one. That is my just the biggest shame, that I cannot get anyone so far to believe that I own all of these companies and I have actually managed to get them to believe that I own the companies, but, and make sure that I have an income so that I can support the palace and also share the money out within the country and within the empire and then in with the world as well. Myself, not completely by myself. Obviously, I need accountants and chartered accountants, but this responsibility is so huge. It has to be, you know, everyone has to be, everyone involved at those senior positions has to actually start realising that me in a tiny little squat bedroom here in London ain't exactly everything, you know what I mean? So someone who's taking responsibility gets shoved to the bottom. Yeah, I think them admiralty guys kind of like knew something I didn't. Anyway, that's the shame part of it. The good part of it is that actually the World Fund exists. The Pope succeeded. So that is the fantastic emo thing, because, my God, it took forever to get that sorted out. And, oh, my God, when we took the Pope to the Lloyds, there was a whole kerfuffle, because Lloyds didn't want to give the Pope any money. How selfish is that? Ain't even their money, it's my money. Libs. And I'm suing them as well. Anyway, the other good thing about it is that the charity's got money. During the Armageddon, my God, the charities were just devastated. 
devastated. So that's the other good thing about it. And the other good thing about it is, is that when I am recognised, I can sort the palace out as well and get rid of anybody who is a agitator or can't believe a commoner like me. I'm so not common though, am I? I'm like born before the calendar. Hmm. Yeah, I think they need to rethink that. In fact, I think all of them need to rethink that and all the businesses need to start thinking about how they owe me my fucking money. Excuse my language. Anyway, you can see how messed up I am about it. But the fact is, it's a secret that can actually help the whole world if it's out there. Now, it's out there. I've put it out there. Let's see if these big businesses, these big, big governments, all the religious factions can sort it out to actually admit that I exist. This is Red Gachet existing. Goodbye. Hi, my name is Red Gachet and I'm carrying on the secret theme. And this, well, today's secret is basically a secret which isn't really a secret to quite a lot of people, but to the whole world, pretty much a secret. And plus, I don't think that many people are going to believe this one, but it's true. So I will explain. It's to do with the filmmaking, but more story making. So films and novels, not traditionally, but by my people and me are made in pretty much the same way so it's kind of like a um how can i say it? it's like a set set up continuous improvisation if that makes sense so it's basically um if for those of you who are familiar with shakespeare somebody would say okay this is the scene act okay now we're going to add another character in this is what they're going to say react and so on and so forth. So there's a director telling them what's going to happen step by step, but they're kind of fluid in it. So that's what happens in the novels and also in, in film. Um, and that's what makes it really fun because everyone loves playing the part and, and it's really good fun. So ages ago, we decided to do a film or a play or a novel didn't know which it was going to be and it was set in period so as in like you know King Henry, Anne Boleyn, the Tudors all of that so we played we play acted scenarios that would go on and sometimes they lasted for a few months and sometimes like only for a couple of weeks and then came back to our ordinary lives and whatnot, or started another film. Now, the secret is that in history, because one of the blonde randomies thought it would be brilliant to write all this down as a history rather than a novel, a really stupid idea, but um, kind of said yes. And the only reason I said yes was because I thought the history of it was going to be like, oh, we, this is what we do in a history, you know what I mean? Not that actually there's been loads of other kings and queens, because obviously that's a load of rubbish, if you know us. If you don't know us, obviously you can't go back in time and check. But I can tell you, being there, 
and there's a lot of other people that was being there as well, that they weren't actually kings and queens, they were in fact just people that they figmented up or that were acting. When I say figmented up, sometimes what happens is you say, like, let's do a film or a novel or a play, and we have these ideas about what it's going to be about and the type of people that we want, um, and then suddenly they just appear. And sometimes I just think everything's been set up for me brilliantly. And that's and I don't even think that they've just been conjured. And sometimes I kind of know and I'm like, what am I going to do about this? I can only do the film or and hope they disappear afterwards. I, I, not much I can do, basically. But the thing is, once they're there, it's like they they are like they know that they're supposed to be doing whatever we thought they were going to be doing. So bit of an odd situation which doesn't happen to ordinary films I'm hoping um but this is what happens to me all the time um and with those the Tudors and all of that that didn't really affect history in terms of anything that actually happened particularly I shouldn't say that actually some things might have affected history like the whole Norman thing, they, the whole Norman thing that was back in the day, obviously. Um, and that was another reason altogether. But quite a lot of them were figments as well. And that wasn't very nice because the people that were invented were in fact the French, which was, it's like having the coast invaded wasn't really, you know, that good. And the same thing with lots of other films and lots of other things that have happened. Even if you're not anywhere near that person, suddenly it happens. I don't know how that happens. Whether they're spying on us and overhear what we're saying and then think, oh, we'll help by inventing everybody. Or what? I don't know. And sometimes I just forget that that's what they do. So, yeah, maybe I should just go for scripts. But I don't think it matters because even when I've gone for a script in Hollywood, it's... It's been the same thing. Nobody knows. And plus, when this thing happens, when people are conjured like that, everyone starts getting really spaced and really like, oh, let's get to know so-and-so. And and then they lose focus on the film and they get to know everybody. But they're in character. So that becomes the film. So, yeah, it's a bit odd. Anyway, so the secret I was wanting to tell everybody was that there has only been one queen in England, that being me, and all the other kings and queens were in fact fake. I think there may have been, like back in the day, what used to happen was that people, information didn't get to people very quickly. So communication wasn't very quick. I mean, you could have used a pigeon, I guess, um, or a hawk. But on the whole, that would have been a one-on-one communication and that one person would have had to then communicate to the village or to whoever. But still, England was spaced out a lot more than it is now. The communication was obviously pigeons or word of mouth. Or declaration, which is another good one. Declarations were really good. Pin them against a tree like in um, all the old movies. I used to like declarations. Everyone suddenly knew everything. But the thing is, they pretended to be kings and queens sometimes when I wasn't around and didn't know what they were doing and they would just basically pretend that they were in charge of everything which was really confusing for the English they really didn't like it um 
and we had to send the army everywhere. Um, yeah, so really, it was really annoying, all these fake people. But the actual play acting of it was really fun, if that makes sense. It's a bit kind of like, I'm not on the side of making lies history at all. But some of it was really good fun and some of it was really bad but yeah all of that history about the the kings and queens is is not true at all and I don't quite know how to tell everybody that because that means you have to rewrite history and there's been quite a lot of history about that so it's like I have to remember the stories of what actually happened and I'm thinking you know what people don't get something they kind of make a plausible explanation and there's so many plausible explanations for absolutely everything I'm just like well I'll just shut up and now I'm going to tell the truth because how was I supposed to explain actually they're not real? Hmm? How do you explain that? Especially when you're a kid and you know what one of them are going to do to you if you say anything. So, and this always happened when I was at school anyway, and I was like, oh, what? I can't believe this. And then you start learning about somebody who's fake that you had to, you know, that happened last summer, but they're saying it happened 200 years ago. No. Basically, a lot of that history didn't actually happen in the time period that they say it happened. And that's my secret. Thank you very much. My name is Red Gachet, signing out. Bye. Hi, my name is Red Gachet and I'm continuing the secrets theme with a little bit of The Living Dead. Now, The Living Dead is a really big story. So um, I can only tell you like little bits of it because I don't remember all of it. But basically what The Living Dead is, is starts off really stupidly. Everyone gathers around Parliament Hill and everyone knows this, like something's going to happen. And you kind of got to get there before something bad happens to stop it happening. Anyway, so we all get there. And um, it was like, okay, so what does everyone want to do? Like, and we're like, films, films, want to do film about this, want to do film about that. Some people want to do theatre, some people want to do books. Some people want to do small businesses and all different things. But quite a lot of people don't say much. It's just like a few loud mouths like me, Keanu, Catherine maybe even. A few other people. Anyway, so we're all there and Blonde Vladimir, one of the Blonde Vladimirs who needed a haircut, to be honest, just shouted out, the living dead! And we all just looked at him and thought, what would you say that for? I mean, who would say that? Who would say that? We all just stood there like idiots. Just some people laughed around the other side who didn't know who he was. But people who knew who he was knew that actually that was kind of dangerous. Anyway, the power was there. So we all just thought, well, we didn't actually know the power was there. But obviously, I kind of knew. And a few other people kind of knew as well, but didn't know what was going to happen. As far as we were concerned, we were alive and we just thought, oh, no, what has he done? Let's just not bother going back anywhere. So we didn't go back. But what happens in The Living Dead is... That inevitably, with the abuse going on, people die. Now, anyone that was there, or in proximity, or that believed, I don't know how quite know how it happened. 
in terms of not everybody was in the living dead, but just a few of us were in the living dead. Basically, what happens is, is that we all separately, possibly, died, and then we come back. Now, there's two, there's different ways you can survive in the living dead. And that is that you can be manifest, as in like normal, you're human, you can touch things, people can touch you, you're physical, but you don't have blood running for your, your heart isn't pumping, basically. So you're actually dead, as far as the doctor's concerned, but you don't know it, and you don't bleed either. There's that, which is fine if nobody, you know, breaks your bones or cuts you or anything like that. Um, or there's another way you can be in the living dead, and that is if you are not quite of this world. So that means that you're not, sometimes you're physical and sometimes you're not physical, if that makes sense, like almost like a ghost, but people can see you. Normal people who can't normally see ghosts can see you. And that is preferable sometimes because if somebody came at you with an axe or something or a sword or whatever, it would just go straight through you. So, yeah, I preferred that one, really. Another way you can be in the living dead is if they turn you into something or you turn yourself into something by accident um, and you can't die, so people stab you, but you heal. But you're not actually alive because you haven't got a heartbeat, if that makes sense. And that's good because you don't actually die as far as you're concerned, but you're not actually alive either. So, the worst one, the worst one to be is, and I've only been in this one once, thank God, um, is when you are, when you die, and you're actually, your body is actually like, you know, you perceive your body is dead. I guess that's probably what happened. Anyway, so I was dead. And I knew I didn't have a heartbeat. I wasn't that worried because I've been in it before and I was just like, um, if I start eating or start drinking something, then it should kick start. Or maybe I do loads of exercise and, and I start getting my heart heart rate up, assuming that that works. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, it didn't. I didn't worry about it. I just thought, okay, I'm not ready yet. I just have to just continue as I am, which I did. And I was doing films. But uh, I was in a car crash, so my bones were broken. And there was three of us, I remember there was three of us that had this problem. And what we ended up doing is, um, have you seen that film? With, who's in it? Oh my God. Goldie Horn's in it. And um, Bruce Willis is in it. And, oh, I can't remember who. There's famous people. Glenn Close is in it, I think it's, is it Glenn Close? Anyway, um, basically what happens is they die and... Um, they just like keep beating each other up and Goldie Horn gets a shot in the stomach and she has to cover it all up and stuff. Basically, that's what happened to me. My I was in a car crash, my bones are broken. I have to literally just pull my leg back into place. The bones won't heal. So every now and again, when I forget or I run, I'm like, conk. It's like, it's really hard. Then I died again and I was in an autopsy. Can you believe? So when I woke up, I had stitches, like an autopsy. So that was really embarrassing. I had to wear pony necks. And I don't like waking up in the mall. But sometimes it happens. And usually I'm perfectly healed. But this time, no. I was like 
stitched up and all of that. Then my arm gets hacked off and I had to stitch that up myself. Can you believe? I had to go to a morgue, morgue-tician, what do you call them? Morgue-ticians? Oh, a technician in a morgue to get me sorted out. And they use spray paint, so I thought I better carry on with the spray paint because otherwise everyone's going to see all the cuts and scrapes. And I knew that my body was deteriorating. And I was just like, well, you know, how long does this take? I think it takes quite a long time for your for a body to actually deteriorate. But I was like spray painted up. I was sellotaped and gaffer taped up all sorts. And and that was just terrible. So, yeah, no, not that much fun, really. And I actually think that I had to die again completely to then come back manifest. And that sometimes takes years. It could take a couple of weeks or a couple of days. It depends. I can't guarantee the time, but I always come back. And what was the film that this happened on? It wasn't a film. It was another Amazon thing. Um, American Gods. That Part of it was in American Gods. And that's happened. Oh, my God. It was awful. So, yeah, that's another secret that no one believes. And I don't blame them, to be honest. But there you go. Been through all sorts. Anyway, that's Red Gachet. That's me. And I'm alive. And I do have a heartbeat. And I do bleed. So I don't want to get beaten up. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Hi, my name is Red Gachet and continuing with the secrets theme, um, I wanted to tell you about a secret which has got out a little bit, but not completely and yeah, it's really hard to comprehend. Even thinking about it is making me confused, but it's actually quite simple. The thing is, is you don't know how many times it's happened and it's happened loads and loads of times. So it is in fact about time and the secret is that every now and again when we get together I say get together there comes a time when people go oh you remember this that was brilliant la 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 or I wish I'd been in that time it would have been really cool to to find out what it was like playing Robin Hood or or going on a coach and horses type thing and it's like brilliant yeah let's do a film and what happens is sometimes Somebody, one of the blonde badmines, of course, under advisement of lots of people going, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. I don't think they really knew what they were saying. Would basically change the time. So it's the date. In some cases, everything would go back to the 1980s. And and I mean literally go back to the 1980s. Which means that anything, say it's from this time, anything from 2020 would not exist. So that means, and it doesn't happen to everything, it only happens to things that it's really annoying if you don't have, so you can't remember that it's actually not 1980. And I remember this happened to me one time because it was, wasn't 1980, it was about like nearly, it was nearly 2012 because it was nearly the Olympics and I hadn't even trained to be an Olympian. So this is before I even trained to be an Olympian, okay? The, a, a, a repeat before I trained and I was thinking oh yeah 2012 nearly 2012 uh it's gonna be olympic soon and I haven't done anything with my life I've never done anything obviously I couldn't remember anything and suddenly I was walking past Ackland Burley 
which is a secondary school in Tuffnell Park, which I don't even go to. I never went to that school. Um, I think I went there when I was a sixth former before I dropped out. But I was wearing my 80s jean jacket. Now, I love this jean jacket. It was so cool. But obviously, in 2020, not so cool. So I'm thinking, how would I still have this jacket? Because I had this jacket, like, just out of school kind of thing, or just in school. And I was like, no, this there's something a bit wrong here. And then I started seeing my old school friends walking around just doing their thing as if they'd come from school or they were just going to the shops or whatever. I never see my school friends. So I was like, mm, yeah, something's changed. And then lo and behold, there's Blonde Vandermeer. So I think, oh, I better ask what's going on. He's like, yep, how do you do all in a really good mood? Doesn't mention anything because I don't actually know if it's the same one or why I'm in a different time. But everyone's doing their thing. A few people are looking very confused, though. But those people are people I don't know. So I'm looking at the cars now, thinking, hmm, these don't quite fit the 80s thing. But, yeah, still a Beetle. Or, yeah, that's still a make I recognise. So there were little things that meant it couldn't have been 1980s. But in terms of our clothes, the people I was with... And I was thinking, where did I live? I would have to go back to my home at that point in the 1980s, not in 2020 or wherever it was, 2012, whatever the date was when it happened. Point being is that life throws left hooks at you. And that is one of them. Throwing, being thrown back in time. And I think that's happened to all of us. And not really having memory of, of all that space in between. But occasionally... You do remember. And the reason you don't have that much memory of what's happened in between is partly because it's really hard to get back into what you were doing. Like, obviously, you need to find out where you live. If you've got parents, you've got to remember who they are. You know, um, if you've got friends, you've got to remember who they are. You've got to think, oh, I haven't got any money. How am I going to... I need somewhere to live. I need something to eat. Maybe you've got a job. Then you have to go to your job. Is the job still in the 1980s or did they miss that bit out? I don't know. So... Yeah, it was really hard. And then when you're gradually scraping through, trying to catch up, you know, to yourself, then you start thinking, I've done this before. Yeah, what happened? And I'm feeling like that today. I've done this before. And something really awful happened today. And um, and that's what triggered this secret coming off. And I was just like, I don't know why... I'm doing the same thing over again other than it's one of the ideas that I have to get myself moving forward, move on with my life, try something different. But the thing is, I've been here before and I don't want anything to repeat, obviously, because I got slagged off three times now, three times for years. So I have like seven years of being slagged off three times, 7, 14, 21, 21 years of being slagged off. That's not including the Armageddon. So, yeah don't want to go through this again so can the police or the cia or the fbi or whatever arrest them people that keep changing the time this has happened in victorian times this has happened you see before then everything was pretty much the same it never really changed much the trees were the trees the houses never changed no one you know what i mean people and then when more figments arrived obviously they needed more houses more houses arrived then obviously then then there was bricks and things so yeah, things changed more and more and more the more repeats we went through. 
it was not natural progression. It was because of these repeats and the added figments. But we're all here now. We're all in 2020 right now. If we suddenly go back in time to, I don't know, 1980 or whatever, please, can someone report this to the police and give them this as proof. Today is the, where's the day today? Today is Friday, the 5th of June, 2020. Show this to the police if we suddenly turn into a different time. Now, there's plenty of evidence already around that the time has been switched up and we've repeated several times. Um, as I said before, I, we, I appeared in a timeline of 30, 64 and then thought that can't be right. And made everyone think, you know, made sure everyone knew about that. And then obviously we went back in time again. And I don't know how that happened. But anyway, so there's loads and loads of time issues which have been confusing everybody. It will confuse all the metrics of all the businesses. It will confuse all the evidences of the police. It will confuse all the premises courts may have come up with in that time. Um, not necessarily. They'll have other ones. And obviously they repeat the same crimes. So... Maybe the police are getting really good at it. I'm hoping so, because I really don't want to go back in time and go through this shit again. Excuse my language. Anyway, that is my secret, which isn't a secret now, because now you all know papers were the evidence as well. Photographs of papers with the wrong dates. ID, NI numbers given out. There should be people who are grown-ups who would be about 12 because of the repeat, according to their ID, of course. Anyway, so that's my secret. This is Red Cachet signing out. See you later. Bye. Hi, everyone. It's Red Cachet and continuing with the secrets theme. And some of you know this, some of you don't. So it's still kind of a secret, I think. Bearing in mind, I'm still here. So obviously it must be a secret. Um, and the secret is this. A lot of people think or thought that I lied or I used magic or something like that to build um, a business empire or to invent things, which there is two ways you could use the word invent. One, obviously, an invention, so you're making something, or invent could be a lie um, and also Invent could also mean using the magic to just invent something to just suddenly magically appear. Um, in this case, we are talking about the confusion that some people have um, because they just didn't know that I invent things, as in I'm an inventor sometimes. And they thought I just invented things with magic, as in just made them appear, which is not true. So... I wanted to explain a few inventions that I have done and how that was done without magic. And the answer to that is quite simple. It is done through trial and error. That is how inventions are made. You have the intention of, sometimes you don't even have an intention, you just think, oh, what happens if you do that? Oh, look, a toaster. Oh, do you know what I mean? So most of it is actually to do with education you have to know how things work or you have to be inquisitive enough to find out want to find out why this happens if you do that in a safe way obviously 
because when you're inventing, things can get dangerous. So you've got to be able to know how to be safe. Um, when I was little and I used to invent, I used to do it, at, I think it was Glaxo, Glaxo or no, ICI, it was at ICI. Um, and then we invented, what did we invent? Colour paint, that was it. We invented colour paint um, with oil. So, yeah, that was all in a safe environment with proper scientists and you had to wear the glasses and everything. I didn't get, I don't think I had a white coat, I think I had apron. But, um, yeah, so all these things were done in safe environment. Except for, obviously, sometimes I did things in a garage. But the way I did things was, when I was little, I just knew, obviously, if you add oil to butter, margarine was one of my inventions, um then it makes margarine. Now, because of the oil industry and finding oil and all of that, um, I was big on oil. So when it came to paint and ICI asked me for something, I thought, I know, oil, just add oil to it. So that's what they did. And then obviously I like colour pencils, so I wondered, what about if you add colour to this, see what happens. And then obviously, nice shiny paint came. So there's lots of different reasons why I would think in a certain way and I have had a most I mean an extensive education and I'm still bang on education I would recommend it to anyone and there's so many different types of education out there I mean obviously there's the normal school college degrees master degrees PhDs and whatnot but there's also loads of vocational courses that you can do which are really helpful because they're quite you know like uh specific so if you really wanted to know something about something specific rather than doing a degree if you haven't got three years you might want to spend two weeks or ten weeks doing a specific online course for instance or one that you can sign up to do through city lit or something um anyway so back to inventing um some of the things that i've invented have been so hard to do um, and some of them are really simple. Um, the simple ones are like the best in some senses, but the harder ones, they require degrees. And I have lots of degrees. I haven't written them on my CV because I can't actually remember the universities. Some of them are in America and some of them are over here. I can't even remember the names of the courses. I just know that obviously one of them's like, well, more than one, I think, is engineering. I've got um, there's electronics and I can't even remember if that's a separate degree or if that was combined in engineering you see so I can't actually put them on my CV because it was that long ago anyway the good thing about that was um that and also I, I learned things from people that I used to speak to or hang out with and we always have a mixture of different people with lots of different skills on all the different films and things that we do um because it's really handy to have someone that suddenly knows how to be a mechanic or fix something electronic or build a prop that does something um so it's really handy to have those kinds of people around and I was speaking to in fact it was first in England where there was a fire there was like basically um some I have to say it's my some of my school friends were setting fire to the roofs of these thatched houses back in the day um and uh with cigarette butts so the fire grade brigade came and um, they told me, obviously, they were trying to put the fire up. 
but they told me it'd be so much easier if there was a blooming lump of water on, big bowl of water on top of the roof already. So this is an idea that a fireman had told me and I didn't, I just thought, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, unfortunately there isn't, move on. So we've moved on. There's, and that was a big fire, so that was completely illegal. Anyway, um, in America, in not Las Vegas, what's that place called? San Diego, is it? Where they have all the earthquakes? San Francisco. San Francisco. And they've got these massive skyscraper things. And there's a big problem there because obviously there's if there's a fire and there was loads of fires, and the evacuating the people is one thing, but also the electronic problem electricity fire is like 200 times worse than normal fire normal fire doesn't spread that fast unless it's got like an accelerant and electricity will work as an accelerant in one sense because it will just go straight down um or if it's there's something particularly flammable flammable that it will just go and eat up um so the thing was he said, like, you know, another fireman told me this. It's brilliant if we just had, like, a switch we can just go boom instead of having to go around and go switch, 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 off, 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 off to everything. Do you know what I mean? So we hooked up this building, one building. It was a sort of dark black marbly kind of building. It was massive, skyscraper. Um, or maybe not quite the heights of a skyscraper in American terms, but we, in England, we would say that was a skyscraper. <laughs> Tall building, basically. Um, and you have to, we had to basically make it into a one-stop switch, which basically means we hooked up all the electricity to one switch so that if, the, in the event of a fire, and there'd been about three fires there already, so the insurance company were charging them a fortune for this. Um, so we did it. We thought we'd do it just because, you know, everyone's lives were in danger and it was just taking the piss, basically, all these saboteurs making sure that everything was on fire and there was chaos and everyone was all over the place grieving and, and whatnot because they actually like that. I mean, I'm not lying. They really, they thrive on that kind of chaos and it's really sickening. So we thought, let's do something about it. So in the end, they had to work and they were just like, no, you've got to do it. So I had to do it. And I basically hooked up all the electricity points to one point so that in the event of a fire, a fireman can just go, swipping switch, the electricity goes off, which means the fire can't spread like manic. And the fire is, in its essence, isolated in one sense and ten times more easier to put out because, obviously, you can just go 15th floor, so-and-so, lounge area or whatever and put the fire out. The insurance would then go down because that would save lives. The amount of times, and this was a different area when we were doing firefighting, there was investigators used to say, come and help us figure this out because we don't know what's going on there was just too many fires going on and there was a particularly bad accelerant going that was killing every all the firemen and um they didn't know what it was or how it suddenly got there but when the firemen went in they assessed the situation they thought they could get in and out without dying basically but this accelerant just used to come like randomly and just wipe all of them out and it was just, I mean, it's horrible because you know what fire does to people. It kind of melts you or melts the clothes on you. It's disgusting. Um, and it's horrible knowing that you've just, you know, you might have sent people in just going, get that little boy out or whatever. And no one comes out and you're like, oh my God. what? Then you've got 
it's like okay you can't you can't grieve because you're still in an emergency situation you have to carry on next person or you have to say actually we call it in a day no one can get in or out that that's it that's that um so i didn't know what the accelerant was i don't know if they found it out whether it was gasoline or something else or a like a you know set up so they'd set a fire up and the fire would eventually get to the fire bombs and I'm thinking the accelerant was like zzz, it was like a zzz thing it was like how can I say you could see it on the floor it was zzz, something like and it wasn't gasoline it was more than that I don't know I would say something like it's like a liquid C C four, I would say almost, but it's not. I can't remember what it was. Anyway, it was vile. This stuff was heat. My God. Um. Anyway, so we decided to put in the one stop, and that stopped, but the accelerant didn't. So, I have. I hope they caught the people. Obviously, we know who the arsonists were because they they were like the same ones as in England. Um, but obviously doppelgangers. Um, and I hope they I hope they got their comeuppance because man, people that died in all those fires in America and all those fires over here as well. I mean, it's disgusting, disgusting. But anyway, so the invention of the one-stop switch, which was in fact another and also another electrician thought of that idea as well and said, "You got to do it. This is brilliant. This will save lives, and it has saved lives, saved loads of lives." But we couldn't get anyone to um to endorse it. And we had to do it for free. Because no one... I mean, I didn't have any money to pay anyone to do it. And they paid so much in insurance, they couldn't do anything. And they were devastated because they were all grieving and whatnot because people had died in their fires already. Um, So what we did was um, we went to the chief of... Well, I went to the fire chief. I think this might have been in Seattle. I'm not sure. Um, One of the fire chiefs anyway. Or LA. And um said, look, if you can get all the fire chiefs to endorse this, then the then go to the insurance company um, and say, look, this saves lives. We've got proof here now. We've got numbers. Um, then um, you can get the companies to then think, oh, this is a good investment because the insurers will then say, yeah, if this saves lives and it will save them on insurance money because less damage will be done, then you can have a reduction in insurance. Therefore, it's going to be you know, like a, um, we've sold it to the businesses to invest in this one switch, or one stop switch. And if you put if you put your heads together with the fire chiefs, you can lobby the government to make sure that it's law on all new buildings. Um, then that would be fantastic. This was in America. Then we came to England, back to England, and did the same thing. We had the stats from America. They went over to America to check it out, and then they came back, and they. Um, got government to put it in as a law that all new buildings should have the one switch so that this saves lives obviously and I'm pretty sure they did something with the insurers as well so that people you might have seen it I saw it on Selfridges there's a thing on there with their you know in, in Oxford Street they've got like all the doors have got glass um, and they had one stop switch on sticker on their building which was brilliant I love seeing that because it means you know not that I thought there was ever going to be a fire or anything like that. It's just, it just, just made me think. You know what? This company is fantastic because they're saving lives. All I have to do is see that sticker, and I know they're saving lives. So, yeah. Anyway, so that is my secret. That is 
that you actually do need an education and things people say to you, yeah, you might not think about doing anything about it for years and then suddenly it will come to you that actually now you have the skill to do something. Go and do it. Go and be an inventor. And if not, wait until you've thought of another idea. But anyway, you need an education, you need a good heart and you need persistence and things get done. Thank you for listening. My name is Ricochet. Bye. Hi everyone, this is Red Cachet and continuing with the secrets theme and also with the inventions theme, um, another secret which some people know, some people don't, um, I don't think it's particularly well known so um, for most of the world it will still be a bit of a secret but the concept is very well known um, but what has been made from this is still not everyone knows. And partly that's because when you do things for business or when you make an invention, you don't really want everybody knowing how you did it because obviously they might take that idea and, and beat you in the market, creating competition, which competition is not bad, but when you just started, you don't really want to give someone your idea, <laughs> obviously. Anyway, so the secret is, and this is a really good one, um, for lots of people they might think oh how am I ever going to get an idea um I never have any ideas everyone's done everything because there's so many products on the market what what could possibly anyone think of next apart from making the same thing in a different color perhaps you know um and yes that is kind of true but the thing about invention is is that you just don't know whether something's going to be of use or value um, until you think about how can I create value with this item. And it might be you can't create any value until something else has been invented. So in 10 years' time, what you thought of might be really valuable because there's something else that's a companion to it that you think, brilliant, let's do that. In the beginning of TV... Let's say, for instance, they had big boxes with a screen. Later, it became flat screen. But before that, somebody thought, I know, I don't want to see this big box. I'm going to put it in a cabinet. And all those lounge cabinets selling like crazy in Argos, everyone had them. Um, And hi-fis, hi-fi systems. Everyone wanted them stacks, like Technics and whatnot. The companion to that, obviously was the really nice glass cabinet with the opening up at the top for the vinyl. This, they're quite 70s actually, but they they are really nice. Compl- they really are nice. And I still like stacks because they have a brilliant sound quality. Anyway, the secret was this. If you wanted to be an inventor and you had no idea what to invent, and even if you don't actually have the skills yet, what you need to do is you need to actually just say, okay, right, don't know what I'm going to do but that's what I want to do I want to do some inventing good way to start and lots of people tell me they did this but I don't think they actually did you have to actually read the bible and the bible has loads of ideas but you're not going to get an idea straight away you have to read it several times to think okay where am I going to get the business idea from and the way you get business ideas from the bible is 
different every time is I have to say when I have got my best ideas for the environment in terms of environmental inventions from the Bible and the reason is my reasoning is this if you want to create something that you have no idea how to do which is plenty of inventions basically then you need to go to a book that is so vast covers absolutely every aspect of human existence and there's only one book and that would be the bible now obviously with the new testament as well or the old testament latin is written in a way whereby um there's it's like got a female version and a male version and a child's version so of reading so there's different ways you can read these things and the, the way with the bible which is written in english if you're in England, you can read this in different ways as well. And the way to read it is if you read it as perhaps a child, maybe you've had it read to you, and then a few years later, you're older, you've had more experience, then you read it again. And then a few more years later, you're again, you're older, you've had more experience, you read it again. And then by the time you've read it for the sixth or the seventh time throughout your lifetime, you've suddenly realised that you don't actually see things in the same way as you did before because you've had experience of these things. You've you've had examples, practical examples of what's being said in the Bible in your life. It covers life. So you'll be going, yeah, that's so like when blah, blah, blah happened. Um, that's so like when blah, blah, blah happened. When you're looking for business ideas, if you keep that in mind when you're reading and you don't find anything, you're like, okay, let's put that down, have a little break digest everything pray a little bit about how you can find your perfect idea you might already have an idea of perhaps what it's going to be whether it's electronics or whether it's for the environment or whether it's just simply I need to get a business that employs lots and lots of people because there's lots of unemployment so you're thinking okay right whatever it is there's going to be a need to include something. So for instance, if you need to have a big business because you need to employ a lot of people, you might think, okay, something that people can do with their hands, not necessarily that needs a machine, but something that's manual, um, that people can do with their hands. So you need people, you can't have a machine doing it, you need an actual person doing it. You might think, I don't know, carpentry, or it could be farming, it could be all sorts. Um, if you're thinking in terms of the environment, you might want to look at um, things that are not going right at the moment so you want to look at current issues so for instance it could be I don't know it could be about the trees it could be about um, uh, climate change um, it could be about the air pollution or sea pollution or water pollution things like that and then you find the specific passages that you think that you might find the answer to these problems in so once you've found those passages you have to look for the idea and prey on that idea. And those passages uh, sometimes could only be like, you know, a, it could be a paragraph. It could be the whole section. It could be a couple of pages. Read that over and over and over again. Let that digest. Go off for three weeks, do whatever you're doing. Come back, read it again, that passage. And then start trying to find ideas of how to go about inventing. Now, when you're inventing, you have to do a trial and everything. Some things work, some things don't. And it's not just the whole idea doesn't work, 
part of the idea might work, but the second part might not work. So you then have to tweak the second part. Or the first part doesn't work, but the second part does work. So you have to tweak the first part in order to get the second part to work and so on and so forth. It's not something that happens straight away all the time. Sometimes you get an idea, boom, like that. You've read it once. That's the Bible. You've read the Bible once and you've got an idea. But other times it's more complicated, more involved, simply because you have to it's just like staring you in the face I've prayed and prayed and prayed for the answer for one of the solutions that I found for the environment which was um, a water solution um, in order to detoxify the water which I gave to GE and they've been detoxifying water all over the place and that solution took me absolutely ages to find absolutely ages maths galore um, chemical and pure maths and I think I use tri- trigonometry as well. I've got degrees and all of that. And so combining your skills in an invention is is really, really handy. But it also makes the invention complex, which is, hence it took me ages. And the reason it took me ages is because I could not see for the trees what I was looking at. There's a really simple solution. And I went all about the trees to find this solution. It was staring me in the face the whole time. The whole time. Anyway. So that's a secret that inventors should know that the Bible is one of the best sources of inspiration in terms of finding your ideas. Go to a book that has everything. That's me, Red Gachet. Thank you for listening. Bye. Hi, this is Red Gachet and continuing with the secrets theme. And this secret is kind of... um. It's kind of a secret, but I have told a few people, so some people know. And of course, obviously, some people saw me, so there's not a secret in that. But this started when I was little, and before, this was in like, you know, back in the day, and we invented football, basically. It was a game um, to play with the soldiers. And then other people wanted to join in, and then football was invented, basically. Um, But I was still little, and I wanted to play. Now, what used to happen was I used to win everything, because sometimes the soldiers used to just look at the the other players, and they had to stand back, because obviously I'm the queen, (laughs) which I loved. But then I hated it, because I wanted to to win because of skill. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time, obviously, I needed to know what winning felt like, so that I'd be encouraged to do more, which is basically what they did. And they weren't, I mean, they gave me a run for my money, but I mean, I was tiny, so my little legs were probably like a little jog to them. I was speeding around and and they're just like walking or something. (laughs) um, I wasn't taking any notice of them. I was just basically following the ball. Anyway, um, this was like in and out of time. I go back to it and I come out of it. I go back to it, come out of it, go back to it, come out of it. And because I do that, I often have different football names. And and it's not the girls' team, if you're wondering that. I was always in um, professional male football. Um, And I was the only girl, basically. Anyway, so back to the story. So when... No one wanted to be my friend. Probably because we're being abused. And if anyone came near me, they get abused as well. So basically, they need to just separate me. Um, Anyway, so... Nobody would play with me and I didn't really want to play with anyone anyway afterwards 
obviously being abused, you don't really want to be near anyone. You just want to forget about it. And one of the things that you do is you start doing repetitive things. And the repetitive thing that I used to do was, um, like, play ball, basically. Or I'd colour. Or I'd do something which was repetitive so that it would clear my mind. Like, now, I just play my computer game. It clears my mind. And then uh, I used to have a tennis ball or... I'd never had a football, but... um. Because they were always being used by the boys, like, like the boys of my age group or older. But I had tennis ball, so I used to play, like just banging it against the wall. And then I'd get really good at that. And then I'd do another move against the wall. And it started off with a tennis ball. Then I'd start doing, you know, like um, different things with the tennis ball. And then I'd start using a football when I managed to get one, or a bigger ball. There's one, there's like a medium-sized ball, which is in between the size of a football, um, but much bigger than a tennis ball. I used to play with that um, for tackling. And and then I'd bump into some footballers who were obviously on the Arsenal team. And um, and we start playing up Heath and refining skills and things like that. And then we're like, right, let's go and play a game. So we played a game, get fit. It was brilliant. It was really good. But it was a kind of secret because, obviously, people knew. And I used to pretend I was older than I was, obviously. And I used to wear, like, a pretend moustache that I got from the joke shop. So people that I went to the joke shop with obviously knew. But I never used to talk about it. It used to be something I used to do on a Saturday. People say, what are you doing? Oh, it's like football. People just think you're just playing a game of football and you're not actually play playing a professional game. But it was a professional game. Um, but we also played like, you know, practice games over the heath as well. So people just assumed it was just mucking around over the heath or something. But um, yeah, so I wasn't allowed to talk about it because every time I talked about it, everyone was going, no, you ain't, you know, no, you ain't. And then football money started going missing from the games. Obviously that arranged, you know, aroused suspicion. Um, so it was like, you know, who do you know? Who do you know? How, how do I get in? It's like free tickets and everything. Basically, you just get used. So it's kind of like a bit of a secret. And at school, I couldn't say anything because people were getting jealous and and just telling me, like, being really nasty because it's like suddenly, oh, you think you're better than me then? I was like, well, do you pay football? No. So what are you talking about? But do you think you're better than me? And it was like that. So I was basically just shut up about everything. But, yeah, when I was with the footballers... It was football. It was being, you know, being competitive and seeing who can do what, tackling. We used to have all kinds of games that we used to play. And I really liked that. It was focused, really focused and really fun. You build up skills quite quickly when you're in a really focused group like that. And so, yeah, I could, I could do that all the time. But it was obviously... You can't do that all the time because, you know, things happen and you have to go and do different things. Maybe I'll go back one day when I'm fit and healthy, if... Um, but if not, had a brilliant time playing football. And if you're wondering who I am, um, I was mainly, I used to play, I used to play all different, you know, positions. And I was, what my name's, what my name's, I was kind of like reserve. And I was Federer in for Arsenal. And then um, I had a few kind of non-names, like, you know, when you someone just goes, come, come, we need you, come play. Um, and then I was, who else was I? I've been Pele, you've probably seen the drag thing. It's 
I, I always used to go in disguise. And then it, when we went to Spain, I kind of like got tanned in the wrong places and decided not to bother being in disguise for a while. But, you know, you have to be in disguise because people don't, people take the piss basically. So yeah, you do have to be in disguise when you're playing football as a girl, obviously. Um, so that's Maradona, but that was before Pele, obviously. Ronaldo, that was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant when a crowd was roaring. But unfortunately, some spastics um, raided the pitch and um, some unfortunate abuses occurred. So it wasn't really that good. But, there, you know, that before that happened, when the crowd was cheering and everyone's... I just scored, everything was just... I mean, I remember that feeling. It's wicked. Wicked. But short-lived, unfortunately. Anyway, after that, what was I playing? So there's Maradona... Federer, Maradona, Pele, Ronaldo, and Monroe when I played for Chelsea, when Beckham wouldn't let me play for Arsenal anymore because I was, can't remember why. Anyway, wouldn't let me play football, but I wanted to play football. So Vinnie Jones said, come and play for Chelsea. So I was like, all right. So I played for Chelsea for a bit. And then, yeah, all, all the madness broke out so I couldn't stay playing for them and I think that I think it was the last game but I played for Liverpool as well I queen that's it I called myself queen then and I had blonde hair yeah that was good anyway so that's um another massive secret that no one knows and no one believes um except well a few people do there's like my football posters are still out there and obviously there's the drag Pele evidence um, and loads of photographs, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I used to have, like, keep some clippings of the front page um, news when I made it for football. And all the back pages when it was just, like, commentary about different games and stuff. But um, it got nicked. And then some mad psycho bitch stole it all. And um, she made a shrine out of it. And it was, like, really freaky. So, yeah, I stopped doing that. Anyway... That's me, Red Gachet, signing out. Bye. Hi everyone, it's Red Gachet. And continuing with the secrets theme, it's another football one. And it's relatively recent. I say relatively recent because it concerns not the recent um, Croatian-England match, which was for the World Cup just gone, um, it's the one that because that's the repeat so I'm talking about the one that happened that actually happened basically not the one either pieced together or happened afterwards and this is the one where I was actually going to wear a Maradona shirt to play and we were in Russia and um I think it was Russia I mean anyway we're even Anyway, it doesn't matter where we were. We were basically wherever the game was being played. Another country, basically. And um, we were about to go on. Well, I was about to go on. And basically, I got um, threatened by you-know-who. Same old, same old. Um, if I go on, they'll blow the stadium up. And I just thought, Do you know what? You can't be serious. But because, obviously, the nuclear war and everything, I couldn't actually say, you know, that is never going to happen because... I didn't think there'd ever be a nuclear war either, but apparently there was. So every time 
that girl threatens me with something like that. Um, I have to take it seriously. So I couldn't go and play the game because I couldn't risk all them people getting blown up and our team, obviously. Um, so I decided not to, to go on. And it was a bit of a surprise, basically. It was going to be like a, a bit of a surprise I'll be at the end, like coming on last with my Maradona shirt. And um, anyway, so they all went and played, but then they blew the stadium up, or half of it, as well, I saw half of it. But me and the police, we got flung in the air, I mean, really high, and obviously the blast was like, when you mean a blast, it's a bit, the, the air's a bit different. So obviously a little bit lightheaded and in shock because you're just being flown up in the air. We all thought we'd land in Australia and it seemed like forever that we were like, you know, what's going on? We're just flying up in the air. And I think the CIA called me or I phoned them, I can't remember. And um, we're just like, yeah, I think the world's blown up because we, we were just like flying in the air. We're just like, yeah, well, obviously something's happened. And um, the police was like, some of them could speak English and some of them were Russian. So there was English police there as well. And um, they were like, well, it was time. So, you know, obviously you have to record when these things happen and everything. And it was like, okay, was, luckily I had my mobile on me so I could take the call in the first place. <laughs> Telling the time of when we were exploded. And um, it, we didn't ever think we were going to land. We couldn't see what, because obviously when there was an explosion, there's lots of dust and whatnot. So we couldn't see what, was, we just thought was in the clouds. I mean, that's what it was like, just flying around in the clouds and then thinking oh no now we're going down where are we going to land and obviously we couldn't quite remember everything with geography wise because we're English we're just like well we must be landing in Australia so everyone's thinking yeah wherever we land it's got to be Australia and it's like thinking right how are we going to survive a fall like that so we're thinking right parachute things like this is how you fall teaching everyone to make sure they know how to fall when they get there for best chances of survival assuming that you fall on land and not in a tree or on a building or on the road or something um but then we thought it was australia so we thought it'd be like soft red dust kind of land um anyway we didn't fall in soft red dust land we sort of fell on grass bits and um, I think we were all all right. We all fell properly. I think something might have broken your leg or something like that. But, I mean, pretty much all all right, as far as I know. Um, but, obviously, once you've been flung up in the air for God knows how long, and it was ages, ages, and then you've landed, you're, you know, you're kind of, like, a bit disorientated. Um, but we got picked up by, I think, the Russians came and got us. And then suddenly... It was like, you know, there was loads of people going, ah. The whole stadium got put back together again. I don't know if the people came back or not. I mean, there was people there already, but it was like the explosion never happened. So that is my football World Cup experience. And we lost the freaking game. We couldn't play our players because they were all getting disappearing and whatnot. Maybe they were in a blast as well. I don't know. But um, so we had to choose new players, our reserves, to play, and they played their best. And after a sabotage like that, you know what I mean? 
we did amazingly well to play the game because there's nothing worse than having to put the game off, obviously. But at least we played. We played our best. But all of them people that sabotaged that World Cup, yes, I think they need to be um, chucked in jail. Anyway, that's my secret. Um, that's me, Red Gachet. Thank you for listening. Bye. Hi, this is Red Gachet continuing with the secrets theme. And today's secret is a secret known to some. Some might think it's completely obvious and it's not a secret. And some people might be a bit sceptical. And some people might think everyone's mad. And um, yeah, I would agree with all of you in some respects. Um, but this secret is about living harmoniously and it's obviously there's lots of ways to live harmoniously um but this way is one that has been outlined in in the bible i think it was the old testament actually um and it is a passage that says that if you want to live harmoniously um in respect to the environment as in planet earth obviously we all live on the earth so it is our responsibility everybody's responsibility to look after it because we've only got one earth so everyone is responsible for it which means we have to treat the earth with respect and everything on the earth so that means obviously the environment the water the trees animals other people everything yeah so that's the premise that obviously we have a great responsibility to look after our home the planet that we live on and we haven't done that sometimes in the Armageddon people weren't doing that at all obviously there were some but not enough and this secret is about what I did on Hampstead Heath because basically every cycle pretty much every cycle I've got to do something for um the environment and sometimes it's just like I haven't got a clue what to do I really don't know um and sometimes it's just simple plant some flowers Give some, the park some money to get some flower bushes or something like that. Or a play area or, or something like people can enjoy. So like a park, loads of people can just go to the park. Um, and it's an environment which is in the middle of a city, which means that it's a sort of a an escape area, a bit of the country in the city. That's what Hampstead Heath is anyway to me. And... Um, this one of the last cycle cycles um couldn't think what to do and someone said oh just plant some plant some uh what's it called hydrangeas hydrangeas or rhododendrons or something it's like well i haven't got any money They're like don't worry i've got some money and they've put and i put in the tenor i think i put in and some other people put some money in and then we thought well we'll just go and plant these hydrangeas over the park um but i think we planted one and then we had to wait for delivery and then um we got someone overheard the conversation not that it was a secret conversation because it weren't and and decided this was a really bad idea how dare you think that everybody is going to accept hydrangeas growing wildly over the Hampstead Heath and basically ruined the whole delivery I cannot believe that this is even a thing I mean really it's a park flowers grow in the park trees grow in the park why would you be upset? Anyway, there was a whole pe load of people who were against anyone, you know, 
thinking, oh, I know. Let's help the environment for some reason. It was really odd. I didn't really get it. I thought it was a joke, as in they were just taking a piss until they destroyed the hydrangeas. And then I just thought, no, actually, you're a bit mental. But apparently lots of people like this. Anyway, so what I did, I just thought, never mind them. I don't want anything to do with them. And if I'm in my head, people like that wouldn't even go to the park because they don't like green things. So I just thought, forget them. So I thought what I'd do, bear in mind, it's my park. I will just go and plant what I blooming well want. So I went down there and I had loads of seeds and I bought them from like Tonson and Morgan, Wilco's, Homebase, Amazon, um, all kinds of different places, wherever I could find seeds basically. And sometimes I was just like, oh, I just want pink flowers or I just want white flowers or I just want blue flowers. Sometimes I'm specific and I want cyclamen or I want... Um, I didn't think I, I don't think I took I got dwarf hydrangea once. Um, yeah, so there's loads of different ones, loads and loads and loads. And I just took all the seeds and I just sprinkled them all around. And I used to go up there and just do that all the time. And um, I forgot about it. Someone said, you have to stop, you have to stop doing this, you have to stop doing this. And I was like, why, 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 why? Because it cost them fortune, basically. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I did it for a couple of years, well, a few years. And um, odds and sods, you know, like a couple of weekends here, a couple of weekends there, that type of thing. And then... I don't long I told to stop and then I don't know what happened whether I went somewhere or I died and came back but a period of time must have gone past because it was a stormy night and um I remember it was really like you know nearly an electrical storm which is unusual in England and um it was, for about three days I was like <coughs> pissing it down with rain and then I thought when it stops I'm going down the park so finally the rain stopped and it was a nice day, and we went down to the park, there was a couple of us, and these are not people that would have been sowing seeds with me, they were just, like, people that I knew, and all the plants had bloomed, I mean, there were just, like, gazillion flowers and plants everywhere, and, um, I mean, it was beautiful and stunning, it was just amazing to think that this, you know, these, like, tiny little seeds would turn into these beautiful flowers everywhere, and I, I did take photos, I don't have them now, but there was like digitalis growing up and down and there was sheep sleeping in the middle of them. Um, that's when there was like hardly anybody, anybody we went to the park. So there was no dog walkers. So the sheep weren't disturbed. And plus the sheep eat the grass so you don't have to lawnmower. So I don't know where the... I don't think there were any people that used to look after the park that much. That many of them anyway. Because Hampstead is big. And um, there was foxgloves and... Kind of ch ladies chatters something like that chatterly something rather and lupins and all sorts it was just covered in flowers and this took on people that liked the park or lived went quite close and used to come to the park thought oh what a brilliant idea and bought their own things and they started doing it as well and it was really lovely everyone used to you know, like go oh let's bring some of this and you know lots of people got in you know basically started picking the flowers so the seeds wouldn't come off the flowers to then grow the next year. People used to walk out with huge bunches of flowers and think that it's free. Stuff, rather than going Tesco's or wherever to get a bunch of flowers on Mother's Day or something. And it was just heartbreaking that people would just robbed the park like that. It was heartbreaking. And no, no, the girls that did it and boys that did it just didn't care at all. Really just did not care at all. I was really gutted. There was nothing I could do at the time. Um, but what happened was 
then they once they'd started picking all the flowers and going around with huge bunches of flowers I mean really really gorgeous plants really gorgeous they um then the people that like destroying the environment came and started destroying everything and and now there's hardly anything there and I remember one time Ron Badami looked at me and he said isn't it beautiful and I said what I was telling him we want the heath I was like I was looking to see what was beautiful couldn't see nothing it's like what 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 is beautiful he was like the green and I was just like yeah everything's green obviously what 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 is beautiful about green not you know obviously natural land is beautiful but it wasn't natural it was just green and that's what struck me about why would anyone say that nowhere in England or anywhere in the world is green completely natural there is always color there's always flowers which then made me think, are you one of the people that destroys the environment? And he really doesn't like it. He really doesn't like it. So whether he does or not, I don't know. But I'm pretty sure he knows them. But really, if you're really like somebody who doesn't like people planting flowers, please do not get in the way of people's expectation of the countryside it is not supposed to be just green there is color everywhere anyway my name is ricochet i hope the environment exceeds all our expectations and blooms and blooms and blooms forevermore with hundreds and thousands of different types of plants that we haven't seen for millennia um anyway my name is ricochet that's my secret goodbye Hi, my name is Red Gachet and continuing with the secrets theme, um, this secret is about why things became secret in the first place. Um, there were a few reasons. Um, one, obviously I didn't want to get murdered, um, is number one, um, being queen and all. Um, really, it shouldn't make a difference, to be quite honest, because like, they didn't think I'd do anything. I mean, they thought I was an idiot. Some people still do. So why they wanted to kill me, I have no idea. But anyway, turns out I did quite a lot. They just don't admit it, but they will. Anyway, that's number one. That's one reason. And the other reason is because I amassed loads and loads of money, which they still haven't given me. So that's another bone of contention. Um, so that's probably another reason why they wanted to kill me. Um, and the other reason um, is because um, I wanted to... Um, make loads and loads of films. So with filming, obviously, it wasn't really like a secret at first. Everyone knew we were making films and some people joined in, some people didn't want to join in. So there was always like those that wanted to just watch and those that wanted to act. And we tried to include most people um, in little bits, little bits here and here and there so that we could um, move with the main characters. And everyone was very respectful. And I remember it being really like, sometimes it was so easy because if it was an ensemble piece, like an ensemble acting piece, no real lead, or, you know, it was quite equal. The actors, the main actors were quite equal. That's why they call it an ensemble piece. Um, everyone was really respectful about it. And it, it was just really nice. And when it was like a protagonist, one person lead, um, it was 
you know, everyone knew who that person was and they were respectful and yeah, everything was great. And sometimes films, when they're like that, it's fantastic because it's really easy. You don't have to deal with people not knowing who anyone is and then going, yeah, but I was here first or I demand that I'm the lead character or, you know, I have spent all my money getting to London to do this. I have been promised by someone, I don't know who, that I am going to be the lead character, so that's it. And you're like, well, no one told me, and sorry, no. Um, so whoever was telling all these people a load of BS um, really shouldn't be doing that. Um, so, yeah, that was another reason why films became secret, because we had so many people... Um, being told by someone, and I, I think it's more than one person, to be quite honest, um, that they were going to be in doing this, that and the other, and we had no idea what they were talking about. And sometimes they even knew what film they were supposed to be in, but we weren't shooting that film, and they were, like, demanding and just ruining the rest of our film. So we had to, you know, like, get away from them. And sometimes it takes about two weeks for them to go or us to be able to do something because there's that bigger crowd of sometimes actors being told something and demanding. Now, most actors aren't like that, but last time round, we had, like, you know, um, people were invented quite quickly to be in films. And um, they were like, well, what are we here for? And I, honestly, if you're invented to be in a film and they ask, they say something like that, I kind of have to agree, yeah, what, what were you doing? What are you... I didn't invent him, someone else did. And I was like, well, yeah, I can't really leave them because they don't know anything. I mean, really, they don't. They, have, they don't have a home, they don't have food. They don't even know that if they don't eat, they're going to die. They don't have shelter, they don't have family. They have each other, but they don't know each other. They're just, you know, like individuals within a group. And probably they want to stay together, I'm sure, because they're all like similar in the sense that they've just appeared. So it's really quite hard because sometimes I don't even know that they've just been invented. It becomes apparent when I'm talking to them later on because they don't know so many things that they should know. So I try and keep things a secret sometimes because of that, because I don't want people to be invented. And, and then I'm in a position because then I have to make sure that they're in the film so that they can earn a little bit of money to be able to live for a little bit. But even then, when you're shooting a film, people don't get paid weekly. You know what I mean, sometimes it's like months before you get paid or years because you've got to make the film you've got to edit the film and and then you've got to sell it to somebody and then they've got to decide when they want to release it and obviously they're quite strategic when they want to release it if you've made like 10 blockbuster films they're not going to release all 10 at the same time are they they're going to space them out so they then have to wait until they've made their money in order to pay the actors and plus, if the actors haven't even got national insurance numbers or whatever country you're in, tax numbers, how are they going to pay them? If they haven't even got bank accounts, how are you going to pay them? So it's really tough when that happens because, honestly, I haven't got a clue what to do about that because sometimes there was in groups, like big groups, so I'm like, what? And I kind of know who, who does it, but how do you stop that? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to stop that. Anyway, so that's one of the reasons why things become a secret. And I don't want it to be a secret because it's really, you know, it's like, I'm doing this. Can you please support me doing this? Or not bother me doing this? Or 
come and tell somebody that I'd like to work with, which is fine. I don't mind people telling other people that I'd like to work with them if they know that I actually do want to work with them. You know, it's kind of like respect, isn't it? You don't, it's really disrespectful to just invent a crowd of people and say they have to be in your film. And then you're left with people, no live words, some of them are like toddlers. Not to say they couldn't hold a, they mean they can hold a conversation, but I mean in in their attention span, it's it's just like really hard to get people to concentrate. And obviously I know why it's hard, because it's like, oh, this is new. It's like you've got to check your surroundings around. I mean... Obviously, it's really, it would be a really, really stressful thing if they knew that they'd just been invented, but they didn't. So that's one big reason. And all those people that have been invent- invented for films, I mean, I really hope you're doing well, really do. Um, and I hope that you take on religion to get your own personality, because I don't assume that people have been invented with the characters of the film and then they stay like that because that would be a bit Mad Max, wouldn't it? Anyway, so that's another secret. Um, and the other reason why secrets are secret is because sometimes I'm on the phone, and this isn't, hasn't happened for ages because I never answer the phone, but sometimes I'm on the phone and people listen to my phone call, but they can only hear me. They can't hear the other person, obviously. And um, they make up this whole story around my phone call and spread it round and make out like they know what I'm talking about. And then people then get offended by my phone call that they weren't even privy to, not knowing what it's about, only hearing one side of the conversation. And then they have an argument with me. So that's another reason why I don't... um, I don't even want to answer the phone, honestly. I'd rather email. Because everyone shuts up and then listens to my phone call and I'm just like really embarrassed and it's like somebody from an energy company trying to get me to change (laughs) energy companies, electricity and gas and all that. And I'm like, yeah, um, I I can't really talk at the moment. Yes, um, can you tell me what electricity supplier you're with? Um, I can't, as soon as I say I can't really talk at the moment, everyone's like, ching, she's on the phone, she's actually actually talking on the phone, she's not playing on the phone, she's talking on the phone. So I was like, okay, I'll shush. Um, plenty of times I've been in arguments with people because they've overheard my phone call and got offended. It's weird. I mean, really weird. And one of them was, in fact, a gas company. And I, I, couldn't, I couldn't understand what they were talking about. Really, really embarrassing. They made a right scene at the coffee shop. <sighs> Highly embarrassing. Anyway, so that's one another reason for things being secret. The other reason, obviously, you know, the business reasons, because you can't tell anyone your business idea before you've been to market in case it gets stolen obviously that's one thing and also because sometimes people are so despot they kind of nick your phone and your computer if you've got too authentic you know that two authentication thing so if they've got both of them they think it's all right uh, it's just like libs libs and you know I could be working on something I have been working on some really important stuff in the past, which they couldn't have understood. So it really didn't matter, but it does matter because that means I have to start again, you know. So obviously I don't want to get things nicked. Um, And another reason for things being secret is because it's actually easier to make films when things are like hush-hush because the celebrity of the lead actresses and actors 
um, and me, because I'm a footballer and an actress and a filmmaker, um, is too much for some people. And I don't mean that rudely at all. I think it's great when people get to celebrate their famousness. Um, but it does get in the way of filming because you're like, yeah, you're supposed to be a different character. No, let me just sign this autograph. Oh, look, there's a queue now. I was like, okay, I have to wait a couple of hours. And then there's a chat and then someone phones the press and then there's the whole day's just gone. So there's that as well. Um, anyway, so secrets are needed, but I hope to reveal them all. <laughs> this is Red Gachet. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi, my name is Red Gachet and continuing with the secrets theme, um, this is kind of a bit of an apology and also I don't know if everybody knows or not, I'm not sure if it's still a secret or not, but it's also an apology secret. So part of the reason why there are so many secrets for me anyhow, and I'm sure this goes for quite a lot of people, is because of the forget-me-not and the forget-me-not, if for those of you don't know, is basically um, what I call, and I'm sure lots of other people will call for want of a better word, um, a period of time where everyone forgets everything. <laughs> so it's kind of self-explanatory. So, like, for instance, the last 10 years or so, everyone has forgotten that we've already been through everything already. The news is on repeat, well, the TV's on repeat, as we already know. And you'll probably find yourself repeating the whole same things in business. Things are repeating. It's like everything's gone backwards 10 years. And then th th we sort of progress as as our brains start remembering stuff. I mean, I I know for one, it's that whole deja vu thing that I get all the time. It's not actually deja vu in the sense that it's sp not spooky deja vu. It's because we've actually done it before. Literally done it before. We just get sent back in time in terms of our minds and stuff and then go and do the same thing and businesses have been doing that as well so I don't really think this whole forget-me-not thing is is very lucrative at all I'm pretty sure that when they started doing it it was simply because well I know it was because it something bad happened and people didn't want know how to explain or how to help people get over things or obviously nobody wanted to get caught um so that was one of the first reasons well they i think are the first reasons why the forget me not started um people actually using the power to say the whole world forgets blur and the fact is the whole world didn't even know in the first place so that's a bit of a stupid thing to say anyway um so We've been through loads and loads of forget-me-nots and I particularly am one of those people that um, thought it was just me just forgetting and then remembering and then forgetting and then remembering. And I had quite a lot to remember. Um, and one of the things that happened once was, I think you all know him as Arsene Wenger now, um, was my trainer when I was little. And um, we used to coach and train together as well as him training me. So while I was training, if I'd mastered something, he might say, oh, can you help so-and-so? So I'd help so-and-so. And also, obviously, learn like, more myself because I, I was like practically doing it rather than just saying, just do that. Um, so 
I completely forgot about him and I can't actually remember what I used to call him because it wasn't Arsene Wenger um, and it wasn't Lana's dad although I did call him Lana's dad for a little bit as well so it's forgetting everyone's names and it wasn't a you know one of the film Lana's dads it was obviously basically we met at Arsenal and we were both sitting down at the side and we were both going oh no oh no you've got to do this over there and we were both agreeing with what each other was saying <laughs> Then we're like, right, let's do this. So we got everyone doing everything and then it started like that. And it was like in the early days of football. And um, he needed um, some recognition, basically. I think it was just basically to get some money out of the, the clubs and stuff. Because the, the whole money thing with football hadn't really been, as far as I know, when I was a kid, sorted out properly. All the footballers were getting robbed, basically, and I didn't know. It wasn't my place to say anything because, obviously, I'm a kid. Who's going to tell me? And plus, I'm a kid. I'm scoring goals. I should be getting some money, but no, I didn't get anything. And I didn't, as a kid, my voice wasn't loud enough. Anyway, so he needed some recognition, not for the footballers' money. It was better. I think it was more for him. But again, that would he could have said something about it as well. Um... And he asked me to to say that I was his trainer, which he was, but in an informal way, and I couldn't remember who he was. And so I'm apologising for that. And I can't remember. Then when I remembered, the reporter had already gone, so it was too late. So I know he's forgiven me already, but for the reporters, just so you know, this is actually true. And it was it was an informal training. It was like, look, I need to, I, I need to work on something. Give me uh, an exercise to do, or um, he'd be like, watch me play and tell me what I need to work on. It was like that kind of thing, um, because he couldn't only focus on me. He had to focus on the team as well. Do you know what I mean? So we both did stuff. When I was in reserve, obviously we both like going, no, so and so needs to work on that. Yeah, we definitely need to do to work on the teamwork on this and all that kind of stuff. Um, Anyway, so um, a long time later, I lost touch with him and basically he'd lost everything. Um, and it's, I didn't even hardly recognise him, but he was just, you know, a nice guy. And he was just explaining. Loads of people used to do that, just come up to me and just, you know, chat about things. And everyone was going, it's a terrible time, blah, blah, blah. This happened. And I was like, yeah, this happened to me. And we were just having a conversation like that. And um, he was like, right, well what what are you going to do then? And I was like, well, I don't know, I'm thinking about um doing the marathon. It was like, yeah, basically practice, practice, practice. And I was like, yeah. And then, then it was like, okay, um, there's this thing for the Olympics. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I think you should do it. I was like, oh, yeah, but I don't know how to get into that kind of stuff. And he was like, I'll help you sort it out. I'll let you train. But he couldn't completely help me train because obviously you don't even know what's going to come up. It's like, yeah, uh, I'm guessing there'll be a bit of running bit hurdles um swimming yeah but loads of weird wonderful things came up I mean loads of them and um so he basically gave me some things a bit three things to, to concentrate on which was um like I think it was the triathlete stuff that he was like saying right you've got to do your running you've got to do your swimming and you've got to do your cycling and I think you'd be able to that and hurdles I'm sure pretty sure he must mention hurdles as well um and then I think you'll be all right. So I was like, all right, I'll do that. 
and he put I think he put my name in I'm not sure if it was him or not but anyway he did loads and he said he couldn't help me anymore because there was some people after we were all getting sabotaged so it was like literally he couldn't even show me something that he wanted to show me on video or whatever he could just like literally tell me do this do that and practice 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 next week I'll come back and say what else do I need to do do this do that practice 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 and so on so it was really kind of like informal and like it kind of in secret because we were getting sabotaged every time we were talking somebody would come and start eavesdropping or you know we could physically attacked basically so we really didn't try and you know hook up that much and obviously mobile phone fests were rampant at that time so we couldn't phone so it was basically I'll be passing in the park <laughs> yeah what should I do uh, quick conversation and then both walk off in opposite directions <laughs> so thank you very much for your advice and motivation is really really good at doing motivation really 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 good you kind of know that if, if he says yeah I think you should do it blooming well do it yes um yeah definitely <laughs> anyway so that's my little secret tip as well is that it's practice 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 get people to watch you practicing sometimes so like somebody who knows what you're doing and get them to give you tips on what else to to do if you're obviously training for the olympics and be open to new things because the m most amazing thing about the olympics is that they have like wild cards and things like that which means like a wild card sport. And um, there's just so many different sports that you can do. And they build on each other. So there's not just like obviously leg power when you're running and stuff like that and hurdles for jumping. And, and then obviously gymnastics is like, you know, core and strength and, and oh, it's, there's masses of it. I mean, I did ice skating and yachting and javelin and archery and that wasn't in archery I don't think it was in the Olympics but I still did it I did I tried loads and loads and loads of different sports um just to fill my time up because like now we're in the furlough although I'm not on furlough at the moment it's like I feel like oh my god I'm not doing anything I could I could lose everything which obviously I am <laughs> I've got to do something I've got to upskill I've got to, I've got to do something and at the time it was sports I was like oh, I've got to do this sport I've got to try this sport and I've got to do this and if you're into sports at the moment, just do as much as you can and enter competitions and have a laugh and yeah, practice, practice, practice and you'll get there. Anyway, that's me, Red Gachet, apologising to Arsene Wenger. Thank you very much for helping me and um, I hope you're all sorted now. Cheers. Bye. Hello, um, my name's Red Gachet and continuing with the secrets theme, it's a bit topical, although it's not very recent um so this secret is has come out twice before i think um but obviously everyone's forgotten because of all the repeats um so i'm gonna say it again today because i got really angry today i was having a chat with someone about it and i just got really angry about it because people get hurt basically um so this is what it is um you probably heard about the, the news story at the moment where um uh they saw um a black guy getting beaten up and restrained basically and died and and apparently there was a funeral i haven't seen the news this is what someone's told me but anyway it sounds rather like a case that i was working on with the fbi um 
which was a CIA FBI thing, but I was also working for the with the sheriff's office in America. And it wasn't um the town that this was, this wasn't a big town or it, compared to London, it was really rural. <laughs> I mean, in terms of spacing out, and I'm, I know America's really spaced out anyway, but um, really, there was a lot of space. I'm I'm thinking it was quite rural. Anyway, so there was hardly any people. So you know, everyone knew everyone. Um, I don't suppose everyone knew me because I was kind of new, but you know, a few people did. Anyway, so I'm going into the shop, and having a discussion about something and somebody hands in um a 20 pound counterfeit note and um the person somebody I know but from there not England um was like butting in about this person was like no no you can't have my 20 pound note and that's the thing isn't it it's like if you get a 20 pound note it's just like I've had a counterfeit £20 note come through with cash point years ago and I was like, you ain't having that £20 note. And they're like, yes, I am. This is not legal. So I could understand why everyone was going, no, no, give me the people need their money and whatnot. Anyway, a thing, bit of a thing happened. Um, but what actually happened was the case we were working on was twofold. So obviously there was a whole thing about the counterfeit, but I wasn't really doing that. Um... And there was also the fact that there was some English people who were doppelgangers of English people from here that I knew very well, um, who had just inexplicably arrived. And I was just thinking, really, because I was getting sick of this people following me around everywhere. And because um, I didn't know if there were doppelgangers from England that had flown to America following me around or if they just simply appeared. Anyway, so... Basically, what happened was Big Keanu, who was a doppelganger, because I phoned up the English one to see if there was he was still here. He was still here in England, so this must have been the next one. Same English accent, knew pretty much the same things that I would expect Big Keanu to know. So he had a kind of a history, but still a bit dim. So, you know, kind of could have been just invented. Anyway, so... He told me that if I don't do something, then the people behind me, and I could not believe he was behind me, right, would just keep on inventing people. And so this little town would get overrun with, some of them were kind of like American-y, but most of them were just like, you know, girls that, and guys that were like, oh, hi, oh, you know, and then they'll pull a knife out on you kind of people. Like, um, what happened in the Merino case, which um, I was wondering if we were going to hear any more news about what well, we haven't, so we really need to hint about that. We really want to know what happened. Um, anyway, so I'm thinking, what's going on? Anyway, meantime, this thing happens in the shop and there's a bit of a fight. The police turn up and whatnot. And this guy, and I'm thinking, no way. These people are all going to get corrupted in 10 seconds because I see another Tracy there. And I'm thinking, oh my God, they can't possibly have... A Tracy or a Chantel or J-Lo or Marlin or any of them informing them about what life is about because basically that would just mean that they are corrupted. So I was thinking, oh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I can't get blackmailed by this big Keanu. Oh, I know he's fake. And I can't risk them doing that and then the town turning into Star City or something like that. Um, 
and I don't, I just, you know, I'm tired of this crap that keeps happening. Um, anyway, so I'm thinking, right, I can at least keep this guy that I know has walked in the shop trying to get the 20 pound note thing sorted out away from the doppelganger that big Keanu's just grinning about because there's the next man there. I'm thinking, no way. Anyway, so I've decided this is actually a bit strange because I ended up in a uniform and I've decided, because it was repeated a couple of times, this whole thing, this scenario, um, I decided that I've got to keep this guy, who I know more than I know all the rest of them, even though they're doppelgangers I've known for years, but, you know, they might be like the 15th replica or the 28th replica or the 128th replica, I don't know, away from the doppelganger that has just been made of him who has just been corrupted by one of the Tracys. So I'm like, no, this can happen because what happens with doppelgangers is they start believing their own doppelgangers. And obviously if one's been corrupted and the other one ain't, there's, they don't know that. So they, they, they're so new, they don't know right from wrong. They'll just go, oh, really? Is that what's happened? Oh, right, okay. By now, assuming enough time's gone past and they're all alive, they would know. But at the time, they were brand new. Anyway, so I've decided, and I pull rank, because I'm an admiral and I'm in the CIA, um, that this person cannot communicate with his doppelganger. I'm holding him down in uniform. Anyway, I don't know how the press got there or who was filming. Might be the mobile phone film, I don't know. To keep him from getting up and communicating with the doppelganger. There's not enough police to be able to keep the crowd away because by now there's lots of these boys and girls and whatnot hanging around who've just been invented as well which I don't think you see in that film um and they're getting angry they're like an angry mob and they're they're like getting angry because anybody who's getting arrested anyone who is being told they can't do something is an enemy to them anyway so I've already seen a few knives I know someone's packing I can see it you can't see that on the film anyway so I've Try to keep him down. And um, and I've told him, look, they are going to kill you. Because they want to replace people with their corrupt versions. So I've told him, he has to play dead. And he's not happy about it because he's really uncomfortable. But he's played dead. We've taken him away in the body bag. And get him relocated and whatnot because... I can't remember where I know him from. I knew him from somewhere else before I knew him there. Anyway, so he's gone away and, and done that. And then, anyway, this whole press thing comes up. That I come back to England, right? A few months later, this story comes out. It wasn't straight away. And um, there were riots going on. People are actually getting hurt in these riots because of this film and this news story. And that's what was really annoying because it's like, you know, don't, don't get hurt. Don't be in a riot. I mean, I know you, people can't help it if you're doing a protest. They can't help it if it turns into a riot. But some people can because it might be shit stories starting it up. Excuse my language. Anyway, this whole thing got really, really bad. Like, really big. And I was really paranoid about it because it's... Oh, it's got to be. It's my fault because I'm the one that's kneeling, holding him down, looking like I'm killing him when I'm not. So I got so paranoid, I even went to the government about this, and I said, look, I'm just going to tell them, I'm just going to tell everybody. Obviously, no one believes me, so I just that just went on to deaf ears. Everyone was like, yeah, 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 crackpot. 
Um, but you know what? If I am a crackpot, but I'm telling the truth, then actually the whole thing's been misreported and people are getting hurt for no bloody reason. Excuse my language. Anyway, I just thought I'd just tell that story again because you don't actually know the truth of the matter. And I don't think anyone's going to tell you the truth of the matter because it involves doppelgangers and figments that just appear from nowhere who are brandishing knives and guns and it involves the FBI, the CIA and the sheriff's office who I can't see them telling you to be quite honest only because it's like it became a global thing there were riots in Europe I mean it was huge this whole story is a, like a repeat like the coronavirus and of the news just being on repeat and it's incredibly irresponsible if people are getting hurt this time round for being in riots for a news story that's like two cycles of Groundhog Day ago. Yeah, I think that's really irresponsible. And whoever's reporting this, whichever channels are just putting their news on repeat, is going to get prosecuted. How many billion pounds are they going to charge them for loss of life, being maimed and injured? So, yeah, I think that's irresponsible reporting, number one. And the biggest crime here is actually that the news is on repeat. And really, if unless there's another reason that, like, the TV stations are under siege, I don't know. I don't know how else to say, to say like, because I'm not sorry that I did what I did. I did not want that geezer to die, which is why I did what I did. And I did not care about the people brandishing knives or guns or inventing people. I think they should be arrested. I think they need to deserve the death penalty, to be honest. Those people that done that. Anyway, enough of my moaning. I was really, really, really annoyed about it. And I kind of felt like no one listened before. Maybe people won't listen this time. But I've said it. If that's the same story that I was there in, then you know whoever reported this only reported the tiniest bit of the story because before that day there was already an investigation going on nobody said anything about that and I'm pretty sure that after that day there was an investigation going on and nobody said anything about that either and all those people that just got invented well wonder what they have to say for themselves because I'm pretty sure that they wouldn't have said nothing except for, yeah, yeah, she killed him, she killed him. Plenty of people died that day. Police died that day. In one of the repeats of that. It was about three times that whole scenario got repeated. Day after day. So, yeah, it's a bit hard to explain because no one can understand it. But there's a brilliant story behind that. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing. The truth, that is. Anyway, it's Red Gachet signing out. Bye. 
Hi, my name is Redka Shea and continuing with the secrets theme, um, it's a secret healing power I'm going to be talking about. So when I was really little, um, back in the olden days as it were, and the monks were looking after me, there was strife in England and it was, I mean, I knew what my destiny was going to be anyway. And it was basically to stop the Armageddon. Fortunately, it didn't really get like that, did it? Because we already had it. So in the end, it was going to be like to fight it. But anyway, when I was a kid, there was strife in England because there was like marauders, I suppose you call them, um, that basically went around robbing everybody and murdering them and all sorts. And they were just mental cases. Anyway, so there was a kind of sort of, I wouldn't say army, but kind of an army. It's not like today's army anyway. And they fought these marauders to protect the realm. And obviously they were injured sometimes. And the monks knew I had this power and they asked me to protect which I did. So basically the way it works in the olden days, as it were, is that if we, if there was going to be like a, a scrum or, they never used to call it a scrum, a battle, let's say a battle. Um, it was like as and when ad hoc, it wasn't like there were terms or anything like that. Um, so we'd get to the place, we'd set up a little camp and the monks and I would stay in the camp and, and the men would go and fight if it had started already. And when there was injured, I would go around. They were brought to one place not far from, like, where we were. And I would heal them. They would get back up and fight because we were heavily outnumbered then. And that kind of worked a little bit. Unfortunately, the men didn't actually realise that I had a healing power, which freaked them out, and they didn't get it. So I needed the monks around me to make them understand that me healing them was a good thing, because they were like, how did you do that? I was bleeding, my arm was hacked off, and it's not hacked off anymore, that kind of thing. Anyway, so when I didn't have the power, the monks would use their healing herbs and things and patch them up. And we'd retreat if we couldn't, like, finish the fight because we weren't, we didn't have the numbers, basically. Anyway, so that's how I kind of got used to doing sort of army things, I suppose. And in... After that, it was then obviously the, it wasn't the Navy then, I suppose it would be the Admiralty and ship's surgeon taught me everything. Well, basically, ship's surgeon sort of looked after me a little bit while I was on the ship and I used to go down and help out and stuff because I had reading and I knew about the herbs so I could help. So I was like the little nurse. And 
what happens on the ship was obviously there are things like scurvy and gangrene and cuts and bruises and things like that. Now, obviously, cuts and bruises, unless they're bad, they wouldn't do you, you know, people don't really go to the ship surgeon unless they got something really bad. Um, and it's when, when you're attacked by pirates or something, what they do is they have cutlasses, massive cutlasses. So there were things where like, you know, legs and arms had been severed or half severed. And then obviously on a ship as well, if you don't know what you're doing, it can be really dangerous and you can quite easily, you know, get impaled on something basically. And all sorts of things that could go wrong if you don't know what you're doing on a ship, especially if it's a, uh, you know, if it's around, you know, all the sharp gadgets and like I say gadgets, not gadgets at all. They're like massive hook things and whatnot. Anyway, so um, when if it's something, you know, that the soldier or the sailor is awake for, we'd have to get them drunk or knock them out or both. And we'd have the other men hold them down while we saw to them because sometimes it's so agonizing for the for the sailors that um that their wounds were so agonizing that they just be like ah, all the time anyway um so once they've been knocked out then we can reattach the leg um usually it was a leg or if it was like a cutless wounds obviously we'd have to stitch them up and stuff like that, stop the bleeding and put the herbs on them and stuff like that. So that's how I kind of learned when I didn't have the power. When I had the power, I could heal. We used to go on, um, uh, what are they called? I can't remember what they're called. But basically it's like healing things where you see them on TV when the, the Americans do it. I think there's, you know, they do it in Las Vegas and they go around America healing people and stuff like that. Well, I used to do that um, a bit, and but I didn't have the power all the time, and I used to have to work myself up into a frenzy, basically, to stop, because the abusers found us. So I used to get abused in those kind of situations, and when I was abused, I didn't... I, it's not conducive with the power, basically, for me. Um, it basically is upsetting, and really, obviously, it's upsetting. Do you know what I mean? But the last thing you want to do is go and heal someone. Someone. You just want to shout and scream and kill the other person who, who'd abused you, basically. But I didn't do that, obviously. Anyway, so... Um, when I didn't have the power, I basically prayed, basically. And everybody was religious, so everyone was praying as well. And there was doctors there who, who could help as well. But when I didn't have the power, I didn't have the power. I couldn't do it. So, uh, with my learning from the surgeon and the monks and stuff, I knew what they could do to heal themselves. Or that I could tell the doctors what to tell them to heal themselves. But that was about it. Um, in the wars, there was... I can't remember what war it was, actually. But they often had what they call a medical tent and the soldiers wounded soldiers were brought in and they did well we did loads of 
whatever we could do for them. Generally, we, we sprayed them with heroin to stop them feeling the pain because there was a time, there was, you know, there's wounds that are inflicted at sea that you just don't see on land particularly when, you know, obviously there's cutlasses, but there, you know, when there's um like shrapnel and things like that, it's a different kind of wound. It's like, it affects much more of the body. So it's not just one wound, there's like gazillion wounds all over them. So things got harder and obviously more nurses were needed to, um, to heal people, especially with the numbers of soldiers that were injured. Um, and some you couldn't do anything for, so you, you just had to put them out of their misery by giving them uh, like a painkiller. Um, but obviously we did our best. And with MASH, which is a TV show, which actually we had real patients. So that was like surgery 24-7. And yeah, that was, uh, that was really tough. I learned a lot on that because it was literally just, you know, do what you can with a, with no equipment hardly. Um, yeah, so that was hard. Um, and then obviously I had to, um, I stopped doing it basically. I didn't do it unless I had to or I was at war and everything. Um, and then one of the doctors, local doctors, has said that I should do something because I told them in about bread, sliced bread years ago like in the victorian times i think that was just after victorian times or maybe it was the 50s or 60s i can't remember anyway sliced bread got obviously because free day bread heals everybody um because it's like contains natural antibiotics um and it's in the bible so it was one of the healing things that the monks from way back way um were giving people to heal the poxes um told me that I needed to sort something out because the NHS was like running out of money and the nation's health was going downhill too quickly, basically. And it was um, something needed to be done because there was so much pressure on the NHS and doctors and hospitals. Um, so I was like, okay, uh, um, then it's the bread. Then I found out the, the muffin thing and then we started getting sabotaged. Couldn't believe it. Could not believe that people wanted to take the credit for something they didn't even believe worked. I mean, how ridiculous is that? Anyway, I couldn't do anything much like from the position I'm, I was in. I could already photocopy the recipe and give it out to people as a cure to AIDS and cancer. But um, that doesn't really reach people, you know? Anyway, so time went on and I was sabotaged and sabotaged and loads of people I know were healed from this but you know that wasn't that many people in the grand scheme of the whole of the UK or even the world um so he said like you have to get your qualifications back I was like uh, uh what are you talking about because I didn't actually remember doing any qualifications <laughs> Because I'd learnt from so long ago. But I actually did do the exams. But I couldn't remember. That was ages ago. Anyway. So that's all I did. I basically just did the exams and passed. So it was fine. Um, so then. I had to do it again. Because it had been so long. So I had to do the exams again. And I also did the general practitioners one as well. Which I found really hard. So much to remember. 
it's funny because I never thought of it as being hard before. It's because I had Latin, so um, when I don't have my Latin, obviously everything's really hard to remember. <laughs> anyway, so I did the exams again, passed, and then started um, practising. Well, I didn't actually start practising at all first. I think I actually did registrar work first for the army um, at the Royal Free, and then like I ended up with about 15 hospitals to do because... People were getting murdered all over the place and raped and beaten and all sorts was going on in them days. So I had to find out who the people were that were sabotaging. And obviously there were quite a few people. It wasn't just like one person. It was like a big group of people sabotaging the NHS. And it was to do with this whole sickness dull thing. People wanted to get ill or pretend to get ill and get some sign off to be able to sign on for the rest of their lives. And, but probably multiple times to get enough money to, to be able to afford a nice house and a nice car and everything. So basically free money is basically what they wanted. Um, and also they wanted to have jobs even though they weren't qualified. So, that wasn't on. Um, so it was an ongoing battle. And this is still happening in the UK today and in America. So I hope everybody gets it sorted out. Because who wants to be treated by an unqualified sickness benefit, dull claiming person? Or imagine having surgery done. So it's really bad because although I was incredibly young when I started... And people were like, oh, she isn't qualified, she isn't qualified. I was actually qualified. Now, these people look the part. They're not even qualified. They're figments that have just been invented. And think, oh, yes, I, I'm, I'm going to be a surgeon. I've decided I'm much better than everybody else. And, and it's really like, you know, the way they talk down to you and they don't have any knowledge whatsoever is just, it's just, it's, just, it's incomprehensible to me. Anyway, so the point being is that I do have the power to heal. Oh, I did have the power to heal. And it comes and goes throughout my life. When I have the power to heal, I do heal. And when I, I think the last time I had the power to heal, which was years ago, I just walked up to the hospital and leant on the wall and healed as many people as I could. And I asked, this is how I do it, I just asked for them to be healed and that all... Um, what's the word for that? I can't remember what I said. All n objects within the body that should not be there to be ejected from the body. And there were so many bits and bobs that people had been invented with inside them all over the hospital. It was disgraceful. So whoever is inventing figments with blocks like shoes and and screwed up pieces of paper and bits of plastic and dolls and scissors and, and glass and pins and whatnot, they need to actually turn themselves in because that's really sick. Um, and that's one of the other reasons why um, we need to actually get qualified surgeons in the NHS because 
thousands, hundreds of thousands of people have been invented with objects inside them, which will cause heart problems, lung breathing problems, digestion problems, uh, back pain, all sorts of things. I don't think these people are going to be able to eject what is inside them that easily. They may need surgery if it's not in a place that can be ejected, like in the bowel, for instance. If it's in a, like, in between, like, a muscle group, then they can't eject it. They will need surgery. Um, all sorts. So it's not just the people who stuff people with things because they're sick in the head. It's people who invent people with stuff inside them because they're sick we need to get rid of these people and they need to be identified and prosecuted um so that's my secret for the medical <laughs> institutions please x-ray thanks my name is Rick say bye Hi, my name is Ricochet, and continuing with the secrets theme, and this secret is kind of, it's a secret because it's a personal experience, um, but it's not really um, a secret that anybody would know or believe, unless of course you know about the nuclear war. So this is the secret. The secret is that the nuclear war spanned a lot more years than one would think because of the time loops going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, I think one of the first, it might not have been one of the first bombs, but I was so say at the time and I could not believe that in Horizon the bombs went off and... It was just like, you know, you, you don't quite believe it. Like a puff of smoke. It was that far away. But obviously, to be that big, a smoker cloud, that is kind of big. Although I don't remember seeing it on the news or anything. There was a couple of bombs then. That was one of the Marlins. Um, and obviously she had help doing that as well. So I don't know who they are. Um, one time I was really scared and I asked bomb squad rang and said you've got to find out because you don't know where the bombs are sometimes you do sometimes you don't you have to find out and then it's like maybe it's too late mm, uh, I don't know or maybe you get there in the nick of time um but this occasion it was night time and I was really scared and I just did not know where the bombs were I knew they were in South London, I just didn't know where. And I was being driven. I was like, no, you're going the wrong way. This is North London, no, you It wasn't actually North London, we were kind of going on the way. It's like, you're going the wrong way, you're going the wrong way. And boom. I cannot believe it was like, through the back window, it was just like fire and red. And, and I just turned round and I was like, right then. Because once it's blown up, you, you know, obviously you've missed the window of actually being able to stop the bomb. 
And it was like, right, um, yeah, to North London and try and forget about that as quickly as possible because, I mean, it was huge. It was huge. It was like, you, you know, part of you knows that they're not going to survive in that. And the people that do that, what they do is they put it back together again with other people. Or maybe it's some of the same people, I don't know. But the thing is, it's just like, this makes everyone thick because when they come back, they're all disorientated and they don't know what's going on, and, you know. But I didn't grieve. I don't think I didn't. I didn't grieve. I was just like, this cannot be happening to me. This cannot be happening to me. Because as far as I'm concerned, this was happening to me. I'm the one that's supposed to sort it out. I'm the one that's supposed to find the bomb and de-detonate it. And quite a lot of them, I did do quite a lot of them. I found them. So... I mean, why didn't they stop? Because I felt like it was personal. They were doing it to me, for me to get find them. If I didn't find them, then it would I would be responsible for all those deaths. Not that that was what I was thinking. I did not think that. I just thought, you're mental. And I couldn't tell which Marlin or, or which Blomvidamir or which Idi Amin or which whoever, Tracy or Heidi or whoever it was, I couldn't tell which one was which that was doing it. So I had to find out by obviously getting to know them more and obviously getting it wrong quite a few times. And they gave out codes to people's mobile phones. And obviously not mine. So I had to go and get them off people. People didn't like that at all. I couldn't believe that they wouldn't give the police the codes to be able to de-detonate the bombs. I could just could not believe it. It was, just, it was just utter stupidity. No one was aware of the nuclear war. Hardly. It's like, did you not see South London blow up? Did you not see, I think it was Elin, Elin somewhere east blow up? Anyway, started happening in this area. And um, I missed the bomb and it blew up. I thought I had them, I think I got two or three, but there was um, another one which had a chain reaction on some other bombs. There were smaller ones, it weren't nuke, but still causing a lot of devastation. And then I just, I just gave up. I was like, well, you've just done it now, haven't you? Like, what do I do? I mean, how, first of all, how do I get them to stop inventing bombs? Yeah. And how do I stop getting people to think, oh yeah, that's a really cool idea, I know, let's bomb London. <laughs> there were people who were blatantly on their side, I mean a lot of people on their side, and a lot of people on their side that didn't give the bomb codes up. I mean, call me crazy, but you know, you don't bomb your own home and then start. <laughs> it just, it doesn't make sense that people are on their side, it really doesn't. It doesn't make sense that they did that in the first place either, but that is what happened. Uh, the secret was being is that... Imagine how old some of these buildings are, but they're not. That's what I mean. Like, you know, they were blown up, but they came back. So, exactly as they were, I guess. Or maybe slightly changed, who knows. But, um, yeah... Parliament went up and they did that two or three times and that was just horrible, horrible, devastating.
I just wonder if anyone ever remembers any of this. It's like, sometimes I feel like I'm the only one that remembers this stuff. But, anyway. The secret of the nuclear war. And the nukes were... Oh, they were horrible, horrible things. And they give you radiation poisoning, which is really not nice. You have to eat kale for ages and castor oil. And Oh my God, I can't stand kale. But anyway, um, unless it's with bacon. quite like it with bacon. <laughs> but it really does help if you end up with um, radiation poisoning because, oh, you were in the war and didn't realise it. Kale really helps and so does castor oil. So I guess that's a quite a good secret because they're really good at working. Anyway, this is Red Cachet saying goodbye and thank you for your time. Bye. Hi everyone, it's Red Cachet and continuing with the secrets theme. Um, this is a bit more on the environment and it's a bit about the power. Um, so, as everyone knows, during the Armageddon and well before and still now, but particularly during the Armageddon, um, the environmental problems that the earth faced was just huge. If it wasn't one thing, it was another. And obviously it was all related. It was like, you know, the sun was too hot. People were burning on the street. Um, <laughs> there, there were sparks coming off the floor. And if you land, well, if any of those sparks landed on you, you'd probably disappear. That's how strong those rays were. And obviously, you don't just... Well, people are disappearing because they're figments, so figments didn't actually stay around for that much, for that long. A huge swathes of people died in that. And then, obviously, one of those people started inventing figments again, so they might be quadruplets of them now. Anyway, um, and then there's the air quality as well. When the air was so thin, it was hard to breathe in certain areas. Um, because there was no, the sun had burnt off all the greenery and everything. Um, and so less and less oxygen was being produced. Anyway, um, so before the air thinned out anyway, as far as, I'm, I mean, thin enough, so thin that you need breathing apparatus. Before that happened, um, the forests, um, obviously we need to, we need to put the forests in straight away. And um, we used, well, when I was Cleopatra, I used the power to create, I think there was about 12 of them, little ecosystems which were in like, you know, like snowstorm things, but it wasn't a snowstorm. It was like a little ecosystem for different environments. So like, you know, for different countries. So there'd be like a cold one or, you know, with Russian plants or, and then there was like sort of Scandi ones and then, uh, like hot country ones and things like that. And it had little, its own little environment in there. I mean, it was beautiful. They were beautiful. Um, and I had to smuggle them out of the country to get them because nobody wanted them. And I was just like, this is perfect. All you do is just smash it and it will turn, it will terraform. You know, like in Terry Pratchett's um, book called The Terraformer, I think it's called Terraformer. Um, and basically it's like um, an environment unfolding. And that's what these things do. And I gave some to the monks to get them out. We, I smuggled them out of the country first, but then we were set upon by the saboteurs who 
destroyed them, or destroyed some of them. So there was a few left. There wasn't that many left. Um, so I think one of the monks had one, or some couple of monks had them. Maybe nuns had some as well, I'm not sure. Uh, and I had one. So I took one to Germany and smashed it. And, oh, it was amazing. It really was amazing. It was like exactly how you see it on you know, on TV when you see something terraform, it was exactly like that, it was fantastic. So the scientist wasn't too pleased. I told him not to stand too near, but he got stuck in the tree. Uh, the tree was like growing so fast. Well, one of the trees, because it turned into a forest. One of the trees was growing so fast, it sort of like, and he was like, oh my God, I've got to see this close up. And of course a branch came out and whirled round him and, and they got stuck in a tree. <laughs> took us ages to get him out, because you can't, if you, you try and get someone out of a tree when it's growing that quickly, obviously it just sprouts a new branch and it's harder to you have to wait for it to stop growing. <laughs> and the ground was moving as well because obviously the roots are growing underneath with all the different trees. So you're supposed to stand back. Obviously that was his first time. I think it was my first time actually as well. But really, if you someone tells you to stay back, just stay back. Yeah. <laughs> but it was alright, it was fine and I think that forest has calmed down completely and like got all its wildlife and everything and really glad those forests some of those forests survived to create um, a home for loads and loads of animals and create fresh air for people to breathe in that part of the country um, so that's a little secret about the power that wasn't, I mean that's not something that's like normal or anything like that obviously but it was a, an adventure for lots of people who who knew and wanted those forests in their country the ones that obviously the ecosystems could support but yeah it was amazing experience and hopefully even if you do you growing trees like we grew like a fruit forest in Rhodesia just from seed and that was from it was in Egypt and in the pictures in Egypt They've got like leopards in trees. And I just thought, you know what? When I go to Africa and I've seen leopards and everything, they're not in the trees. I've never seen a leopard in a tree. Why would they be in the trees? And I looked at the picture again, I see fruits. And I figured, that's why, because none of those, the, all the fruit trees are gone. So we thought, okay, let's just plant some fruit trees. And now they've got leopards in their trees. It took ages for that to grow. That was all natural. Um... And when I went back as well to have a look at the rest of the country, we planted loads of cabbages and stuff. I got loads of things from Sutton's. I think Sutton's was the main one that we did in Rhodesia. There's a bit Thompson and Morgan. Obviously, any fruit that I'd eaten, I'd save the pips and stuff and just plant them willy-nilly all around just so in the off... Rhodesia was quite... It's got red earth, but it did rain. But there was just nothing there and it was just like everything had disappeared like tree-wise. So obviously they need loads more trees so that's what we did. So wildlife went to the trees straight away obviously because it's food, fruit trees and stuff. And um, we planted, I think we planted watermelons and cabbages and stuff um, around this little lake thing. And all the rhinos were playing football with the cabbages. It was brilliant really good fun so I played a little bit of football with a baby rhino <laughs> anyway that's me Red Cachet signing off cheers bye hi everyone it's Red Cachet and continuing with the secrets theme 
Um, today's secret is the continuing saga of Black Beauty. Now, those of you who are old enough to know, um, unless it's on repeat, I don't know, brilliant, brilliant TV show, um, is basically Black Beauty is a TV show about a horse, a black horse, that saves the day, basically. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, like, like an animal show. Well, it's not an animal show, but if you had a dog, the dog would come and save the day. And the same with the horse, basically. And Black Beauty has saved my life so many times. Um, it was a continuing saga because when you film, we were filming Black Beauty in because I have my life gets filmed basically, so whatever my adventures are, they get filmed, and usually they turn into a story or a film, which is how we kind of make money. But I'm not sure if we. I think that kind of went to the country. I think, or maybe the war effort. I'm not sure. Anyway, um, so with thing with Black Beauty is as there's several sagas because Black Beauty had um, like comes. And goes basically, and Black Beauty is is like more than one horse, um. But the one that I wanted to talk about was the one that started off. Um, we went. I don't know why we were in the mine. Well, we had to go to the mine, anyway, for some reason. Um, find out what the miners were doing, or maybe we were just passing. I don't know. Anyway, so obviously that's a bit of an adventure going in the mine because there's a danger in the mines and that's obviously that it might collapse and the old mines they used to be like pulleys it used to be like um a pulley system that they used to use or on there sometimes they use the wheelie things but it's ropes basically and oil lamps and obviously they're coal mines so you've got to make sure that they don't ignite the coal or anything like that it's got to be you know there were gas problems as well, or like safety level things. Um, so they had, you know, back in the day, they had the whole health and safety thing going on. But for whoever was sabotaging us, there was always something that went wrong down the mines. Not that we ever remembered when we went down there. So, and they used to take horses down there as well. The mines were big enough to be able to take um, a horse to, to cart the coal out of the mine. Um... So it's kind of like um like lift system, kind of levels. They had levels, and you can the the air changes as you go down, as well. Um, so they kind of like you kind of have resting points and things like that. Um, and you're always starving, hungry when you come out of the mine, and covered in black dust, coal dust. Anyway, so there was this time when um. I don't know if it was even in the same time, but basically you'd be thanking your lucky stars that you got out of the, the you know, when the, the mine collapses, basically. And it's like all those films, you're like, OK, because you have to you have to move out of the way of when the, the rocks are falling down and blocking your path. Um, and the thing is, not that you ever think this, but what happens is the air gets thinner because obviously the air is cut. The lower down you are, the less air there is, and the blocks, the the stones and whatever, are covering up the air holes. So we have to basically dig ourselves out, and the way that they've got like pickaxe things and dig us out. Um, and basically that happened in the mine. 
um, there was about three or four of us, and because um, you're not allowed to speak really loudly in case it the echo things like cause like a little earthquake thing, but um, there was a bang and. I don't know what it was, whether it was a gun or somebody, I don't know what it was, or it could have been a gas bang or something, like that. I don't know, but there was a bang and the rocks collapsed around us, so we got trying to pick ourselves out and we took it in turns to have a little dig uh, to conserve energy because obviously the the lack of oxygen would make us get tired quickly. So we all took it in turns to, to dig a little bit and there was people, miners on the other side trying to dig us out and everything. So we eventually got out and they had the horses dragging things out, helping. Um, so we eventually got out and um, they there was a horse with us as well. And I don't know, I can't remember if that was Black Beauty, but there were several horses down there that were really scared, covered in black dust, obviously. And um, we got them all out. We got us out and the other miners that were trapped in different parts. And we all came out and we were just like, thank you, thank you, thank you that we got out of this mine. And um, and the, the horse that saved us, I think it was Black Beauty. And Black Beauty wasn't actually black. He was just black because he just come out of the mine. And we were just like, you know, you are the best horse ever. And... Um, so like we recovered and everything, had some food and everything, and, and um, Black Beauty on all the horses basically were round. We wanted to go riding. We didn't have saddles then; it was just like bareback. And um, yeah, Black Beauty took me on some amazing, amazing adventures. Especially when I was trying to run away from things, I was just thinking, how am I going to get to wherever I was? If I had the problem of getting to London or getting for to Manchester or or get wherever I was going or I thought I was going anyway somebody would say look you are needed here and they not necessarily always give me a lift you know what I mean there's no cars and whatnot then days um obviously it's horses so um black beauty used to take me everywhere I have to find out everything how to get this or this place and that place and usually I just let the horse go wherever it was taking me and um black beauty just knows where to go so that was my secret of getting stuck down a mine. That's not the first time I've been stuck down a mine. A few times. And it is not nice. Um, but they're professionals and they got us all out. And we were lucky. People have died in those mines. But but we didn't. So fantastic. Um, thank you Black Beauty for saving my life. And making some brilliant Saturday afternoon and Saturday morning TV shows. That's my secret. That's me, Red Gachet. Bye. Hello, it's Red Gachet and continuing with the secrets theme. This is kind of a secret which some has been filmed, some has not. Um, I think the majority has not. And it's about mermaids. So basically, there's been a gazillion stories about mermaids. And the first one that I remember was when we were on a boat this is back in the day and back in the day when you had like floating sponges which looked like islands that that far back and we were on the boat and um these 
sirens and mermaids weren't really the same thing in them days as far as I was aware anyway and sometimes we've been on a ship for so long and sometimes it was reported that the sailors would just be like staring off at one of the sponges and saying that there's somebody there or that they they can hear the song and they'd be drawn to it and sometimes they'd get the whole ship involved but um and there was never anything there except once I I looked I was like okay let's have a look and then I thought yeah there is someone so I thought okay let's go down have a look and um there was this kind of I don't know whether it was a siren or a mermaid or just a thing or we were all hallucinating. I have no idea. But the sailor was completely captivated, completely captivated. And in the end, we had to pull him back, pull him back in. And there was something. I mean, we saw tails, but I can't say what it was. Anyway, so that was the first first time. And then, obviously, in books and things, I saw drawings of what people drew and what people said. Loads of songs about mermaids. And and when the fascination of Under the Ocean was, you know, brought to me, obviously, there's, like, diving and stuff and, and submarines and things like that to have a look to see, and it's beautiful. Um, anyway, jumping to the future, well, as I say future, it's like, modern times and this wasn't so long ago this is like people I know will remember this if they're the same people I don't know if they're doppelgangers or not but anyway there was loads of us down Greenwich and um we're like yeah let's be mermaids let's be mermaids and obviously we'd obviously had a few drinks I'm pretty sure that might have been why anyway so people started like jumping in the water and everything I was just like oh don't be stupid and this was like going on for a, a bit of a scene down there and um <coughs> There was also, like, saboteurs there. So, anyway, so I jumped in the water and I thought, yeah, you know what? I'm going to be a mermaid like I can stay down here. Anyway, so I turned into a mermaid and then some other people going, oh, man, how do you do that? Let me do that. So I let them do it. And then there was loads of people just jumping in the water, turning into mermaids and mermen, swimming around, having a brilliant time. And some of them didn't even want to come back. And, um, anyway, so most of us got out again and just thought, no, let's be human, land lovers, you know what I mean? And then we hadn't really thought that through. No one wants really just to be the mermaid for the rest of their lives. But some people did. And we had the job getting them back. We had to track them. And they went all the way to Australia. Um, Came back because mermaids can swim quite fast. And there was a call. We had to call them. I can't remember what that call. I think it's just literally a screech. And they have to come. Um, But they wouldn't come out of the water and there was like two girls in particular who were really obstinate that they wanted to be mermaids for the rest of their lives who we were like no your parents are going to be really really angry you've got to come out of the water now they wouldn't but we ended up catching them and obviously if they've been you know the whole thing about mermaids is if you then come onto land then you grow legs well you don't grow legs it's sort of like turn into legs so then they didn't have their tails and they had to go back home to their parents and I'm pretty sure this was actually in the newspapers maybe it was I know it was filmed that part when they're going home bit of the two girls who wanted to be mermaids <laughs> anyway um loads of people I know should remember that story I don't know if um, anyone does we've never talked about it since because I was like no I'm not talking about this I'm not having people harassing me to be mermaids and stuff like that but, um, yeah, it was really good fun. Really good fun being a mermaid because 
the thing about being underwater is that everything's in slow-mo, pretty much. Because it's like, oh, all the, you know, the, the underground or the underwater uh, plant flora is like floating around and all the fish are just cash. Everything's really like slow-mo and really chilled. Whereas outside in the modern world, it's all like boom, 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 boom. Do this, do that, move that, get out of the way of that, avoid that. Oh no, look who's there. Let's do that. In the water, it's just like, everything's slow and it's really nice and chilled. So I can see the attraction. It's really like a slower, more obviously simple kind of being, I guess. Really like, focuses you on things whereas out here it's like boom boom, boom 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 all the time anyway that's my secret so all those people that I know who wanted to be mermaids and got really annoyed with me when I wouldn't let them sorry and for those people who know because they did get to be mermaids you can either not corroborate my story or you can fess all right That's me, Red Gachet. Thanks. Bye. Hi, my name's Red Gachet, and continuing with the secrets theme, um, I am talking about the monarchy in England. Now, the monarchy in England are all frauds, and they are frauds, who have been on TV making sure that everyone thinks that that's what they are. Now, it didn't start off like that. The reason this has started, except for one who is not a fraud, the front queen. The, the queen was asked to do this, therefore she is not a fraud. She has been asked by me, who is the rightful queen, to front. The others just joined in to help. When they were asked to stop, they did not. So therefore they are frauds. Um, All of their history has been put into place because people wanted them to be puppets for England. And Blonde Vladimir, or one of them, made sure that there was a history. And I I said yes to document the history simply because I wanted everything to be documented, but not to be documented as, oh, this is the truth, but say this, this happened. Now, worse and worse happened that people wanted to get paid for doing publicity and this, that and the other and having nice cars and having nice clothes and being at gala events and all of that. So that's why they continued. Anyway, the point is they're not real royals and I don't see why we should continue with this charade after I've said to stop doing it for years now. Um, I actually think that they, we need to have a, a general, um, not an outing, but basically we need to have the truth outed so that none of these mistakes can happen again. The other thing I wanted to talk about is that England has a king. Now, England's never had a king before. As I said, all the other kings were, in fact, actors or people who were pretending to be king or queen. Anyway, so the reason England has a king now is not because I have actually married, although I tried to get married to this king. We got murdered in Westminster Abbey and loads of officials got murdered as well. There was lots of paedophiles, unfortunately, attacked. And the children were there and they were very, very scared. 
Now this happened on a groundhog day in the middle of the Armageddon when there was lots of, there was bombs going off basically. So it's not recorded. I've just had a big argument because somebody just told me that I was a liar. I'm not lying. And I hope to, I hope, during one of these wedding things, which happened a few times, there were children who were being chased by the paedophiles who hid underneath my skirt. And I had to walk very slowly out of the church to get them out safely. Now, if any of those children are in fact alive, and remember this, please comment. And anybody else who remembers this wedding where we all got murdered, it was in Westminster Abbey and I was marrying the king, who unfortunately, I couldn't remember his name. I think it's Andrew. It's been so long ago now. I'm betrothed to this man and I don't know if he still wants to marry me, so I'm not even going to go there. But the point was that he was going to come and get me after I've been unaware. Unfortunately, I've been through getting slagged off and called a prostitute for God knows how long. So I don't think he'll probably want to marry me anyway. But that's not the point. The point is we're betrothed and until that betrothal is either uh, like resulting in a marriage or resulting in a both of us saying no actually we're going to go our separate ways it's still a betrothal um and as such that means i will be only for him or not until it's over anyway um the other thing i wanted to say was that i need proof of this i know loads of people were killed loads of dignitaries were killed and i apologize to all of those countries, if they have lost some very, very important people, and send my condolences. Um, I tried to defend. As you know, this happened a few times. The Groundhog Day of that wedding happened a few times. That was the wedding day when I went a bit mad and went to Tesco's and decided to get coronation chicken for... Like a snack, like snack wedding dinner or you know there was Corinne's I must have been mad we were having it in the car park I think I went mad anyway wouldn't you if you got shot on your wedding day thinking that you were married anyway anyway I came back died and came back and I think I repeated that wedding day a few times that's what I mean by the Groundhog Day of it. But anyway there must be people who remember this and the murderers yeah I know who you are so don't ever come near me. Don't ever bother Andrew. Don't ever bother anyone I know because I'll fucking grass you. Excuse my language. Anyway, hopefully the police have got them already and looked over this wedding footage evidence. Although it was during the Armageddon. So yeah, lots of things went off. The other reason why I decided to come out as queen at that time was because the front queen came to me and said that the plan was of the dirty Indian followers um, that they were going to ruin the monarchy by calling the queen a prostitute which I thought was absolutely ridiculous because the queen's like 80 something or whatever and I just thought no this can't happen I didn't take it seriously but when she came to me I took it seriously and I was not going to put her in the way of this sabotage of I mean just complete and utter idiocy so I came out I said no you I'll, put, I'll be in front so I was in front and I said look I am the real queen um she was fronting for me and 
then the crowd turned on me. So, all of those people that think ruining the monarchy is a laugh, it isn't. We are the people who are sorting out the country. We are the people that get the money to pay for all the government things that projects and whatnot that go on. We are the people that help make the country run. We are the people that try and make everything safe. So, no, I do not accept the general public's idea of calling the monarchy a prostitute because, in fact, anyone who is illegitimate, like a person who has had a child who is not married or a child who has parents who are not married, the whole family would be considered prostitutes. Or, if you sell your body for money, then you would be a prostitute. Now, I am neither of those things. And not only did I get slagged off during the Armageddon for years, and just recently it stopped, I was also abused badly by people who were invented figments, who thought it was acceptable to rape people to get what you want. Well, it isn't, and it's against the law. So hopefully you now know that rape is against the law. And also that slagging people off is pointless. And that that queen who is fronting me, who you you know the pictures of, she is not to be slagged off at all for what she has done because she has done it with my blessing. The other royals, no. All of those... Meghan Markle and Prince Harry and all of that, I told them not to do that. They went ahead and did it and they've actually just messed things up more and more. So I'm not happy with them and they need to stop. Anyway, to the king, King Andrew, I believe his name is. I hope it is because otherwise I've said it all wrong. We had a thing about not telling other people our real names because they were basically trying to ruin our reputations. So that's why. And it's been a long time, I've forgotten. Anyway, he is the first king of England. He is king not because we actually got married, because we didn't actually finish the wedding because we were murdered. He is king because I ordained him. As queen, I am allowed to ordain the next king. So it's a bit backwards because I should have got married first. Would have, had I not been murdered. But ordaining him king during the war was the most sensible thing I could think of because I could not allow me being undermined so badly to not be able to get the country country straightened and I needed to have a male figure because obviously being female I was being persecuted and religious being persecuted by the people that were just being invented anyway so Andrew if you are out there can you please make sure that the media get this and know that England needs to know about the true royal line, which is only me and you. So, yeah, I think we need to know about that. Cheers. It's Megan. I say Megan because I call myself Megan at work, but it's Red Gachet or Megan. Thank you very much. Bye. Hello, my name is Red Gachet. I'm continuing with the secrets theme. Um, Today's secret is should be documented in law, in fact, um, but it was in like a time gone by, but sort of encapsulated, so it might not be documented in law. Anyway, the subject of this legal issue 
um, back in the day was usually witchcraft. And a lot of things were attributed to witchcraft, which probably weren't witchcraft at all. But it was a time when people were scared um, and didn't know much. They were pretty much uneducated people. People weren't didn't know how to read or write. It was just, you know, spoken language, really. Um, this is before electricity, by the way. So anything that was a bit odd, you know, things going missing or things suddenly appearing were quite often attributed to um, witchcraft. Anyway, so the witchcraft laws were in full swing um, and there were um, inquisitors, as it were, um, and I remember being queen, obviously, I had to be learned in um, legal issues um, because, obviously, if there was any threat to the throne, I would be able to defend legally, um, assuming that people respected the law, which I quite often find is, is not the case. But anyway, back to the story. Um, so I was asked to attend, just attend, just to to attend the hearing of the case of the talking pig. And I didn't believe the pig could talk. So I, I um, just watched. And the case was made that somebody had hexed the pig so that the pig was talking. And, and I was thinking, you know what, this is not quite right. There's something a bit wrong here, you know what I mean? And I was thinking, what is it? And the case carried on and they were getting all angry about it and stuff and the pig didn't do anything. And then someone said, what do you say to that? Or something like that. And the pig just grunted and everyone cracked up laughing because it didn't start talking at all. So we're like, okay, well, how do we know that the pig was talking? The farmer was saying the pig had been very rude and um, that's how we knew. I was like, okay. Now, in my line of work, sometimes I come across abnormal things. And one of the things that would occur to me in a case like that was that the pig wasn't a pig at all. And in fact, a person that had been turned into a pig, which also sounds mad. So didn't really want to go there. But part of me was thinking, has anybody gone missing in the village? Which I don't know if I said so or not. When we later visited it, because I remember recalling this to somebody else, and there was another repeat of it, the judge and the barrister turned into farmyard animals. And this was attributed to the same witch, who was then thought of as somebody who'd left the building. So then there was a bit of a witch hunt and everything. Anyway, we caught her, somebody we all know, and burnt her alive. And she's never forgiven me. But, you know, you shouldn't be turning people into um, farmyard animals. really isn't right. Anyway, so the talking pig carried on. It did, in fact, talk to me afterwards. After we'd all decided that it wasn't a talking pig, um, the pig was let loose because the farmer didn't want him. And I just, we all sort of, like, just left. And I was sort of walking around being a kid. I was just, like, you know, not really wanting to hang around with the adults too much. So I was, like, wandering around. I thought, oh, there's that pig. And and the pig was like, you right? But he didn't actually say that. He's kind of like, hello. 
I was like, why didn't you say anything inside the court? He was like, he was scared. I was like, right, okay. I said, well, don't, are you a person? And he was like, he doesn't know. So I was like, okay, well, were you, you know, what do you want to do? And he said, I'm just going to go over here. I was like, okay. So now that was a free pig. I mean, like, you know, like free man or something like that. But this was like a free pig just wandering around talking to himself. Anyway, I know it's very hard to believe, but then mm, so are hexen beasts. Um, and so are all the other mad creatures and mermaids and all sorts that have um, been in our lands. <laughs> anyway, so that's the secret with the, um, the legal issue. But interestingly enough, the witchcraft laws are laws which basically you can prosecute with if there is something that um, is deemed to be witchcraft. But it's depending on what you consider to be witchcraft, really, because there's the power, which I don't consider to be witchcraft, which I think is used by witches. So whether that's witchcraft or not, I don't know. The law will decide. Um, and also the law will decide whether the, you, if you're using some kind of magic power, as it were, and you're using it for evil purposes, then yes, I would consider that witchcraft. But it depends on, depends on the judge, really, what they say. Because not all witches use, you know, cauldrons and things like that and put whatever into their cauldrons. Witchcraft started off as being, you know, a, uh, like, remedies, herbal remedies and things like that. And then turned into something quite different. Anyway, so with the... I got hunted as a witch once as well. And with the inquisitors around, it was terrible. And I thought it was actually within this film we were doing that I was hunted as a witch. And um, unfortunately, my school friends weren't very intelligent, I have to say. And they were basically blaming me for everything, as they always do. Um, so I sort of thought, OK, forget it. But they had this witch test, which I came up with, unfortunately. <laughs> um, that if you dunk a witch and she lives, then obviously she's a witch. If she dunk a witch and she drowns, then obviously she's not a witch. Which I only came up with that as like a like sarcastic comment kind of thing. And um, anyway, so that's what happened to me. And obviously I didn't die. So um, then I got burnt at the stake, but they couldn't kill me. So I got a bit bored because it was just like, you know, have you finished trying to torture me now? But um, they hadn't finished. <laughs> So they thought they'd leave me for another half hour or so. So I was burning alive, although I wasn't actually burning. And um, I was like, okay, can you let me go? Anyway, the, the fire burnt the rope. So I was like, okay, I'm going. See you later. <laughs> and um, walked off. They couldn't do anything. I was just like, I think that was one of the last cases of witchcraft that I heard of in those days. In these days, there's plenty more witchcraft cases. And... There were some witches that were invented for one of the books, the World Dahl book, um, called The Witches. And they refused to disappear. And there are other loads of people go, no, 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 they're real. But they weren't. They were actually invented to be witches in this book by whoever. I don't know who did that. But honestly, I've seen them on a train. It's like really freaky. And they know I can't stand them. 
and they really are like gossiping hags but anyway um so that's where some of the witches came from some of these stories where people said no they're real people they're real people and they're not they're like witches have you read world doll have you seen how dark that is because that's who's walking around london anyway um i'll leave you with that thought um and don't have nightmares because religion will combat this. Holy water is brilliant. And I th- believe holy water is now available in Guinness, in Ireland anyway. Um, if not, you can make your own. Basically, just get s- some Volvic or some, some water and pray over it and just sprinkle it around to um, ward off evil, basically. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say was that... If you have any health-related which problems, which you consider to be witchcraft, then obviously religion and holy water. Um, but if it's skin-related, which a lot of them are, although the plague has been attributed to witches as well, um, you might want to visit my blog, um, which has the cure to AIDS and cancer. And also um, there's an article on oiling, which cures baldness and eczema and... Um, liver problems and all sorts of things like that and I can't even remember the address myself but anyway the if you just put my name in Red Gachet um, it'll be on my Facebook profile or here it is HTTPS semicolon that's two dots forward slash forward slash my big fat six nine zero four six five zero three dot blog and that's health and sabotage blog and it's got loads of articles um if you're worried about health and stuff um with kind of natural remedies so you can do at home so that you don't have to go to hospital and stuff like that or if you do go to hospital and stuff like that go to the doctor first to make sure you'll get referred but if you don't like going to the doctor do this stay healthy and pray that's me red gachet thanks bye Hi, my name's Rit Gachet and carrying on with the secrets theme, um, I wanted to tell you about um, a secret, which is not so much a secret to me or to the people that I've told, obviously, but it's a secret to practically everyone else, I guess. Um, And it's about the times when the clergy said that the population in England was becoming big enough and ordered enough to um have to need a government this conversation went on for quite a long time as in like you know over more than one day obviously weeks and months and years until they'd come up with um the i guess i had to give the say so of the yay or nay um i agreed that this would be a good thing but we needed to find out more so we went to greece and we found out about democracy and other ways of how other countries that were um, older than England, um, how they dealt with things. And um, there, obviously the whole Roman thing in England was a thing. Um, but finding out about democracy, we thought it was quite a fair way of doing things but for England, because it was across the whole of Europe that this idea had um, spread to. So it was like, well, how are we going to do it? Because there was like lots of different um, 
things we had to take into consideration and part of it is that if the government is in the capital city which it should be but then does the government's reach reach you know like northern england and scotland and wales and so forth because the problem we had had for years was that when marauding went on or people pretending to be lords and whatnot they just say right taxes and just rob everybody and nobody would ever hear about it in london it would just be you know like well and someone would be like help about a few months later the army would go but it's too late by then so that was the consideration how was the government going to be heard across the whole of england and this government needed support obviously because then the legal aspect of everything would be heard and people would know this is not right these people need to be arrested and and that the army could get there easily so apart from that there was also how was it going to be democratic um which was a bit of a bony contention because the clergy brought this idea forward and expected to be put into government because it was just them that was doing all the thinking and the clergy were actually at the time the most intelligent people in England about everything everything and um maybe still are and there was one guy I can't remember what he, he was I don't I don't know if he was a like I don't think he was ranked particularly but he was a learned man and he was thinking that he should be prime minister or be involved with the the government because he was also a learned man and his idea was i can't actually remember but it wasn't far off from what we were saying so i just thought you know what you're saying exactly what the clergy is saying let's all do this together and it didn't it didn't occur to me that it was wrong to have people who weren't within the ecclesiastical order to be in government at the time i still don't think that I do think, however, that people in government should be religious because that means that they've got the moral values to keep the country stable and balanced and their ideas will be within a, a moral code frame. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, so this went on for some time and eventually it was decided that the what was needed for government would be what was most important to the people. So the most important things were obviously um, protection from the marauders, um, the obviously peace and happiness, um, health, family, um, and then it became like travel and work um, and communication. Um, it was then like education um, and being close to churches, being able to pray, um, having that came in hand in hand with education because the first education was religious um, because obviously the only people that were educated pretty much were in fact the clergy. So they would be the educators. Um, they didn't necessarily do it within churches all the time because they weren't enough. They were still being built. This was later and later and eventually there was other things like um whether people could afford certain things that was housing thing issues before people used to just build their own houses now they don't really do that 
Um, then there's obviously travel because they were wanted to go to the new world and, and they wanted to go to the new world because there was so much abuse in England and unfairness by people who were pretending to be um, people of authority and just taking the piss basically. Um, so people fled to America. I'm a bit ashamed to say that we couldn't do anything about it. Not everyone was fleeing. Some people just wanted to make their fortune into America and then come back to England and sort the family out. A lot of people did that as well. And some people just fled. Um, so there was lots and lots of issues going on. Um, and eventually, the Houses of Parliament were magicked. And the decision was that there could should be no one single person could take on all of those issues and be singly responsible because it was just like too much having one person answerable for all of those things. So we decided to split it up with between three parties, which would be obviously the Conservative, Labour and the Lib Dems. Um, and I'm not sure if the Lib Dems had a different name then. Can't remember but anyway it was definitely three and the reason being is because the magnitude of the responsibility that goes with looking after each of those issues is so huge that it's like where where would you begin like how do you deal with the, what one person dealing with all that no it has to be a party a collection of people dealing with these issues um split up to make it manageable um and we and but the other thing it was was we always had it in mind that we'd have one person who would be the true prime minister because nobody wanted to be the front person nobody wanted to be the person that says stands up in front of everyone and says actually it's this or be on tv and go actually it's this or whatever it is um so there would be like one prime minister behind all of those people who would make the heavy decisions um but they got murdered and I think they got murdered a few times. Those That Prime Minister would have been Tory because the problems that we had in the very, very beginning of thinking about government, before even government was invented, it was always protection and from these marauder people. Um, so we needed somebody who was Tory to be able to protect the land and then the sea. Um, so that is why the police, the army, or the armed forces basically would be collectively, not individually, it's up to them what they want to be individually, but collectively they would hold a conservative standpoint simply because it's about protection. And with protection, you need to have moral values and you also need to be able to instill moral values within new people well i say new people just like the people um which goes hand in hand with the religious aspect as well anyway so that kind of stopped because they kept getting murdered so then it became the three parties but then along the way it was like oh only one party can be in power which everyone knows about this but then it was like the rest of the other party the other two parties would then be left out and nothing would get done and it that can't happen we need all of those ideas in order for England to work basically you can't not have law and order you can't not have good working conditions you can't not have 
a fantastic environment or look after the environment. Um, there's loads and loads of issues I'm not mentioning, obviously, there's loads more. But I mean, as a whole, we need to think as a whole. So whichever party is in power, which only just happened within the army Armageddon, um, that we sorted it out. So whichever party would be in charge, no matter what, the other two parties would still have to do their job, which means there would need to be budget for them to do their job regardless. So we don't, it doesn't, it's not, we, the government don't drop the ball, basically. It still happens. Um, and within any war scenario, there will be a Tory government because of that protection thing. Um, so, what was my secret? Yeah, okay. So, we went to Greece and we wanted to find out about democracy. So we found out how they did it and they were like standing on, um, they had like a little stage thing and you stand up and then you discuss everything or you say what you want to happen and then there's like yays and nays at the end of it. Um, people basically, the senators, senators were in the senate the people that are making up the audience the senate were voting on whether they think something's a good idea or not and it was simple as that basically which is what we decided to bring to england the voting aspect that is so that the party that would be in power would be based on on a vote and this was done by household male house like the it was the like the father or whoever the eldest male would have the vote for the household so it would only be one vote per household not every single person having a vote um and when we were in greece anyway i was thinking about this and i was like couldn't understand all of it anyway but um sometimes i could and sometimes they spoke in latin and um i remember thinking this was like really odd the ideas that they were bringing up was some of them were really like like inconsequential to me anyway and I was thinking why would they bring this idea up within here but now you look at things now and you think obviously they were not just dealing with their country they were dealing with a lot of countries they were dealing with armies and they were dealing with how do we get the food to the army how do we how do we get everybody to start thinking in a fair way to be well moraled and to basically not to be on their side basically and I was just thinking this is amazing i mean it's it is it's amazing it's 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 an idea that I have been given as well, and I completely understand how people might be offended, but at the same time I can't see how else it would work i think the greeks were completely correct in this they had an empire and yes individuals may have been bad apples within that army that was conquering but they were amazing i mean amazing I, just to think how they do these things i mean oh my god the romans the same everything we were all doing it the romans and the greeks had exactly the same idea basically everybody needs to be ordered and that order where does order come from what is order there is only one order and that's religion there is no other whole idea that protects 
and I know the initial part is quite violent, but let's not do the violence. Let's just do it logically. What other idea is there? That's what we want for England. We want a whole idea that's holistic in every way in one sense. We want everything to work. We don't want things to be smashed down to pieces and then start again. That's just destruction. We don't want destruction. We want peace, harmony and everything working like a well-oiled machine. Anyway, um, kind of know, I guess, that the Greeks and the Romans were like fantabulous, so. Um, but, I mean, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, when you think about how they talk, well, when they talk then, it's just like, you're not talking about a country, are you? You are talking about a whole empire. And that's what I found amazing. Anyway, democracy can be a number of different, you can use democracy in a number of different ways. We've got like social media now. Um, we've got um, the, the obviously the voting systems. Um, and we've got um, like focus groups. We've got all different ways to ask people's opinions to see what people like and don't like. Because at the end of the day, when things don't work, people say all over the place on different platforms and mediums. And then someone goes, oh yeah, that's a good idea. We should fix that for them. And then they go and fix that. And that's, that's sorted. That's what I like about government. When government works, it's brilliant because you just go, yep, someone said this and, and then we tested it over here and, it, and they all thought the same thing. So we thought, right, let's do that. Oh, that's done. Sorted. Tick. That's what I want government to be. Like tick, 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 tick. We need to stop this furlough and get back to work as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, that's me, Red Gachet. Thank you for listening. Bye. Hi, my name's Ricochet, and continuing with the secrets theme, um, it's a little bit about how stable but unstable England was. So, depending on what you call stable, England was looking from the outside and also from within very stable in Victorian times because of the industry that was booming, new innovation, um, factories, employment, um, new building, parliament was in full swing. If you look at in the archives of Victorian papers, you'll see there's lots and lots and lots of political um, commentary and cartoons. Cartoons were pretty good. Um, but what was unstable about it was that what I had said for my government, Her Majesty's government after all, um, was completely misconstrued. Not only was it completely misconstrued, I was either murdered and then found myself on the streets of London or chucked out the palace again. Anyway, because they never believed who I was. Or they murdered some of the staff and the horrible staff came. I always called them the horrible people because that's what they were like. And I ended up in, I got caught by the police and ended up in the workhouse. Oh, that was terrible. They were terrible. They really, it was like moms, matrons, kind of people trying to make me do things. But I was too little, so I couldn't do anything. So nobody wanted me in the mill. <laughs> um, they wanted older children that were, were, had more dexterity with their fingers and had more concentration to do work because I couldn't be bothered. I didn't see why I should do that. 
Anyway, so that obviously meant that England was unstable. Like now. Anyway, what happened in Parliament was the workhouses were supposed to be, as they are now, houses built for people who don't live in London or for people who didn't have anywhere to live that would then work for that company. So it was supposed to be like they had accommodation for working for that company. It wasn't supposed to be you were like a slave to the workhouse, which pretty much is what everyone saw it as. You basically couldn't afford anything. They took money for your keep and and basically you didn't have anything left. But that was basically it. They just basically housed and, and fed you not very nice things. And um, and that was it, and you worked. Or you were on the street. So that was the threat, homelessness. So that's why people ended up just doing what they were told, basically. Um, and what it was supposed to be, and government should have made sure of this, is that the houses were, in fact, just accommodation and for people who worked at the factory. So, yes, they might have taken some money out for for rent or food or something. But you still have money left over because that's what happens in, you know, you must have something more than that. Anyway, so that's what it was. That was the one thing I noticed was terrible. Also, the thing that was really bad in Victorian times was that they had, unless the Lord Chancellor was there, I could not get any of the adults to realise that they didn't know what they were talking about. A lot of them were figments, um, new figments, and they basically would put themselves at the top of the part, uh, the pile, if you like, um, considering themselves brand new and therefore untainted by what life throws at you. Now, we all know by now, whether you're a figment or human, doesn't matter, that you can't go through life without having a few cuts and grazes. There's all kinds of unexpected turns absolutely everywhere. So... Obviously, they got lampooned quite a lot because they really didn't know what they were talking about. And plus, they all thought that they could speak Latin fluently. And they couldn't. So I didn't know what they were talking about. And the other thing that they used to do was they used to think that everything... And still today, I say that, but what I mean is when I was last in government... They take a subject and they talk about it for months and then years and they decide it's too hard to do anything about and just leave it and it's just dropped. And you're like, no, you cannot ignore this subject. This subject is incredibly relevant for the country and needs a solution. Can you put your thinking caps on? But they used to like just arguing because they didn't want to do anything. So arguing meant that they'd actually done something in their eyes because they discussed it which is what they're supposed to do. But never finding a solution or going round and round in circles because it may mean competition for one company or they haven't got, they don't know who can coordinate something or whatever the reason is. The point is that this is not how I want government to run. I do not want what I say to be misconstrued. I do not want it to hurt people. I do not want people to suffer as a because I've asked for something that would be helpful but ages ago 
there was a whole thing about this is just before, well during the Armageddon but it was before everything went like global um there was a situation where everybody was like broke that I knew anyway pretty much and um we were like oh we've got to get some money we've got to do something it was like oh I wish we didn't have to do this or that and I'm thinking yeah do you know what rent is really high it's like if it was a bit lower and I was like I remember when the rents were like 15 pounds not that I was paying 15 pounds I mean I remember when people said it was 15 pounds that was like council houses and stuff which I wasn't living in a council house at the time but anyway and I owned the house that I was living at but it actually is the the housing association took it um because I needed protection and I needed things fixed because I'm not a glazier or I don't know how to fix a boiler or whatever at that time I was like I don't know get someone to do it since they wouldn't give me my money even though I was of age I sought to protect myself with the housing association. With that protection, it meant that I had to pay rent, even though they should have just given it to me, bearing in mind I funded that housing association and all those houses that they in, in their housing association, which is now gone, they've disbanded, were actually owned by me anyway. Um, but there's too many people who think they're in charge of me. No one is in charge of me. I am in charge of myself. I find myself in a terrible situation and yes, I will need help, but that person will not be in charge of me. And the government should fulfil their duties by rescuing me. The Lord Chancellor has a job after all. I'm pretty sure that I would be the person that he's supposed to take direction from, voicing what I want. But I don't think he knows that. So that's another thing. People don't actually know what their jobs are sometimes. Anyway, back to the, the situation. So we were thinking, right? Wouldn't it be brilliant if we if we paid like less rent, then we would have more disposable income and it would be for, it would be brilliant. We could just work a little bit less or work the same amount and just save up for a really nice holiday or something. Because we weren't earning loads of money, but we were earning enough to, you know, be able to pay the rent, pay have a mobile phone, have the internet perhaps, um, and go on holiday every now and again. But not much more than that. I couldn't afford to drink, for instance. Not that I drink anyway, but there was lots of things I couldn't afford to do. Couldn't afford to drive. Um, anyway, so I had a TVR outside my house that I owned that I couldn't afford to drive. How gutting is that? But I used to like looking at it because it had really nice colours. Anyway, someone claimed that and I nearly lost that twice. The bus nearly ran into it. I was like, what? <sighs> anyway, back to this rent thing. So we thought, with the amount of people in England, like collectively... If everyone paid rent, because we knew that the majority of people everywhere don't pay rent, it's just squatting basically. Um, so we thought if everyone paid rent, that would mean that that amount of money would be able to pay, the, the government would be able to use that money to not have budget cuts and things like that. And plus, if everyone paid rent, that means that the rents would go down because the people that are paying rents at the moment are pretty much paying for everybody else who doesn't pay, which is taking the mick, really, if you ask me. Um, so I can't see it going down, you know, like now. But then I was like, you know what, with houses that I own, I can do this with. So I try to do it with houses, some of the houses I own. Unfortunately, Loads of Finchley Road people just started slating me for this. I got beaten up and people that I work with started blatantly 
abusing me and shouting at me and telling me I'm taking the piss. And you know why? Because they weren't paying rent. And they thought if I did that, that would mean that they would have to pay £35 a week, which was taking the piss as far as they were concerned. They wanted freeness. Everything had to be free. And I was like... I cannot believe this. I cannot give up because I wanted that. I was paying more than that. I was like, I'm, I'm, I can't get away with not paying rent. So therefore, even though I own the house, can you believe that? How many houses do I own? I've still got to pay rent. It's taking the mick. The government really don't care about me. And I'll have to deal with that when I get to government. But for now... The point being is that if everyone paid a little bit of rent, like they should, then all the rest of us wouldn't have to pay hardly anything. We'd be well happy with that. Anyway, so I got beaten up and abused about this. I was so angry about it. And one guy who'd done it was really sorry. I said, well, I'm not forgiving you, but we worked we worked in the same office. He was like, I'm really, really sorry. And I brought it up again. And he was really, like, embarrassed and everything. And then he said, all right, forgive me. I was like, no, not until we sort this this is a good few years later because I was getting nowhere basically um anyway so I wrote it out did all the maths and everything from the population counts on the internet at that time which are probably different from now we've probably got twice as many people now um and then worked out the money and then worked out a little bit of like okay certain people are going to be some people will own the houses and, you know, take them off. Um, some people would be, like, on the dole, I suppose you've got to take them off. But not really, because the housing... Was it housing? The, something covers the rent, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, so we worked it all out, wrote down on paper as a proposal. And um, we ended up... He took me to government because I said, look, I can't go anywhere without getting raped, basically. Every day I was getting raped. So, yeah, I hate... A lot of people. Really, I do. Anyway, so we finally get to government. And um, what you have to do is... I had a little bit of leeway because I actually have legal qualifications so I can do a few more things than the average, you know, person on the street. So all I had to do was just look it over, put my signature on it and then get it stamped. Now, some people would go for an NGO. If you were, like, you know public as it were and you wanted to do something like that the best thing to do would be to go for an NGO with your proposal so that somebody legal can look it over make sure it's all right so when the legal people put it um legal people look through things first before they present it to government so you want to make sure it's all in line and everything's correct first before you put in a proposal to make sure it's seen because otherwise they don't even bother considering it so made sure that was all right then I got it stamped and everything and um that was ages ago so I'm hoping that they'll get around to considering this because that is the missing money, basically. The missing money is the rent money that they can't collect now because every time there's a forget-me-not or every time people disappear and get blown up and all that kind of thing, new figments arrive and they don't even know what rent is. So they all just assume that they can just take a house and that's theirs. No, because they don't actually know what the rules of the land are. Now people have lived long enough to know that that actually, the rules of the land are this. The council, the monarchy and the church 
own practically everything. And all of us need rent. So everyone has to pay rent. That's that. So you can't just pretend you own a house. Because it's already written that either the monarchy, the church, or the council own the houses. And if everyone pays rent, that means the rent can be lower. And if it's like £35 or £45 or something like that, wouldn't that just be like brilliant? Come on. Everybody must like this. And I'm not going to get attacked for this saying this again. But I'm saying it again because I really, really think that this is madness that people would be attacked for thinking, wouldn't it be nice to have a lower rent? You know what I mean? Anyway, this is Red Shape. Thank you very much for listening. Bye. Hi everyone, um, it's Red Gachet, continuing with the secrets theme. Um, I would like to tell you about my secret, which some people know, um, but some people don't quite get it. So it is kind of a secret still. And that is my three, three, that's a hat trick, three Grand Prix wins. And... Um, so the reason why people don't get it is because the first one was like in 1927, I think. I can't remember. Anyway, um, it all started when cars were invented. Obviously, I have to know everything because I'm the queen. So obviously, a new invention, they have to tell me. Well, they want to tell me because um, I can help them start their company up and, and give them money and stuff like that. So obviously, this was like amazing. An actual car that moves that wasn't a horse. So I was just like, first of all, I was like, why? Because you've got a horse. Do you know what I mean? Horses go faster than, than what they were telling me that cars went. So I was like, mm, yeah, okay, we'll bring it on. And um, mechanical things were all the rage, obviously. And I love music boxes and things like that. So I just thought, you know, this is going to be cool. So I'd seen some of the spec which showed me all the cogs and how things moved and this bit turned that bit which turned that bit which then moved that bit and so forth so I'd seen some of that and thought this looks really intriguing so when I saw it I was like oh it's lovely because it was like a carriage it was open um and it was but it was all rounded and it was sh like shallow like um skinnier and um lower to the ground than a carriage that's a horse and carriage yeah um anyway so I didn't want to go in at first because I was a bit like it made such a loud noise I was like oh a bit scared um so two people that was with us decided to just do the uh, honours and what they used to do is they used to have someone walking in front of them because obviously um, they didn't want the stray sheep and whatnot getting in the way so somebody was walking in front of them with what was like then I guess it was like the, the first lollipop stick because it was a stick with a circle on top saying stop and go and stuff like that Um. anyway so He's walking in front and we're watching the car moving like at two mile per hour. I mean, it was going really slowly, but it was just like, oh my God, it's like, it's moving on its own. It hasn't got a horse or, or anything pulling it. Not even a reindeer. Anyway, so we're like, that's fantastic. Okay, I want to go now. So it's like, okay, got in there and I was like, oh, this is really good. And it's like, mmm. the engine was really, really loud, but it was like, you could feel the vibration of the car from the seat and just like but you weren't even going very fast but it was a thrill so I was like I've got to drive I've got to drive nobody had thought of driving license or anything like that by then it was like brand new so I was like oh yeah let me do this and I had to slide myself down because I'm um, obviously I was a kid so 
quite small. So I slide myself down and I'm like just about peering over the edge. They were quite low. The seating was quite low. They were very compact cars. And um, I was going and I kept um, nearly running over the man in front. And he was getting really annoyed because he wasn't a young man. I was like, sorry, sorry, sorry. But just, like, then they told me where the brake was. I was like, okay. <laughs> he was like, in the end, he got really annoyed with me and, and was quite rude and jumped out of the way. And obviously, that's how it started. So when they, when they were saying, well, what can we do? How can we make this popular? Because it's not cheap. But how could we make it popular? How could we create a market for this? He was like, we should have a race. First of all, we were like, okay, horses and cars? No, we can't have horses and cars because the horses really didn't like the sound of them. So it was like, people and cars? Because it didn't look like they went that fast, but I won all the time, so it's like, nah. <laughs> cars and cars. Anyway, so we decided to have um, a car race. We are thinking, okay, we'll have a car race. It ended up, there was quite a few of them, but it, obviously the Grand Prix in Monaco. Um, and... I had, a, I think it was a Ford car, I'm not sure, because they were the first General Motors. And um, it was silver, I think it was number 27, and I won in that car. But they doppelganged, well, I say not doppelganged, they groundhogged that day, and there was a big crash. And I think one of the guys died, but I can't remember in what, what occasion. I think one, one time they were injured, one time they died. So I'm thinking the second time they died. The first time they were injured. I'm not sure. But anyway, so that was the first one that I was in that I won. And then the second one, I actually can't remember the second one. But I do remember the last one, which was when I was like, you know, I think the second and third Grand Prix were quite close together. And um, that's why I don't really remember it. Because I remember having a, thinking I need a Ferrari, obviously, to race. And um, I was like, well, obviously I want a red Ferrari. Um, and I told Ferrari I'll race for them. And um, they were like, yeah, okay. I was like, I need a car. So anyway, I think someone bought me a car. And um, it's outside my ass. And um, one of the Idi Amin's decided um, he, that he'd like to have a driver that. And I was like, nah. <laughs> so wait, no one's driving that car. Because they're not, they don't drive like normal cars. It's a race car, you know what I mean? Anyway, but. I still had to go in, every time I have to go and get my driver license because racing is completely different to obviously normal driving and I didn't really like normal driving because um, people were trying to race me all the time and they ended up like getting in crashes and stuff like that so um, yeah it wasn't it wasn't pretty anyway so I decided not to drive take London Transport and I couldn't afford it anyway um, so I was like right got my driving license everything sorted um, and I started driving the car, it's like a really gorgeous car, gorgeous. It's down Camden, I think it was. I was trying not to look like I was rich because you know what people are like down, um, I have to say it, Belsize Park. Not all of them, obviously, but some of them are just like, you ain't rich, you must have stolen that, give me that. And they'll just take it. So it was just like, what? Nah. Just thieves. Anyway, so someone just dropped the car, just held me down, got the keys, dropped the car, and just drove off. That was idiot I mean. And I was like, got the keys back, eventually. And then the second time he'd done it, and he said, you can trust me, I can drive this car. Of course you can't drive the car. He bumped into someone, had to fix everything, insurance and whatnot. It was a nightmare. Anyway, so then he crashed the car, 
and then he had to come and tell me obviously so he told me he's really really sorry he would never do anything like that again he's just like i told you i didn't want you driving the car you stole the car with the help of some other people i don't want to mention or see ever again and um crashed it how much is a ferrari i mean really can you <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> that's like 10 years wages do you know what i mean it's like what and i was like no i want i'm gonna win this grand prix because i need the money um anyway so i was like right well it's a complete write-off isn't it but so i took the engine and I had about £100, that's all I could afford. I bought a car off one of the Blonde Vandermeers, which was my car anyway, which was a complete jalopy. But anyway, I bought it off him. And um, I think it, I keep thinking to say it's a just for vet, a Citroen. I think it was a Citroen. And um, a grey Citroen. It was really old fashioned, really, really old fashioned. So I put the Ferrari, I went to the mechanic and got some help and um, put the Ferrari engine into the jalopy. And. Um, then entered as soon as that was done because it took quite a while for it to get fixed and whatnot um pretty much as soon as it was done like a few days or a week later we were off to Monaco so got the car there and everything and um all my school friends were there I got the accountant to get that paid it's funny because the accountant don't pay for me pays for them because uh, he don't like me because I ask him for money a lot to pay for government things and he thinks that I spend too much money. It's like, do you know what? If there was a disaster and I asked for like 14 million, as far as he's concerned, that'd be taking a piss. It's the libs. I can't even get my bike card paid off. Anyway, I don't know who he is now because he's um obviously not spoken to me for years. <laughs> and they're lying about everything. Anyway, um, so, what was it? Where was I? Yeah, so we got to Monaco anyway, so my school friends were there and everything, and I was thinking, oh, brilliant, because they can see me win, because they're not going to call me a liar anymore, because they didn't believe I was a footballer either. And then some of them did, and then some of them didn't. I was like, no, do you know what? Support, I'm going to win. Anyway, so we were all kind of, like, nice and everything, and, and then one of them actually threatens me. Not, like, me personally, but me as in, like, anything that I do kind of thing, like, in the public arena, like a race, for instance, as in... It's all gonna, we'll do something, yeah. We'll, we'll make it go. I don't think they actually used the term backwards, but I think they, they said something like, we'll do something to, to the effect of making it go backwards, as in wrong. Anyway, so we decided um, I had to ignore that because the race was gonna start, so I just like got changed. Got in the car and nobody was gonna, obviously, think that I was gonna win because the jalopy next to all these beautiful sports cars, I mean, goodness me they were gorgeous anyway so as you know sports in the grand prix you don't start all at the same point you start in like staggered yeah so sometimes it's hard to see who's really like who's really in front after a few laps so i just thought you know i would like to be on the end or like the the closest to the edge i don't really mind really but i was just thinking them two spots i think I was kind of in the middle, so I was just like, okay, fine. Um, and they said, like, on your marks, get set. And I looked at some of my school friends when I just before, and they were doing something. I knew something was going on. I knew it. Anyway, so race started. Boom, we're off. I'm like, oh, my God, it's starting. Because that jalopy don't start like a Ferrari. And I was thinking, yeah, you know what? Ferrari engine, sorted. Did not think about the start. Anyway, we started moving. And then all of a sudden, everyone's starting 
to go like in the in the opposite direction and I'm thinking oh no um have I gone the wrong way and I'm thinking no that's what they've done they made everyone go backwards but then I was like but maybe more and more people started going the wrong way and I was like oh maybe 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 no no uh they're right so then I start going backwards I'm like, yeah, and then I'm like, I turn around and I've got drive backwards, someone's going backwards, you're going backwards, and I'm going, oh, right. So I turn around and I'm reversing, and then I, you're going so fast, you can't actually just go, oh, well, just stop here and just make a, a U-turn in the middle of a racetrack. You, know, you can't really do that, you have to do it really, like, <laughs> you have to do it really fast and when none of the other cars are near you. Anyway, so it was a mess. Everyone was going this way, that way, turning around, coming back, and no one was... It was really hard to keep up because then I forgot which way was forwards. Because, I, I mean, how do you know? People are going all different directions. It was like, I say Piccadilly Circus, but <laughs> I, was like, I didn't know which way was which. So everyone's looking at the crowd going, which way? Which one am I supposed to be doing? Everyone's going that way. But I'm st- I, now I'm in backwards mode, so I can't think of anything but backwards. So they're going that way, but I'm going, but I've got to go backwards. So I'm in reverse now, so I'm going backwards. And I'm racing around the track and... Yes, I win, but I didn't know that I'd won straight away because I was still going backwards and people were passing me because I'm going backwards. People are passing me and I'm thinking, oh no, they've won. But anyway, it was a really, really fun race because it was so mad. I mean, it was so mad. Um, the only the only thing was was that obviously because there's big prize money in Grand Prix, is that Marlin decided to offer up my money to charity. I don't have no money at all. When I get back to England, I'm gonna have to walk from Heathrow, do you know what I mean? No money at all. I need that money. She's like, no, everybody, Red Gachier has now donated everything to the children's charity. Because they know I like the children's charities. And everyone's like, yeah, it was really good. And I was like, no, 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 hang on a minute. I can't even fold a bag of chips, do you know what I mean? she was taking the piss but then the Pope was there and I was just like oh, I feel ashamed to not say no and I was like the NSPCC are going to kill me because they've already asked for me for money and I haven't got any to give them and it was going to an Italian children's charity which I don't mind but I was like oh, it's got to be half half then so it was half half and I said you've got to give me 20 quid for that because when I get back to Heathrow <laughs> as I'm saying I'm not walking from Heathrow <laughs> you know what I mean so I got my 20 quid and I was like you know what I've had a brilliant time c'est la vie loads of children are going to get saved so that was that and um yeah so that was my last grand prix ring and it was fantastic experience of driving fantastic i was on clyde nine about that but then i couldn't really talk about it much because obviously somebody had used some kind of magic to make everyone go which ways every way which ways um i don't know how that had happened other than that they were using the power but it's like I don't want to say devil worshipping because that's what they were doing um but I don't know what that is anyway so that was my Grand Prix thing and it was an amazing experience my name's Red Cachet thank you very much for your time bye hi my name's Red Cachet and continuing with the secrets theme this is about um, like a secret identity, but it's kind of interwoven with acting. Because when you're acting, you take on a persona or a character that you're playing for the purposes of the film or, or theatre show or whatever. 
and you can well usually the actor can relate in some way in order to play it well um and so there are certain personas or uh, attributes that a character may have that you may admire yourself but don't really possess in your life you may wish to cultivate them if you admire them that much or you just think if it's a person you're emulating for the sake of a theatre show or film, you might think that person's amazing. Um, I'm just going to try and just just do it as an acting job. However, when you've played loads and loads and loads of different characters, um, reality sometimes becomes a little bit confusing. Who are you, really? Do you possess all these character attributes? Mm. Well, yes, when I'm acting, I know in this life, or certain, I can say, uh, positions that you may fulfil in different parts of your life will highlight attributes um, that you obviously like. So, for instance, like now, we're in the lockdown, I'm sitting in my bedroom, and I've got no job, and I'm worrying about money, and got paid of rent and I'm like what am I going to do in this situation I'm not thinking oh I must develop my attribute for public speaking for instance I'm not really thinking about that but I it's something I admire with some people who are very very charismatic when they're speaking and that's you know something that comes out when you're doing public speaking or when you're learning to do public speaking not necessarily in this position that I'm in now. Um, that's one thing. On a bigger scale, which happens to a lot of actors I know, is when you're doing a film, or in the Armageddon, the, I say plural because there's been many, the reason we made so many films, or one of the reasons is because, as I say, I'm on camera pretty much all the time, and if there is a problem that I obviously have to sort out, um then the story of that problem becomes a film. And it's easier for me to deal with the problem of the Armageddon when I see it as a film, because I can see a beginning and end and a, a beginning, beginning, sorry, beginning, middle and end. Um, sometimes it doesn't end for ages, it becomes a really long series. Um, and sometimes I can complete it in, in a film. And a film varies, and you know, you can do a film in 24 hours, feature-length film for 24 hours, but, you know, on the whole, it doesn't take 24 hours, it takes much longer than that. It might take, you know, a few months or even a year, or you might even do it in two parts. Now, the thing is, if you're doing a film like, um, let's say, Fast and Furious, then that film requires balls. I mean, it, it requires a lot of courage. It was in the film during the Armageddon. We had to do it in two parts because we were so sabotaged. Um, so, And we had to go and get some more money because we ran out of money. So there was all kinds of things going on. Plus, the characters were all freaked out. Um, the actors were all freaked out, I should say. So we had like a two weeks or three weeks off or something in the middle of it. And then restarted again in Japan to get away from people that was following us and sabotaging everyone um but it really does because not only do you have to driving and everything and people the general public thought that they were in the film sometimes and it was just like no these people my actors are acting as they would 
but obviously gym we can't get away from general public so you know everyone just acts as normally as they would normally act within that character and when they come home to england now they're coming home to their little house with maybe so they live with their parents they might have a cup of tea and everything completely different to japan and fast cars and and gangsters and all sorts it's completely different you don't have the same character i mean you might have aspects of the same character but you don't have the same character and adjusting to coming back home from different films especially the action films um, or the paranormal films is really really hard um now what happens is what has happened is in these situations where we're trying to resolve an armageddon issue like um it could be an off-world issue it could be a monster issue that kind of thing i would put that into a film straight away so that the rest of the general public would not get scared and it has already got out so it's like that's i can't do anything about it obviously but that scares me as well like in enfield here i say enfield yeah i guess it is enfield we had a, a zombie outbreak and the drug dealers had to sort it out well pretty much me because i was the nearest there and oh my god this zombie outbreak scared me. People come out looking like zombies. You know what zombies look like. And they start trying to attack you. They, there's no reasoning. They're like, oh. It's like, what are you supposed to do? Now, luckily, we found a bit of a cure there. Because I thought, you know what I mean? I've got a bit. I was like, I'm not turning into a zombie. Got the old castor oil out. Put that all on. It's like praying all the time. And... I'm drinking water and I'm guessing I'm, I was drinking holy water because I was praying all the time but I don't know I didn't turn into a zombie thank god but um loads of people in the flats did but we got them cured not everyone survived either because once you got bitten you then turned into a zombie now this is in real life this wasn't a film police just went no you deal with that because obviously that's kind of out of the police remit and they wouldn't call the army because the army was didn't believe anything at the time anyway so that was something that we don't want to happen ever again and if it does i would oh, yeah now i'm telling you all you've got the secret i'm hoping it never happens again but if it does then my first thought would be to put it within a film so the rest of the general public would go oh that's a film let's stay away rather than going oh my god is that a real zombie let me take a selfie next to him or her because that's what some people were doing with nuclear bombs and I had to de-detonate these bombs. I'm not waiting for everyone to take freaking selfies. Anyway, um, so this has been happening throughout time where you go on an adventure and you, and you are, you know, adored perhaps. And then you come back home and it's like, do the vacuuming. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's a bit of a come down when you actually come home. So the whole fame thing is really not what you think it is. Um, anyway, so... My secret today is about two fame issues. Now, one was a blonde Vladimir who was desperately trying to position himself in history as a hero. But always being trying to be the hero of the people who hate the government or hate the police or hate the authority because he hates authority. So therefore, they must be wrong. Not true all the time. Anyway, so... There was much talk and I did, amongst the people who I tried to keep out of the films, which is probably who was starting it anyway. But um, anyway, so we all got wind that there was something going on about 
government not being around for much longer. I couldn't work it out. I was like, why wouldn't they be around? Was the... No, they didn't know I was Queen, so they didn't know that it was my government. I was thinking, I don't think so. Um, and um, so we thought we'd better investigate. And I went with a few of my friends. Thank you, by the way, for everybody that helped and the police as well. And we found a massive bonfire thing with like explosives and things like that. So obviously we got rid of that. And we got rid of Blonde Vladimir, who then didn't, wasn't able to, de you know, blow up Parliament and had fireworks there as well, just in case. So that was like the day saved. That was a Groundhog Day. That happened a few times. Um, but he wanted to be famous for getting rid of the authority figures. I'm guessing he was involved in the French Revolution, which was Groundhog Day a few times as well. Um, they didn't see me as aristocracy because obviously I'd been chucked out of the palace so many times. Um, so I was, wasn't really a target. But people I knew were, and they were going off to France to help the aristocracy keep calm. But I'm guessing that was a figment explosion as well, being invented with a hatred of authority and bring them all down, yeah, mob mentality, which is completely out of order. And then take over everything and pretend that they were there all the time. Anyway, so that's one. I hope he's been arrested again, if he's still alive, because the fame that he wants is so astronomical, he's forgotten obviously how many times he's done things like that. I mean, he expects to be adored. And if he isn't adored, he'll think up some horror to befall all of us. So I hope he's been dealt with. Um, and the other one was Cherugara. There was a few of them. One of them was really nice and helped the people and whatnot, which I think is the one that's got famous. Um, but there was a few others who were started off being nice and then they went wrong somewhere where I think they'd been manipulated into believing something else and they went against the authority figures as well. Cherugara was going against the authority, but not in the same way. Because there's helping the people without destroying a structure that a country needs to run. Now, in the olden days, yes, there was less structure. But there was still a lot of structure, still, whether you know it or not. It's like, you know, if there was one flag down... That meant communications were broken. I mean, it was it was that serious. One flag down, that's serious. No way is that message getting through to the rest of the country. Anyway, the fame thing was in the opposite. They didn't want to be famous, but they wanted to be adored. They wanted to do something to make a difference. But when they came back home and had a cup of tea, they stood. You know, they they wanted to be forgotten. I was a bit like that as well. I didn't want to be recognised because I was thinking, I'm the queen. I shouldn't be doing this because I'm supposed to have this clean reputation which is completely kaput but anyway people are people life happens and whatever life throws at you you've got to deal with it the Armageddon comes then we have to deal with it but let's look at it in the least destructive way that we can let's do things so that we can keep structures if it's gone corrupt then we correct that corruption we have to obviously we don't blow things up or, you know, 
murder people in their beds or anything like that. No, it gets outed, gets taken to court and it gets dealt with. But it actually gets dealt with. It doesn't get talk about, talked about. It actually gets dealt with. That's what I would hope for this country and anyone else, actually. Because having it talked about and then people are getting really angry and then they start writing and people get hurt and then they're not in the, the right... You know, they're so angry, then they haven't got the right frame of mind to calm down and see clearly, which is what needed to be done in um, certain countries, and here, obviously. Um, so the secret of fame is quite interesting, the way you want it and then you don't want it, and then you want it and then you don't want it. And I've had some really brilliant, amazing times, like on the football pitch when the crowd's roaring, yeah, we scored, and all the cheering, all of that. I mean, it was marvellous. And then, or on stage, when you're especially in the theatre, really, really, because it's like really close to you. It's really like, oh, this is amazing. Um, and I craved it. I, you know, you get, get, get addicted to that kind of thing. But I've also had it the other way around, where everyone's slagging me off. And I have to wear earphones to go everywhere. So I don't get, like, obviously I was offended. I mean, so I don't get, like, um, what's the word? Corrupted in the mind. You know, I could have really gone mental, but I didn't actually go mental. I think I was drugged up because most of the time I was spaced out. But still, the point being is that that's also a fame, which is a negative fame, which no one wants. So all of those people who are railing against me must see me as an authority figure. Or a person that is going to say, no, you cannot break the law, which I am. And so is the whole of the police and loads of other people who are completely into make sure we do everything right so we can all live together in a social environment, you know? Oh, that I, I'm not forgiving that at all. I'm totally not forgiving that. I know exactly who the people were and no. Anyway, so my secret really is about uncovering this character <coughs> excuse me <coughs> uncovering the secret of this characteristic whereby one of the blonde von Vladimir's or many of them and other people as well want to make a difference in history and obviously history is in the past so in the future if people want to make a difference so they're further in the future the history is them making a difference which is great I'm all for that if you want to make a difference brilliant Make a difference in a legal way. Make a difference in a way which promotes positivity, which inspires people to do likewise. Do something that's fun, perhaps, but don't destroy. Because that's what the fame thing ended up doing. It, it ended up, not with everyone, obviously, but just a, like a few people, it's ended up destroying them. And it hasn't really destroyed me because I wasn't really doing what everyone says I was doing. But for the people that wanted fame for destruction, probably I would have to say, yes, in history, we have to write, these people blew up the world. These people blew up South London. These people tried to blow up Westminster, or did blow up Westminster, actually, but a long time later. 
but they're not getting a thank you for it. They're not getting a round of applause for it. We cannot allow that to happen. Anyway, that's me, Red Gachet. Bye. Hi, everyone. It's Red Gachet. Um, continuing with the secrets theme, but this is actually a continuation on the one that I've just um, posted, which was about the... I can't remember what I just called it. Uh, the one that I posted today earlier. Anyway, um, I was just thinking about it. I was just thinking how... Obviously, I've known about this for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. Um, so it's not so freaky to me. Although it is very freaky because, obviously, you never know what's going to happen. And so you always have to be, like, kind of open-minded, I guess, and try and do the right thing. Anyway, but I just thought for people that have only just discovered this, they might be, like, really freaked out. Um, and to waylay people's fears, because that is not the reason I am saying all this, is not to frighten anyone. It's basically to just um, tell the truth, because I said the whole truth would come out, and this is part of the whole truth. Anyway, so what I wanted to say was, we, as um, a group of people living in the same world, inhabiting the same world, um, can quite easily control these things that happen by being religious and I say that because religion grounds you religion helps you understand a reality um, in fullness if you believe in religion then you are saying this is reality not to say that you can't change your reality in terms of getting a new job or meeting the perfect woman or the perfect man or buying a car or whatever, going on holiday or having an adventure. All of those things obviously are possible. In fact, your life does get better with religion. Um, but the thing about religion in that sphere that I'm talking about is that, number one, it, it grounds you. Number two, it means that there is always, always hope, even though if you might not think there is, um, <laughs> but there's always, you, I've come out the other end of a disaster after disaster after disaster so many times, there's always, there's always hope, anyway, um, religion is the most important thing to ground you, to, to be able to keep your mind clear and to say distinguish what is right and wrong with using the benchmark of religion will make sure that you are not manipulated into doing something you shouldn't I mean I've been manipulated loads of times um, sometimes you can't help it you get pulled into something you just can't help it but you do need to start realising that there are some of the reasons they do this. Number one, you might be a new figment, let's say. The old figments, not all of them, but quite a lot of them were killed and replaced with new figments who will believe what they want you to. As we all know, because I got slagged off completely for trying to stop the world getting blown up and trying to stop people being criminals and trying to make sure that everyone knows how to be legal and knows right from wrong and stopping all the monsters and all sorts of things. Anyway, 
obviously people can't comprehend all of this, I understand that. But religion helps you order your mind in such a way where you can go, is this part of my reality? No. So this must be part of something magic. Now, do I want... Well, it's not even a choice. You really should just stay out of it simply because you don't know who's put that there. It could be perfectly non-harmful <laughs> but there again it might not be so yeah the other thing is obviously holy water is very important um but it depends what it is it might not always work but it has worked in some very it works on the people more than anything else some and it surprised me more times than than not <laughs> um but again you need faith to maybe be able to create holy water so religion, again, is very, very important. And the other thing that I found is very important is castor oil. I say that because um, when I was Cleopatra, Cleopatra's, um, they were saying something about how this magic should work. Cleopatra, as in me, I said castor, except for castor oil. So except for castor oil, that means that if something went wrong, and it, this is like a physical ailment, Nothing might be able to cure you except for castor oil. Now, sometimes this is... Obviously, there's different diseases, you know what I mean? So I can't remember what that one was for. It might have been, obviously, for the drying out one, I'm guessing. Um, but do try castor oil for um, things you can't explain, as well as, obviously, the three-day-old bread. Um, and the Greeks and the Romans swear by olive oil, so that's always a good one as well. Um, but not to worry people, because by now, I'm pretty sure people know right from wrong. Pretty sure that people know that if you are spending all your time bitching, then you probably don't know right from wrong. If you're spending all your time trying to ingratiate yourself with somebody that you have robbed, so that they don't think that you've robbed them, you probably don't know right from wrong. If, you know, obviously, if you spend all your time lying, then you probably don't know right from wrong. But if you aren't like that, you probably do know right from wrong. And I'm hoping that the majority of everyone over the world knows right from wrong. Once you know right from wrong, you will not find yourself fighting the, on the wrong side. Nobody wants to be on the wrong side of the law. So honesty is the best policy. However, sometimes it does make you sound a bit crazy. But if people don't report these odd things, like I'm doing, then these odd things can destroy our world. So it needs to be reported, whether the people believe you or not. And for the armed forces and the police and, and the people who fight with me, whether they're in the same country or not. <sighs> Trying to create stability with an understanding of right from wrong, of an understanding of how to speak to people in terms of the respect needed to live in the same community um, so that people don't lie or cheat or rob or anything like that, which again 
comes down to the morality given by religion is utmost importance. Um, this will save us, basically. The more people that come from these good morals and insist on behaving and coming from these points, good morals, the less these things happen. Um, some of this started when... I didn't all start then, but some of it started when um, nobody wanted to allow certain people into the church um, and they couldn't understand religion. And everyone was saying, well, you don't have to understand it, you just have to listen. And then that understanding comes. And I know a lot of people just go, well, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, I don't believe that. And they just leave it at that. It's not really... A case of being able to say you understand that you don't need to know this before you've understood it. You have to understand and then it's obvious that you need it. Everyone needs it. <laughs> and if you're, you've got somebody who can read the Bible or to you or another scripture, brilliant. Just listen. After a while, everything clicks into place Everything is suddenly ordered and logical. Everything makes sense. There's no way you can... Once you understand that there's a, you have confidence that you will not go wrong, you will not step in the wrong direction, you will not stray from the path of your destiny, the right path so that you meet the right people, you make the right decisions. You don't have those fears. You just, it just happens. Whereas when you don't have religion, you're like stumbling around. Or when you're religious and, you, and you're surrounded by people who aren't religious and you know that they aren't being honest with you. You know that they're likely to stab you in the back. Some people aren't religious, but they don't know that people are lying to them or that people will stab them in the back. Religion helps you see through these things. It's vital, vital to fight the Armageddon. Anyway, it's available, obviously, to everybody. You know how to pray. Pray and save us all. <laughs> That's me, Red Cochet. Bye. Hi, my name's Red Cochet. And continuing with the secrets um, theme, I wanted to talk about um, legends how they came about. Now, part of something being a legend, it doesn't, usually when something's a legend, like a story is a legend, it usually comes from quite a distance in the past. Um, but that's not necessarily true, but on the whole, it, it is, I think. And um, what used to happen when we used to sort of get together and everything and say, okay, let's do something, um, if, like people that knew that I was queen when they remember there have been cycles when people in the group that I knew knew that I was queen and therefore I had to do queen things basically and um, one of those things was um, making sure that about the crests making sure that people had the crests that should have the crests um, because I like symbols and things like that um, and also, 
I had to um, preserve our heritage, which is obviously with the museums and with the National Trust. And remembering some of these legends, mostly they were with war, war legends, basically, or like deeds of amazing bravery and things like that. Um, they were written down and sometimes they're depicted in tapestries. Um, the monks were big on that. If something amazing had happened, um, they'd want to record it uh, visually. So it could be like a, a stone um, statue or it could be a, 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 a book or it could be a tapestry or a painting. It could be all sorts. Um, I mean, pretty much everyone does that in their own life and we take photos to commemorate uh, special times of uh, achievements generally or just because we want to. <laughs> but we take, you know, we, we take pride in saying, oh, look, this is me when I was on holiday, blah, blah, blah. Or this is me when I graduated and this is me my first day at work. Or, you know, we take pride in that. And obviously as a country, and I'm sure many other countries do exactly the same thing, um, we want to take pride in who we are and what our heritage is without denying the truth of the matter. Now, sometimes legends, obviously, they were verbal, so they, they went around. People used to tell stories by the fire and um, they uh, changed somewhat. It, well, I say changed somewhat. Mostly they changed to um, not talk about the bloodshed, basically. Um, so they became more palatable and, and because it was a celebration of this. So they wanted to make sure that everybody was like, yay, brilliant story, have another drink kind of thing. Um, but there are many, many, many legends in England. And I have been a part of, part of quite a few of them or a witness to quite a few of them. Um, and sometimes when I thought about these legends, I used to get scared when people used to talk about them because I was there and I was just like, oh no, people are going to find out. People are going to find out that actually I've lived through different centuries. But you know what? There's quite a few people who've done that, so I'm not alone in this. Um, so the thing that I wanted to say was that although people sometimes get... I don't think people are very scared now, but I mean, like, just even a few years ago, or even last year, there was quite a lot of people that would have been scared of the fact that we now understand that we have figments as well as humans. We now understand that we have doppelgangers who are figments, but they look exactly the same. They have one persona, basically, as the original. So I don't want to exclude this history because I think excluding this history means that we can never, ever come to the correct conclusions when dealing with politics, which I didn't really see things very politically. I saw things as common sense. So, for instance, if somebody said to me, um, maybe a minister might say to me, look, I've got a problem um, about migration, which they did come to me and say this, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how this is possible. The question was, what do I do about all these applicants of like hundreds of thousands, I mean, millions of people, different countries applying for um, citizenship in England? How did this migration happen? And they were kind of not... I was always getting the blame for this because I was always travelling and people wanted to follow me around and so forth. I, I just couldn't see it. I could not see it. Um, yes, I can see a, a little bit of it, but not like millions of people, obviously. 
So the whole migration thing was not actually migration. It was in fact figments being invented of different nationalities in our country. So that is a history that we need to, we need to acknowledge. These people were invented in England. Now it is true that some people who were invented in England who are of a different nationality to it being English may have migrated. I mean, that might be true, but not millions. And that's the same all over the world. I think we all need to recognise this and be open about it and talk about it because it's a history that has is not just like a new history. It's newly recognised. But this history of figments being invented has been for centuries. I've seen it with my own eyes. And what I saw generally was because of the whole legend thing, everyone wanted to be a hero. And lots of the legends came from different wars, or I say wars, I mean battles, scrums. They weren't full-on wars generally um, in different parts of the country, whereby people, namely one of the Blonde Vladimirs and some other people who thought it was a brilliant idea. I mean, you can see the attraction to this. You'd hear this story over the campfire or whatever, and people were like, those were the days when you could be heroes and you could win you know, a gold purse by winning this battle. Yes, that's what happened in those days. We were very grateful to people who had defended the country and they did win a gold purse. Yes. But nowadays, this is not exactly what happens. Because what they did was, because they wanted to be heroes and they never won a gold purse, they always took it, is they invented the scenario whereby they could look like they were heroes and thereby gain the gold purse. So what they did, and I saw this with my own eyes, I saw it in Scotland, I've seen it in the middle of England, they've invented this story, then they invent the figments to be the opposition, which is quite often why they're not of the same nationality, but they were invented in England to be their opponents. Now, obviously, they would win because figments newly invented aren't that intelligent. They would know, they would realise they're in a war scenario or a battle scenario and defend themselves. But, you know, you've just been invented. You don't know what's what. You're like, oh, this is new. Like, something's coming up with an axe. I better defend myself. Do you know what I mean? So once they'd slain some of them, most people just ran. And then, obviously, in the villages, people were like, who's these people? And then they needed shelter and food and and obviously they didn't know anything about religion so they didn't have any morals and if they were around good people that would take them in then yes they would learn and people were appropriated into England and this has happened all over the world um the secret being that um some of our legends aren't in fact legends but manipulations or disasters however not all, and I did not, when I saw it happen myself, accept that that's a win by the people that claimed that they had won. Inventing people to be an opponent for no reason <laughs> other than you want to earn a gold purse is, is completely ridiculous. And I know a lot of people invented to be my opponent but I don't really want any opponents, to be quite honest. I want people to just think about common sense like I do. Look at the facts of the matter.
and I know it's still quite hard for some people to actually accept that this has happened, but you there there is no other explanation. The populations are so large compared to what they used to be. It's it's just not right. It's it's obvious. Anyway, so that's the secret. Um also one of the legends which is true it's not necessarily an english legend though i think it's danish is about fire and i didn't know anything about this but obviously the um things and that believed in um an elemental which is fire and fire likes to have people um tell the stories around wants to hear the stories what's happening Everyone used to have fires. Everyone used to talk around the fires. Fire was used for everything until, obviously, then there was electricity. Um, and my story about fire is when... I think it could have been even in the palace. Um, the fireplaces in the large houses, the mansion houses and the palaces are huge. Um, you can stand up in them. Or at least I could when I was a kid, anyway. And... It was the last place anybody would look for anybody, obviously. Um, because no one would assume that anyone would hide in such a dangerous place. Anyway. So, we were getting murdered. So, obviously, I didn't want to get murdered. So, I ran and I just thought, oh, I hide in the fire. They knew I was in the fireplace. So, they set the fire. And I was burning. And I had space to move back. But I didn't have space to, to come out of the fireplace without burning myself. It was like a little hole. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And it was one of Alana's dads and his crew of people that constantly, and I mean constantly, all of those people trying to take over the palace constantly is just too much. And we need to, we need people to know that they're not allowed in the palace. I want my home back. I want my palace back. Anyway. So I'm in the fireplace and the fire's burning and I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be fried. And I wasn't the only person. Some other children had gone into the fire as well and died. And when I remembered that, I was like, I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. Why would I do this? I know this. I know this. I know this. Anyway, so I was screaming like, what are you going to do? Help me. And then I heard, why? I was like, what? what do you mean, why? Why, Barney, help me. And then it, it was fire. And fire was talking to me. If I help him and tell the truth, I will be saved. And I agreed. I told the truth. And I wasn't... There was a few bargains I've made with fire, actually. Um, but fire needs the truth. He needs people to, like, sit around the fire and tell stories. Or, so if you've got a fireplace, I know it's summer, but you know, when it gets cold, when you need to have um, the fire on, do that. Or if you've got a barbie, tell your stories around the barbie, give fire some entertainment. <laughs> um, but fire has worked for me, and fire is our friend, basically. I mean, think about it. Fire is one of the most important tools to developing a civilization. It gives us light and warmth. We can't live without it. Anyway, so that's my secret. Um, it's a Danish one. Um, so I, I salute the Danes for knowing this first. Thank you very much. My name is Ricochet. Bye. Hi, my name is Ricochet. 
And continuing with the secrets theme, um, I'd like to talk about the forget-me-nots. And the forget-me-not is, I think I've said something about it before, it's basically a phenomena, if you like, where either the whole world or a country or a specific group of people um, forget about either a situation or a period of time. It can be a day, it can be a week, a month, a year, a decade hundred years it could be anything basically um and but people still sort of remember things that's the thing it doesn't it's not complete it's not absolute is what i'm trying to say um which is is lucky because sometimes the knowledge that is lost when they give get me nuts is is so critical or crucial to our uh society um that it's imperative that we don't all forget so, for instance, um, like, surgeons, <laughs> it would be terrible if you forgot how to, um, to complete a surgery in the middle of surgery, which has kind of happened to me, um, except I remembered, so it was all right, but I did have a moment of blankness, so that's the kind of thing that, I mean, about the forget-me-not, is that if you're worried about the forget-me-not, which I was, as it seemed to be happening all the time, um, Obviously, it would play on your mind, and then you're like, oh, "What if it happens now?" Or what? If, what is your worst thing? The worst thing is if you're com- doing a surgery and then you completely go blank. I would have to have a second, which I did do sometimes when I was particularly worried. That I was thinking, "Oh my god, my mind's going blank." Like, no, this can't happen. But um, that was the only time it actually happened, and I was just so stunned. And then as soon as I looked at my tools, I was like, "Oh yeah, okay, I know what I'm doing." Because um, it's the kind of thing I like went over my books and my anatomy and everything like over and over and over again. Uh, well, the way I used to study sometimes was I used to um, do things that they don't really suggest that it's a good idea. But what I used to do is I used to um, uh, copy things out so that I'd have exactly what the book says in my own hand. And then I used to read it back so it's in my writing in my own hand. And read it over even though it could come from the first year or the second year of you know um study and I used to do that with different things with different subjects that I'd studied and sometimes I used to just sit there and memorize things like lines so that it would be ingrained in me the thing is when you learn fast which I was basically learning fast um not necessarily with medicine but I mean with um other degrees that I've had when you learn fast um I kind of think that I thought the forget-me-not was just me for a long time, that it was just me that had these kind of, everything's normal for a while, and then it's a, then it turns all kind of magical. And I seem magical in that it wasn't that nice magical last time around, but sometimes when there's not been any saboteurs and things, it's been really lovely, and no one's got hurt, and it's been really great. But, yeah, I can't say that at the moment. <laughs> anyway, so with the forget-me-not, Obviously, it's not just surgeons that would that would be a problem with. People forgot how to drive. There was crashes all over the place. Um, and then there's that whole thing is like whether you've been through a forget-me-not and you've forgotten your childhood or are you in fact a figment? There was that whole thing there. And actually, I think most people were figments and didn't realise that they didn't have a childhood and that's why they didn't remember. Not that there was a forget-me-not, do you know what I mean? And some people had this thing where they didn't quite realise they remembered something I remember being in the 80s or the 70s or whenever it was that they were a child, thought they were a child. But then 
didn't comprehend that they were an adult because of the forget-me-not not being able to um, grasp the whole picture in their mind. Um, so a lot of figments are figments from adulthood. They are they are uh, invented into uh, as an adult. So when you think about this, it's very confusing because you would assume an adult would have a certain amount of knowledge, but not so if you're a new figment. Now, people have got more knowledge, so it's it's easier for people to um, grasp concepts and things like that. Um, but then it was really hard to get people to grasp the concept of the law, for instance, the simplest thing I can think of really but it's simple to me because I have religion and religion um, has basically a moral code and that moral code is the law um, obviously it's, it's they have special language um, but still it's like the Ten Commandments if you can obey these Ten Commandments these are the law of the land in England and most of Europe and the Western world basically in fact everywhere because I think even if you are of another religion. I think these same values are inherent in, in all religions. There is a lot of similarities in terms of morality in, in all religions across the board. Anyway, back to the forget-me-not. Um, yeah. The thing about the forget-me-not is that it's happened so many times that um, the knowledge erosion is something that means that you would have to continue to study, even if you have, you know, you already have the qualifications. So things like CPD, continued development um, with accountants, for instance, is, is quite normal in finance um, because we didn't quite get that these people were lying about being accountants. So we just thought that they'd been in the forget-me-not. So obviously, you know, they actually need their ICAW uh, diploma or CIMA or ACA. And if they haven't got those, I don't know if there's another one then obviously they're not actually accountants. But anyway, so there's lots of people who um, took that up and just thought, you know what, I'm going to do, I'm going to learn how to do this stuff rather than pretend because that was be stupid. Um, so they did in fact learn and there's loads and loads of online courses out there to help people decide what they're interested in some people don't even know and that's quite normal um and they're not expensive there's loads of online courses there's lots of free ones as well to do i really recommend them because i'm doing some at the moment and i've got loads of degrees but i still think that continued learning is imperative because i can't hardly remember any of my degrees and sometimes it comes back to me in a flash and then i'm like oh my god i'm a brain box and then it's gone <laughs> So I have to learn it all again. So each cycle I have to do some education. Anyway, so I'm starting again, learning some more. And it's coming back to me, but not like pazam, as I think I'd like it to. But um, anyway, so with this forget-me-not, um, the knowledge that has been lost is imperative for us to all relearn again, basically. Um, all those things about, you know, values, um, respect, um, morality, um, how to treat people, how to, and this is like anyone, you know, how to be compassionate, um, but also for to know that if that person, 
it used to be if you help somebody they'd stab you in the back basically and steal everything and rob you and take chuck you out of your house and steal your property and your car and whatnot um so people didn't like helping people obviously i had to kind of think i kind of thought that if i help people this would the situation would go away so i kept on doing it and kept on getting robbed robbed my houses my cars my clothes my cvs and robbed me blind and started playing some ridiculous game to pretend to be me which was I thought was mental torture because they used to copy my conversations and then play them back to me as if I'm going to believe that they are me because they thought I was dead and thought I was a doppelganger, which I'm not. And I just had to pretend that I wasn't affected. And you know what? I am pretty hard-skinned. But uh, no, I would scream and shout and cuss and visualise all kinds of horrible things in my head and I just thought, you know what? And then put a smile on my face, you know, so that's all they would see. So they'd not think I was aware. But I was thinking, this is doing me harm, you know. I need to clear what's in my head. Anyway, so the secret being is one of the things that I came down, I come back for, is the belief or the knowledge that... I say human beings, but I mean everyone, yeah are quite capable of getting on with each other. Even if you don't like someone, you don't have to stir anything up to cause an argument or turn people against anyone. You don't have to do that, and nor do they. And getting living harmoniously is something that there has to be an answer to. I know there's an answer to it because it is written within religions and... The thing that I noticed is that from up there to come back down here to sort out is that no one was taking responsibility. People would save somebody. This is back before the backstabbing came. This is long, you know, back back in the day before electricity and all that. People used to get saved and then they just leave them. But they didn't have, and these some of these people were figments, they didn't have the knowledge to look after themselves. They didn't have the knowledge that if they plant a seed, it turns into a vegetable or a fruit tree and therefore they can sustain themselves. They didn't have the knowledge of how to build a house, to have shelter. So they stole and these things carried on and carried on and carried on. So um, my point is, is that the secret of why I'm here, I guess, is to prevent the Armageddon which means that people have to take responsibility for themselves to live in society or a civilization and other people would obviously look after everybody as well but not one person it's everybody looking after everybody and it's not like how can I say it's not like you just people do get territorial I know everyone does but it's so simple when you just think, you know what? Okay, there's a lot more people than there ever has been, ever. And there's a lot more people who don't have, you know, knowledge or money or family or friends. Lots of things like that. But if you take responsibility for yourself, you treat people with respect 
and try and stay away from those people who you feel are not being so respectful because helping somebody and stabbing them in the back is not respectful it's a diss yeah big diss and yeah you will have to smile and pretend this didn't happen sometimes to save yourself from being beaten up and having it done again but hopefully the law will catch up with these people and they're not responsible obviously they've only thought about themselves but that is what I'm here to do basically to help well, to make sure that everyone knows to take responsibility because once you take responsibility, that means that you are coming, well, contributing to the solution to harmonious living in all over the world. One more person, one more person, next person, next person, next person. Pretty soon, civilization starts working. The, um, enough people have taken responsibility already, which is why civilization has started working. But the forget-me-not has hindered us so badly that people forget you shouldn't be treating people so badly. You should not be accusing people without facts. You should not be believing people who just pretend all the time, who have obviously got eight people who look exactly the same of them saying the same vicious gossip everywhere and then pretending that they're completely innocent when they're not. I hope these people get caught. Your responsibility is basically key. Taking responsibility for yourself and also taking responsibility in the world where you can help the environment, for instance, be part of the solution. Anyway, that's me, Red Gachet. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi, my name is Red Gachet and carrying on with the secrets theme, um, today's secret is about, um, like the UFO sightings and cop circles and things like that. Um, so when I was in the South, um, everything was kind of like, you know, a bit normal, hot, kind of like, how can I say, it's a, not like the Waltons, but you know, kind of like everything's like really nice and everyone's happy and everything was just fine yeah and then I was walking back to the farm I think I must have been staying near the farm and um uh, there was like all it is is just like cornfields and like just like a few gates and cows chickens all that kind of stuff and there was this glowing light it wasn't like flat it was a bit hilly so and there was this glowing light over the over the uh fence I'm thinking, what is that? And it was too big, but there was, it was like a haze of light, but it was too big to be, you know, like a car or a truck or something like that. It, it was quite a big haze, but there's, I couldn't see beyond the haze to, to work out what the object was. It was, it was massive. Anyway, and it, I was thinking, oh, that's going to be a UFO, isn't it? Brilliant going to be really exciting because obviously you know those kind of things kind of are cool but this one wasn't so cool basically what happened was and um I, we there was a few of us and we like got taken individually and they put us on tables and you think they're aliens but they're not it was like blonde vladimir and all of them kind of people 
using the magic to have an alien so that they can do some probing. And it wasn't that kind of, you know, that probing down there. It wasn't that kind of probing. It was like, they were doing like, a, it was like as if we were experiments. And they always tried to inject you in the eye for some reason. And I remember just this needle coming closer and closer to my eye. There was a few aliens, but they could have been masks, do you know what I mean? And they were like greys. Uh, although they did have rather skinny hands. And they weren't actually touching me. They were t- like doing the equipment and stuff. So I didn't really, I think they just people like, you know, in disguise as aliens. But Long Vladimir was there trying to make out um, that this is what you do. And he was teaching someone as if it was a hospital spaceship kind of thing. Anyway, we all got chucked out of it like... Obviously, we didn't have um, our uh, an aesthetic or something, so we didn't, you know, we weren't like awake all the time. Um, and I can't remember whether it was like a day later or, or whether it was an hour later or what. But there was a few of us, and there's one guy who I think was living on a farm as well, a different one, and he was he remembered what had happened, and I had kind of remembered because I remembered the needle and blonde Vladimir looking at me. This is a diff. There's like a number of blonde Vladimirs, by the way. This is a different one that always looks really wholesome, which is really spooky. Do you know what I mean? That you could then think up, oh, I know, I'll use some magic, get a spaceship, um, get some alien helpers, and probe all the southerners. Yeah, because that's such an interesting idea. No, it ain't. Anyway, so we were really angry about this because I was just thinking, is there something wrong with my eye? I could see fine. There was no problem. I mean, I couldn't. There was nothing wrong with me. Anyway, so we went to the police and we said, look, we've been abducted by aliens. And everyone was just like, yeah, right, yeah. Every now and again in the South, this happens. And the police were like, mm-hmm, okay. Right, we'll investigate. But I don't think they ever saw anything. But one of the police officers, on a set time, I've been abducted a few times, he had the truck. He was there as well and he had his truck there and he saw this space ship which he thought was a truck the hazy light was a truck light but when I said it was like no no because it was on a sort of like hilly bit I was like check just look and then he saw the spaceship he was just gobsmacked and he was like getting everybody out the way everyone was running out where no one wants to be abducted and trust me no one wants to be abducted um so one I know one of them believed me because he's seen it I don't think he went into the spaceship I think he just saw it and got everyone out of the way anyway um so that is what those spaceship abduction things are. They are real, but they're not real, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm saying that it did happen to people. It happened to me. I'm saying it is the one of the blonde Vladimirs doing some magic. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to say was, obviously, UFOs is really interesting, just generally. And um, on the whole, I'm not like shaping my whole life on a UFO abduction. Uh, at all, by any means. I'm. I like sci-fi. I love all that stuff. I just don't like all the probing. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. <laughs> anyway, so the um, what I was going to say was, we thought we'd play a joke. We some of these things are because we like jokes, and some of them take these jokes too far. And one of the things what we did once was um, crop circles, and um, we're not allowed to do it anymore. The police said we're not allowed to do it. And the last crop circle that I saw was really well done. Um, it wasn't me. I, only, I think I only did one or two or something like that. And that was years and years and years and years back. Um, but the new ones were look 
really good, but couldn't work out what it was. And the reason, what you got to think about is, like, in my head, I know how to do them. So I was like, okay, so where's the truck stopped? And where have they walked from, obviously, the truck to, to, to do the crop circle? I couldn't find anyone, uh, any area where they would have stopped. And then none of the grass looked, well, I say the grass, the crops, the uh, wheat looked like it had been disturbed. Because obviously if you walk through um, to get to the point where you want to do your crop circle, it would should disturb some of the um, the wheat. But it didn't, there was nothing there looked disturbed at all. So we didn't get to the bottom of the last one. But they are, in fact, man-made. And um, they are generally pranks. And what happens with pranks and jokes is that you hear a joke and it's really funny and you have a great laugh. And then you're like, you're telling your mate about what happened the night before about this, this person who told you this really funny joke and you tell the joke and it's really funny for your group of friends and they then tell their group of friends and so forth. So jokes go, go around as they should. Um, but some of these pranks were so big that they shouldn't have gone around. Um, like, obviously, the UFO abductions. That I know that started off as a joke because they, they, they've got a sick sense of humour, I know. Sometimes I have as well. But, you know, actually doing that, that's not a joke. So, just so everyone knows. If you have a joke with someone, fine. No one's saying don't have a joke. But don't actualise these jokes if they're going to hurt people or damage people or frighten them or anything like that so that's what I'm saying keep your jokes actually funny to everybody who is involved including you know the person that it might be about yeah um because this guy was really really upset about it really really upset and I told him what I knew so he knew he knew what I knew but I I don't know if he believed me because it's kind of far-fetched isn't it yeah um they invent no, I say invented. It's not that they actually invented the design of this UFO. Basically, what they did was they used the magic to invent it. That's what I mean. Anyway, so that's happened with all the spaceships. So the spaceships that have come from all of them, basically. So, yeah, all of them, including the ones that invaded us which was on the news and in the press where there was a spaceship over Parliament which squashed my head. That was really, really, really scary because I could really think... I mean, the pressure was really, really, really hard. I was thinking, this isn't going to work. No way. Because you kind of think... You can see the shape of the underneath of the UFO and you're thinking, right, so the bottom would land, leaving some space at the top. But there seemed to be hardly any space, like at the edge where my head was caught between the roof of Parliament and and the the edge of this UFO. Um, so those UFOs, which caused a huge hubbub, because it was all over, there was one over the Kremlin, there was one in over the European Union, there was one, I think there was three or four in Washington, not in Washington, in the US. Yeah, there was one in Washington, um, there was Paris, Berlin, it was all over the news, and, um, there was one, the last, I think one of the last ones that I saw anyway, um, was, or maybe it was one of the first, I can't remember, there was wind ho over Hyde Park, and there was another spaceship, there was little green, green men in there, 
which obviously was part of the power magic. See, now that kind of thing, and it wasn't just one person doing it either, by the way, um, that kind of thing is um, someone thinking, oh, I know, let's do an elaborate joke. And then it all goes wrong. That You see, that kind of thing where, you know, you've got the whole world going crazy is is not a joke, is it? There's like a few of them that invented these things. It's like Tracy, Marlin, Blonde Vladimir. I think Nana's dad was in on it. And what they did was they doppelganged all them, all of themselves on the spaceships. So it wasn't just little green men. It was all my school friends, which was really scary. Um, so, yeah. Because some of them might think, you know what, I'm really special because I was actually come from a spacecraft. So actually from another world. You're not. You was invented on a spaceship though but anyway um hopefully they've all gone and the world is safe but if this happens again you know where to look yeah let's not have a world catastrophe ever 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 again and have really nice funny actual funny jokes anyway that's me red gachet thanks for listening bye Hi everybody, my name's Red Gachet and I'm continuing with the secrets theme. I thought I'd give you a little queen secret. So, um, part of my learning, if you like, um, was not only to be known to um, some of the businesses that I owned, but also to learn from them. So... It was kind of like, um, how do things work? And obviously, every time that this has happened, it's been like, you know, it's over centuries. So basically, not that I've been alive over centuries, obviously. Um, but I've died and come back, died and come back, died and come back, kind of thing. Anyway, so when you're sort of learning history, you kind of learn, and everyone learns it in school, don't they? Like, what were people writing on? Obviously, in the in the olden days, like caveman days it was like caves and stuff or you know and they were just carving or wood could have been carving in wood but um stone was quite common obviously because it's of its longevity longevity even um and then there was paper so it's like okay how do you make this and it was made out of wood um like chips and things really as everyone knows and i think they still even learn that in school now um and the first papers were very um papyrus were very knobbly because they haven't got the grind chipping chip grinding machines I suppose that they've got now um and we went to when we went to Greece and when we went to Egypt we learned how to make paper and how they can get like different effects on it and then obviously there was the writing was always with a quill and quill and ink and then they had like wooden stick things which was the same thing basically um and then um there was the biro which was superb we loved that thinking of how can we make something new because before that before the biro which was big there was only like you know ink really ink pens i think they, they had cartridges and things like that um, and so they, what we decided to do with a mechanism in, in, inside, um, a nib, 
for an ink pen it's like a little it dribbles it down but you know obviously when you drip some ink it's like quite a, quite a big blob so you have like a sort of filter thing so it goes down really skinnily down the end of a nib so that you can write with skinny writing basically so with Bic the idea was to jellify the ink so that it wasn't so uh like drippy and um the being able to deliver it was with the ball mechanism which is Bic Biro yeah so that was the invention for Bic Biro which is still enormous um so this is one of the reasons why I got into like doing inventing and stuff because one um obviously I had the education two I could see why certain things were going to work for a little while but later it wouldn't work demand would want smooth paper flat paper you know to put through printers you can't really put through those thing you know those fat pieces of paper through a printer um and plus you know in the olden days there was books obviously but books take quite a long time to make and if you make a mistake you have to chuck that piece of paper away and start again so obviously there was a lot of repetition in what you were doing in the olden days so people got really really good at what they were doing really good experts um they were meticulous whereas today not so much because <laughs> you can do it all on um computer um not to say that people aren't meticulous now i suppose they are but in a different way um to how they used to be the skills involved um for practically anything um that was you know of design were you know you had to be really good and they were good they were really good because they had to either start again when they made a mistake um or they were you know apprentice that basically they were doing it over and over and over and over again until they were superb um anyway so we the paper thing was interesting because there are many different things that you can make paper out of um into plant materials and things um but what was interesting was that the companies um, would then say to her, okay, so what paper shall we use for this? And like, there's different grades of paper. Um, and then there was cardboard. And then cardboard was like, we needed a material to be able to transport goods that was light because there's sometimes the materials were quite heavy, but it needed to be strong enough to carry the heavy materials without making it even heavier, basically. So that's where we came up with cardboard. And glue was already available and there were many different types of, well there weren't that many there were a few different types of glue at the time anyway so I decided that the best thing to do because I used to get pieces of paper and roll them up in my fingers and concertina them and and I used to do this all the time just as a you know little habit I had when I didn't smoke must have been one of those things where I knew I should have been smoking but wasn't and I had to just roll pieces of paper off in my hand and stuff anyway so the idea was is how do you make paper that much stronger so or or what material because they didn't want to use plastic because it was expensive and um with hindsight that was a good idea because it's not eco it wouldn't have been eco-friendly anyway so it's just like literally cardboard is a piece of paper or a piece of card um with concertina or kind of you know a sort of wave pattern glued of paper glued in and then another piece of paper on top and that design um, makes 
cardboard basically that is all it is and then obviously it gets shaped into a box or many different types of shapes you can make cardboard boxes out of so that was another thing that came up another invention um and then there was also things like um uh, like the royal mint they were like you know what should we do in terms of what papers should we use it has to be hard wearing if you think about money money is going to be handed to people it's going to be put in your pocket put in your purse you've got different size wallets um it's got to be something that's durable and that went to sort of a plasticky kind of material because um all the notes get old so obviously you know what it's like when they change the design of something um and that was brilliant doing that helping to do that um yeah so they always asked me like what do you reckon about this what do you reckon about that and then once and this was during the Armageddon actually they actually um when I'd already been recognized as queen they changed the money the 20 pound note to um my face and um they said they were going to do it but I didn't believe them um simply because it's a mammoth job to to do that um not that they haven't done it before because they've done it loads of times with changing designs on stuff for counterfeiting purposes as in anti-counterfeiting purposes anyway so they changed up the thing they had my they i just you know pull it out from the cash point you get your 20 pound note and um go and spend it so i'm going into the shop now and this guy at the shop in front of me he's gone um can i get like 20 benson or whatever and um, he pulls that 20 pound note and he gives it to the man and the man's gone is this legal He's going, yeah, I'm, I just got it out of the cash point. And I was thinking, oh, no, which cash point did you go to? And he's gone to the same one that I went to. So I'm looking at my £20 note and I'm going, oh, my God, I did not put that there. I really did not put my face on that on, on that note. I Honestly, I'd forgotten all about it. I was just like, oh, my God, I, honest to God, I pulled this out of the cash point. And he was going, I just went to the cash point. And the man's going, this isn't legal. And I goes, look, that, that's me. <laughs> the guy was like, yeah. I go, it's like, ah. Oh must be mine then <laughs> so he gave me his 20 pound note and then some other people he's going i've just gone into the shop and blah 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 i've gone to cash point what is it and it's got her face on it and then i was like yeah and his friend's got one as well but oh that must be mine too <laughs> like having this 20 pound note anyway the policeman came and saw it all out i could have been 60 pound up then but um yeah no anyway so there was a whole big thing about how this is counterfeit it wasn't counterfeit money at all but they did have to they did retract it because there was a lot of um people who were really really anti um me being queen which is really like odd because i didn't think that they cared you would think that people that don't actually care wouldn't care about that but they do apparently but i think tough um, I quite like having my face on the money, <laughs> but it didn't help me get my more money, obviously, um, unfortunately, because the police came. Anyway, so that's my secret. My name's Ricochet. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi, all. Um, it's Red Gachet. I'm continuing with the secrets theme. Um, today, I want to share with you the secret of having the bigger picture and some people might think, oh, that's not a secret. And some people might be going, what, what, what is it? Um, but basically, um, as queen, and as queen of the empire, even more so, 
I have to think in terms of how does this affect a lot of people, even if they're not in the same country. And it used to be just, you know, just England. And, um, and then it became, oh, quite a bit more because there was always the invented people. So the figments then had to be absorbed, all sorts of things. And it was just like, well, you know, this could breed a bit of what's the word, um, bias in the way you're thinking. Um, so by the way, this time there were only, um, white people in England. This is like millennia back ago. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Anyway, so you couldn't really tell, I mean, a white person is a white person. Yeah. But you couldn't, you could tell by their looks that they weren't English. And you could also tell by their accent and the fact that they didn't speak Latin. England was a new country so in the beginning of England it was just like you know monks really <laughs> and but also it we had to lead away the heathens from Europe which were devastating Europe at the time so it was a sort of hodgepodge of different countries um but Europe more so than any other country um anyway so a lot of monks came obviously because I'm also Messiah and so they wanted to teach me well basically make sure I had um because obviously it would mean the repercussions of me having a rubbish upbringing is terrible <laughs> so I had an excellent upbringing from from the monks but unfortunately and um, there was also a lot of trouble at the same time because we had to lead the heathens away to give Europe a breathing space because they were really really suffering anyway so it ended up with um like lots of people who were religious but also some people who weren't religious and it was also like the new world this is like the new world not america basically england was um not to say that everyone knew about it not a lot of people did know about it because communication was different then so i mean if you think about today's world um communication's been totally messed up because the news is on repeat so that has messed up the whole world with this COVID thing, which is basically a repeat. Um, I don't even think it's true. I don't believe it's true. I believe that the news is on repeat and everyone's reacting to it, especially when we've got a cure already, which is three-day-old bread, which is written in the Bible, by the way, as one of the cures to cure all poxes. Um, anyway, um, what was I saying? Yeah, so England being a bit of a new world, um, the population was tiny, completely tiny. Um, but obviously Europeans like would come over and go, oh, this is this is new. We haven't seen this island before <laughs> and go, well, let's have an explore and things like that. So there was a mixture of people. Um, at that time, I wasn't really ruling. I wasn't queen then, um, but I had to make decisions. Um, so there were obviously the immediate decisions like obviously house building and things like that. And then there was the decisions about how um, we were going to win this war. Um, and I was too little for them to discuss things like that with me, although they did, you know, explain a little bit. They didn't want to say Armageddon. They didn't say Armageddon. They were just saying, um, you know, there is trouble <laughs> kind of thing. But I was too little. Um, anyway, so they, I had to grow I had to grow up, basically. And whilst I was growing up, um, obviously, I was kept in, brought up with um, what is now called Catholicism. Um, I don't think it 
I can't, I can't actually remember it having a name before. It was just the religion. There was only one religion. And then the aspect of Christianity came up and then, so we called it Christianity. Um, but then we had to have a name for the other one to say where it come from. So then it became Catholicism. Anyway, so that's that. Um, and the bigger picture point of view is that when you are making decisions for the country, these decisions um, affect the rest of the Western world and sometimes the East as well, depending on how popular an idea it is. So obviously they have to be good decisions. Now, not every decision obviously will suit everybody at any given point, but you have to go for the the best solution that you can find. But that that's a decision, um, or any decision, has to be in line with the the religious benchmark of um, moral value. So, for instance, if it's really popular to be illegal, which it is, unfortunately, then that would be completely irrational and illegal to then say, oh, we, won't, might, we might as well go with that then, which some people have actually asked me to do, which I'm not going to do. But anyway, so that's one example of a really, really bad decision that has come up on more than one occasion. Anyway, so the bigger picture, how to get it. Um, lots of people want to have the bigger picture and, and think that it's too complicated to... to to think about it really isn't really really isn't because you don't think about the everything all at once because that really is mind-blowing um but what you do think about is you can think about one aspect for instance so let's take democracy which started in greece so the greeks thought we've got this excellent way of dealing with things which is fair for everybody and everybody likes being involved because they it wasn't just the senate they did it with they did it with the people as well but again you've got like in the in the arenas or wherever they did it not in the arenas but you know amphitheaters or something um you have to understand that when they make decisions they're making decisions which they think will further promote religion and order and fairness and peace. So if somebody is not accepting, I say not accepting, the the ruling, if you like, and then doing the opposite, they would therefore become illegal. Yeah? We there are when a new law is passed, it takes a little bit of time for people to get used to the fact that or aware of the law in the first place, but also to do things in a slightly different way. And when you might think, oh, what's the point in that? With regulations, for instance, people think, what's the point in that? Does it make the blindest bit of difference if this company does it like, if we, our company does it like this? But it does. When every other company is doing it in the way that the law wants, and one company isn't, then it will show. Because your company is not, hasn't got the right figures on your books or your company it can't work with certain other companies because they've realized that actually you don't do things correctly so that hinders your prosperity when you do things illegally because of the majority vote if you like or rule of the religious moral benchmark the law 
Um, so that's one example. Um, another example would be, for instance, in weather or climate. So if, for instance, which has happened, all the trees disappear um, in one part of the world, it will have repercussions on another part of the world because, first of all, there's no oxygen, which changes the atmosphere in that part of the world. Once the atmosphere is changed in that part of the world, the weather climate is always the, the way the weather works is different. So by the time the wind blows it over to wherever it's supposed to go next, it's different to what it should be. And that starts having an effect on the rest of the world. So um, in terms of environmental issues, you can't just think only England, or we've got, we'll sort out our problems and leave everyone else to sort out their own problems. No, I mean, yes, it's a starting point, but you can't just think that because you've got to think bigger picture. Actually, England is very, very effective if Europe is messed up or Russia is messed up. If Russia is messed up, we're messed up. So, no, that can't be happening. So, there's quite a lot of the world that still needs to have their ecology sorted out. And that will have an amazing effect on the rest of the world once that's sorted out. So, you have global charities working because they know, they've got the bigger picture there. They they know that it's not just one country that's in strife about ecological matters. It's everyone. Um, some more than others. Some completely different it could be one country is affected with trees one country is affected with the water toxicity another country's got air pollution all sorts of things um but you have to think in terms of the global climate issues and how to fix them globally if you haven't got the money to do that or the resource then just do your country perfectly fine but the bigger picture would be how can we fix this globally and therefore make our planet sustainable for billions of more years? Um, so that's another bigger picture. So you're thinking in terms of ecology. Um, in terms of like work situation, you might just be thinking like me at the moment. I've got to get a job, got to get a job, got to get a job. Um, need some money, need some money, all that kind of thing. Um, and you're just thinking about yourself. That's fair enough. Individuals need to think about themselves. I understand this. In terms of the bigger picture, you might be thinking about, okay, so how do I get a job in the London job market, which is probably the most vibrant in England because there's so many businesses in London. Whereas somebody in a rural area thinking, oh, I need a job, I need a job, I need a job, will be a bit hard-pressed possibly to find a place of work near to where they live. They might be limited in the types of jobs that they can do simply because of their proximity to the whatever work is available. Um, so a decision was made to have like houses for work, workhouses. So if you live too far away from work, the companies can have workhouses. So you can live at this company house and work at the company, go home at weekends or whatever, and um, be closer to work. So that's a decision that made, was made for the country from since Victorian times, although as we've spoken before, they did kind of um, get that wrong and tried to make it into slave labour, which it shouldn't have been. Basically, you're supposed to get paid a wage. Yeah, they might take something out for the housing or the food that they supply if they do that. Uh, but you've got to have something left over at the end of the day to take back to your family because that's the whole point of working, isn't it? Anyway, the other point of working is to learn a skill, which is um, maybe a career move. You might apprentice yourself to somebody like a carpenter or, I don't know, painter or somebody. 
um, and learn everything and then learn that once you've learned that skill you become a master of it you might join a guild and, and then you can start your own business basically but in terms of the global um, work or global economy um, being able to work is really 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 important we wouldn't have an economy if we didn't have people who wanted to work now there's loads of people who don't want to work um, and they just they do work but they don't want to um, just simply to pay the bills that's fine they might um, go to another job and get a job that they like and, and then they're, they're all sorted um, or they share out the work responsibilities with family members so it might be like the dad's worked five years the son's work five years each and then it goes swaps back to the dad and so forth I don't know how families arrange it but generally speaking in the olden days as it were um the head of the household would earn their fortune before they get married um and then they would get married they might continue working they might have children um and then the children would be brought up to either take up in their father's footsteps um in terms of work or if they had a sort of calling they they knew what they wanted to do they'd go and pursue that and make their fortune and then come back and give the family support the family basically um which is how it's supposed to be because i mean kids always want money i know i do it'd be nice to ask my parents for money <laughs> unfortunately i can't but anyway but if you did do that you have to put some push the money up in order for it to come down again because otherwise they're just going to go yeah i haven't got any sorry <laughs> so you've got to give them some in the first place beforehand whilst you're working um for it to come back down but coming back to the bigger picture about the globe you know global economy it's quite simple the global economy exists because we have business um the businesses create a profit and that profit goes to wherever it's going people get paid a wage and they then go and spend it on wherever whatever they're spending it on and so on and so forth so people are learning at work at the same time as earning so it's not just work it's not just it's not just a job i think you can learn even in a menial job if you like there's so much that you can gain from meaningful work um even though that I've hated some of my jobs, really have. And there's some jobs that I didn't think I'd like and I absolutely love them. <laughs> you gain something from all your experiences. But obviously, we wouldn't have in the global economy if we didn't have businesses. Now, if we didn't have businesses that were selling or providing services or whatever, we wouldn't have a global economy, as I said. But if we didn't have people working in those businesses, we still wouldn't have a global economy. So it's quite simple. People need to work in order for the business to work, in order to get a profit, to create the economy. That's it. And it's it just goes on all over the world. So if, for instance, one industry sector, which is huge now, the industry sectors are huge, because they don't just cover one area. They could cover several areas of a country or the globe, including the globe has a problem that's a huge problem on the economy it will go you know things will go down so you have to fix that problem if it's an industry problem 
then it's going to affect everyone in that industry. That could be an invention, could be um, a business process that needs to be sorted out. It could simply be um, creating confidence in the market. Um, there's all sorts of things that you can do to um, save an industry or a business. But the main thing is that people have to work. So I, I'm saying this again and again simply because I cannot understand why the government has not let us go back to work straight away. Uh, because I think that's just complete madness. So anyway, so the bigger picture here, obviously, I don't think they had the bigger picture. I do not think they were thinking like that. Um, because the, <laughs> the detriment to the economy is so huge, I guess. And, but the fact that it's happening globally is like, OK, we're all in the same boat. But, you know, it could have just been England. And then where would we have been? Anyway, the expense of all of this is just huge. I say this during the second COVID-19. It might not even be the second. What if this has happened before when the news has been on repeat and we just don't remember because of a forget me not? I don't know. Anyway, so the secret of the big, bigger picture is not very difficult at all. Just in the Armageddon, no one understood the bigger picture, which is why I considered it a secret. People thought... It was too much for them to get their heads around because everyone was in a, a sort of negativity vibe. Um, and I don't blame them, to be honest. It was really, really scary, really scary until I just thought, you know what? If we don't, I couldn't not think about it because I just I just knew that it was going to be terrible. And if I didn't do what I could then, then I couldn't see anyone doing it. Simply because people go, not my responsibility, not my responsibility. I'm only dealing with America, or I'm only dealing with France, or I'm only dealing with England, or whatever. Fair enough, that's their job. But I mean, I really thought that it's actually too big a problem. The ecological thing is just too big a problem to be just like, not my responsibility. <laughs> it's an emergency. We went around. <laughs> collecting making we made moss and we had to put it on all the trees around that we could find simply to save the trees from burning in the sun in England can you believe this I mean that's how emergency was but people just couldn't see it they just could not see how bad everything was um but anyway so now that that time has gone thank goodness um people I'm hoping won't be scared to look at the bigger picture and think oh it's too complicated I can't do it People talk about things, you know, they drill down to get into something and then it gets complex because you're talking about something specific, specific, specific. But if you think about things really simply, the bigger picture is not hard to understand. Anyway, that's me, Red Gachet. Thanks very much. Bye. Hi everyone, this is Red Gachet and continuing with the secrets theme, um, I thought I'd tell you about the secret to winning the wild card sporting event in the Olympics and it was swimming the channel um, so basically you know obviously with swimming in the sea you're swimming with resistance which is why I started doing it because um, of the triathlon basically you have to be like really really strong and have a lot of stamina to do like you know running and cycling and swimming and, and stuff so I was training in the sea and anyway, I quite liked it because it was there's that sense of freedom and bobbing up and down and all sorts. Anyway, so in the old-fashioned pictures, I remember 
um, I was there, I've done it. You get buttered with goose fat um, and then you go and swim in the channel. Um, now you've got like nice kind of like suits that you can wear, which are all like, you know, properly designed to keep you warm because obviously the channel's quite cold. And for those of you that don't know what the channel is, it's the strip of sea in between France and England. And basically, there was um, quite a few of us. Um, I think we had three months off the train for this. And then, then we, because it was a wild card, so you didn't know what it was going to be. So that was a wild card. And as England was um, the hosting country for the Olympics, that's where England got to choose. Anyway, so we chose to do that. And it was all, sort of like a big semicircle. And you didn't actually go to France or anything like that. It was like, you know, swim from one part of England round in the channel. Like they had like boys up as cones kind of thing, so markers. And um, and swim back, basically. And so it's quite a long time. So it's an endurance test. And obviously it's freezing. And there's people from different countries who, some of them are from warm countries and stuff. So they had to do quite a lot of practice to, to acclimatise and things like that. Um. So the secret was, in fact, that in the sea, as you probably know, and in rivers as well, you've got currents, um, and these undercurrents, and they move all the time. But um, as he's swimming out, and I'm looking at this fish, this, um, I can't remember if it was a swordfish or it could have been a shark, I'm not sure. Anyway, they were playing, the fish would go to the, the, the stream, the jet stream kind of thing, which is actually warmer in this case, than the actual sea. So it was like, oh, I wonder where that's going. You don't know if it's gonna go in the direction that you wanna go, obviously. So it's not always a good idea to, to go into one of those streams. And plus it could be dangerous. Um, but we're all strong swimmers anyway. Anyway, so I see this thing and I thought, oh, what is that? And playing around and I'm thinking, I've gotta go and see what this is. So I've gone in and I've, basically, I've already started swimming quite a way already, but I've seen this and I'm thinking, oh, just I'll just stay in it for that bit, but then obviously you know you've got to be strong enough to actually come out of it because the sea's really strong. When a current gets you, you might not be strong enough to come out of it. Anyway, so I thought I was strong enough. Um, and this current wasn't just like one current. I don't think it was like a it splits. It split into a few different paths. I think. Um, but the main one was like from probably halfway round, going all the way back to to the coast which was a bonus um so i followed this fish and um i and i basically you have to put your hand out you can do it with two hands if you want but you've got to put them together like a swordfish so you know you've kind of like made yourself as streamlined as possible um but you know holding your ha hands up like that it's like really it's there's a lot of pressure on your fingertips a lot of pressure so in the end i ended up with one hand and sometimes I put it in my hand into a fist simply just to break the pressure off my fingertips because um, it's really, really strong. But my God, is it fast. It's amazing because it just kind of scoops up and you can see why the fish want to go like speeding along. It's like a slide almost. That's the sensation of it. You're in a sort of a slide of water. Um, but the pressure on the tips of your fingers, as I say, is quite a lot. It breaks what comes over your head if you're, you know, if you've got your hands above your head. But your head is still quite knobbly, and um, the water's still hitting the top of your head. So you do. I did get a bit of a headache doing that, <laughs> but I stopped halfway through because there was somebody like calling, 
and it was like the Scottish person behind me and I was like, oh, just get in the, get in the stream, get in the stream. So he went into the stream and the Japanese person behind him got in the stream and everything. I was just like showing him, like, put your hands up in the air and do that because otherwise it's really hard to, like, it's really, it will slow you down if you don't put yourself into a really streamlined position. Anyway, so I managed to just put my hands in there and just prayed all the way back to the coast of met some more fish and just went all the way back and it was amazing I mean I was knackered after that but I mean what an exciting exciting win brilliant games anyway so that's my secret my name is Ricochet thanks for listening bye Hi, my name's Red Cachet. I'm continuing with the secrets theme. Um, I wanted to talk about the nuclear war that um, not a lot of people know about. That's why I'm calling it a secret, because it's kind of been scrubbed out of our memories or um, wiped from history. Um, it wasn't even... The thing is, with a nuclear war, when things blow up, obviously, it's with a nuclear bomb, it's like a, the most humongous space or the whole world. Um, so, and then people come back again. If it's you know like, um, with the World Cup, they magic it all back straight away. Well, that's what happens. Not all the time, obviously, and not straight away. But that's what happens with people. Um, either they're left with radiation poisoning and they die horribly, um, quite quickly and sometimes quite. Take, you know, they just linger with radiation poisoning. If they know they've got it, then obviously they can do something about it, um, like I did with, like, drinking lots of castor oil and eating lots of kale and things like that to um, detoxify your system. But it takes years, 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 years. I think I've still got a bit. But um, I think I'm hopefully in sort of normal limits now. But it's the kind of thing where you you go near something, some things and you can feel the poison inside you it's um yeah it's a bit like I, I don't know some people say it's a bit like kryptonite they used to bring things to me and I used to react to them um anyway so I've been in a lot of pain basically or yeah not very nice at all radiation poisoning at all anyway so the what why I wanted this history to be known is because how the how can we ever forget this? I mean, not even forget, because I think if you died in it and then came back, you probably wouldn't have realised. Anyway, so let me tell you about how I knew about it, okay? So from the beginning of the cycle, which I'm calling the Armageddon, which is last time round, um, uh, and this is like really quite early on, not including the, the bits where they started throwing the drugs around people and killing people, not including that bit. Um, basically, it was at the at my old weed house. Um, there was a drawer which contained some things from some of the films we did years and years and years and years ago. One of them being Fight Club, and it was something that used to be on the internet, which isn't now. And it was a load of it wasn't correct, put it that way. And it was about um, a napalm bomb, and it was just like a folded up piece of paper in the drawer. Anyway, so I was thinking, what is that? So I picked it up. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. That was from ages ago. Because we were, we were just looking at... Um, I think it was just because we wanted to... You've seen Fight Club? You know that, that it, things blow up? Yeah? Well, it was something to do with that. Anyway, so that's why we got it off the internet. And it's not correct, by the way. And I don't think it's even on the internet anyway. Anymore. 
And um, so did um, one of the Eli's used to go into that drawer and say, well, everyone used to go into that drawer. Well, not everyone, but quite a few people used to go into that drawer. Anyway, so they kept looking at it and I kept thinking, why do you keep looking at that? Because that's, you know, it's dangerous, potentially. Even if it's not correct, it's still potentially dangerous. Um, but we never got rid of it for some reason. I can't remember why. Um, anyway, so we just put it back and shut the drawer. That's that. Um, there were other things in that drawer that people would go into, but there's, if they picked that piece of paper up, I was just like, you know, what are you doing? Um, and then in the end, somebody who really shouldn't have been in that drawer picked it up, and they didn't go for money, for instance, um, which would be the normal thing that I would expect someone to just nose around for. Um, and they picked that up, and I was just like, what are you picking that up for? And it's like, oh, I know, let's make a napalm bomb. I was like, no, don't be silly. Um, anyway, so I took it back and I put it down. Then, but this idea stuck in their head, and I was just like, "Don't be silly." And then, and I just said, "Look, it's not even correct anyway." Um, then it was like, right. So everyone's talking about bombs now, and I'm like, "Oh God," I'm thinking this is going to be a thing. So I'm thinking I've got to learn how to deactivate these things. Anyway, so um, I had a chat with the police and the fire firemen, and they thought better know how to un undo these things basically or de-detonate them so they taught me how to do this thing um and it took like a couple of weeks i think to teach me how to do all this stuff and um with a fire brigade actually taught me so it was really really cool i had no idea they had some seriously expert people doing that kind of stuff anyway so that's how i started getting a sort of interest in in deactivating things um, correctly, and obviously I'd, I've been in the army and I was de deactivating landmines, but I'd forgotten how to do that, and I kind of remembered some of it, but not that much, which is why they taught me all again. Went back to the army, started detonating landmines again, and they start, the reason I had to de detonate the landmines was because they magic some landmines in wherever it was in the Middle East, and basically England was, they weren't English landmines, but they kind of were in one sense. They weren't made by the English, they were magic there, and the I think I don't think it was Iraqis or somebody. Anyway, they said that the English had to take all the landmines out of their country because people was getting hurt, and so the English were going. They're not ours. They're not ours. They're not ours. Which they weren't. I think it was Eli just magic them there because he liked seeing people blow up. Anyway, so we went over there and I thought, right, let's 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 de-detonate because this is not a good thing for England basically to have. You know, people going, can you please take your landmines out of our country? And England are going, nah, it's not our responsibility. So anyway, we just went there and thought we'd detonate them. They did a Groundhog Day on us and we all got blown up and stuff. But we got rid of the landmines anyway and came back. Um, so that's one of the other reasons that I knew how to detonate bombs. Obviously, I went onto the course and went into demolitions, which they didn't want me to go into because... Um, um, I was predominantly Royal Air Force, always considered that. Um, but I was thinking, do you know what? If there's ever a war, it would be really handy to be able to de-detonate bombs properly. And you never know what bombs are going to be. And I just thought, you know, I'm going to have to learn how to do this. So we um, went, did the, with the army taught me. And um, then... What else happened after that? Yeah, King's Cross fires. They wanted to repeat the... Basically, they wanted to repeat all these disasters for some reason. And um, not having any power, obviously had to figure out 
what they were going to repeat, when they were going to repeat it and how to stop them doing it. Now, the police really didn't think this was going to happen. But it's like, oh, it's got to happen. It's like, it's not got to happen. But I just kind of knew that even if the police don't believe that's going to happen, because it is kind of like, um, well, if there's been a huge disaster and it's been all over the news and there's been memorials and things like that, why would you repeat it? And I completely concur. Why would you repeat it? But you've got to understand the mentality of these people is that they enjoy this stuff. They think that it makes them famous. Anyway, so the King's Cross fire happened. And um, we set up a, a backdraft bomb, which put out the fire. That time round. Now, there were two other occasions, the first time and the second time, I believe, that there's been a King's Cross fire. And this, the first time was one of them on purpose. This is when you could smoke on the tube, stuck a, a cigarette down the escalators. Um, and obviously there's loads of dust and whatever collection which set light and then the escalators set, set on fire, basically. Um, that was the first time round. Now, the second time round, um, I can't really remember because I think the second and the third were quite close together um, in time with a forget-not as well. But I don't know if I managed to stop that one. As I just can't remember what happened. Anyway, but I did manage to stop the other one, the last one. And um, that was just, like, awful. I mean, I mean, it was brilliant that we stopped it, but, I mean, it was awful that there were so so many people trying to make so many people die um we had to stuff some of them into one of this these cupboard things and let them burn simply because they were trying to they were directing people to go into the other entrance of the station to get burnt i mean how uh, there is no excuse for what they are doing and then it, it was just madness anyway so we did a backdrop bomb and put that fire out and that was good but then after that there was some other bombs that went off um bigger bombs they weren't nuclear at that point and um then things subsided but you know I was just at the time so many bad things was happening everywhere that I was just thinking you know I have to do stuff for myself I can't just go around following these people and trying to stop them from doing bad things because no one was getting arrested um, I, I just can't, there's too many of them and they're inventing people all the time with their personalities and their kind of aspirations of getting the most destruction and chaos as possible so they can basically rob everyone um, and f- uh, fulfil their perversions, basically because they were inventing some perverts some really, really disgusting people anyway so hopefully all them people have gone. Um, but with the nuclear war, it was I then won the Olympics. And on them, because I did that over a period of time, um, on the day that we were supposed to, like, you know, celebrate and have an announcement and everything, they jacked the stage, jumped the stage, and um, announced, because I was going to say, let's have a big party. And it would have been arranged and there would have been a few parties around so that people could celebrate the Olympics, basically, the Olympic win. And um, 
they couldn't stand it. They could not stand it. So they jacked the stage and um, threatened me with a nuclear war, knowing that I'd obviously detonated some bombs and knowing that I was trying to stop them. That stopped me in my tracks because although I didn't believe them, what they were saying was, if you don't let me do it, well, if you don't let them, if I don't let them organise the party for the Olympics, then they're going to nuclear bomb us. And I just thought, you know what, you sound like the stupidest... Uh, I would say something really bad, so I'm not going to say that. I just thought, you know, who would back down to that? But you know what, I couldn't take the chance, so I did back down, but I didn't... They still nuked us. Um, but I was just like, you are no way organising a party. So none of us had a party about to celebrate the Olympics. So I thought that was a bit rubbish. I mean, how many people would have wanted to have a brilliant party? It would have been fantastic. We could have had so much fun. But no, they all thought, let's have a nuclear war. Anyway, so I didn't, part of me didn't believe it because I just thought, you know what? It, any sane person would know that if you're going to have a nuclear war, there won't be anything left to have fun with. Because it will be blown up. They might even die in it. But they didn't really think about that. They just thought, oh, it don't matter because I'm going to die and come back. That's what they thought. Or it don't matter, there's four more of me over there and we're psychically linked, so it'd be fine. My consciousness will go into that one. They're thick. I mean, proper thick. Anyway... So, then there was a nuclear war, and the way the nuclear war worked was random, as far as I could tell, in that it was involving as many... They wanted to implicate as many people as possible, basically. Um, and the way they did that was by sending people the bomb codes and making people deliver pieces of the bomb to be made, um, implicating hundreds of people in this and some of these pieces of bomb equipment was irradiated so from the previous bomb so these people would stash it under their bed and things like that and irradiate their children i mean madness i used to go around with a geiger counter and and check out things and i'd be like what have you got what is that lump of metal doing by your kid's bed Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like that. I cover it in castor oil and deactivate it. It's things like that don't deactivate over... You know, I say deactivate, de-irradiate them. They don't de-irradiate overnight. It takes years, years to de-irradiate something. Anyway, so... And this was happening all over the world. That can't be everywhere. Obviously, people in the bombs were bomb squads, so they was getting blown up as well. I was getting blown everyone was getting blown up and then put back together. But the thing is, sometimes they forgot to heal everybody. So there was people there walking around, like, thinking, oh, there's no, no, I'm back, what are you talking about? It's, everything's right here. All the buildings look exactly the same, except inside these people were, you know, radiation poisoning. But they just didn't know, and then they just died. Um, so there was lots of death by no one knew. They probably didn't even... Check it out. Probably thought oh, I'll just take some multivitamins or something. Because <laughs> sometimes the thing with the radiation poisoning is, it's it's kind of 
hits you and goes away and hits you and goes away in waves. It comes in waves so and depletes you over time. So um, you, won't, you don't notice all the time. It's only sometimes. Um, if it's really bad, you'll notice straight away, obviously. But, you know, not all the time. Um, anyway, so that is basically the nuclear war. And again, in the nuclear war, it wasn't just nuclear bombs. They used to send... Um, like have triggers like the trigger would be different things so you have to find out what that is or you have to get the codes off the people who really didn't like me so they wouldn't give me the uh, codes and it's just like you know what our country is going to blow up what are you talking about give me the freaking codes <laughs> um, but some did some didn't basically and some we saved some we didn't Um, so there was loads and loads and loads of issues with people thinking oh this is a brilliant game let's blow up England or let's blow up somewhere else how amazing and then we can just make it anew and then we can invent some people that we like so basically they didn't like sane people they only liked mad people they thought that was just brilliant if someone was mad because they'll do whatever they want they don't care about the consequence anyway um there's there's loads on, I could tell you about the nuclear war in, in pieces. But the thing is, one instance, which I'm not sure whether it was a nuclear bomb or not, stuck in my mind because I have a little bit of ESP sometimes, especially when lots of people die, in, like in a nuclear war. And it drives me crazy. Um, anyway, so on this instance, right, I was sitting in the weed house watching EastEnders and um, we had this big, bang just like it was so loud it was like it was louder than you'd like a thunder clap or something like that it was just like what is that everything was like silent after that and so we were just like okay came outside to see if everything was still there everything was still there and I was having um a chat with someone who but they weren't there this that's what I mean. It was really weird. It was like these ghosts were coming up to me. But they weren't all of them at the same time. It was just like one person was just like, and now they're gone. And I, then I thought, you're a ghost, aren't you? Then I couldn't see anyone. But then I could hear the voices. And I was like, look. And I was looking up because I, I couldn't see them. And I just, in my head, I just thought ghosts are floaty. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, so I was like, what happened? And they're like, well, I don't know. I was doing the washing up. And then, I don't know. And there's another one that's like, well, I was just about to get in the car and then, then I don't know. And well, they're all saying this all at the same time. It's really, really noisy in my head. Just going, blah, 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 telling me what's happening. You've got to do something because I can't get back in the house. The house has disappeared completely, blah, 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 blah. But and then some of them are really panicking. There's crying and all this. And then it gets more and more and more. And it's just like, stop. One at a time, please. And they were a bit annoyed with me because I'm not listening to them individually. And the thing about ghosts is, although you might be able to hear loads of them, they can't hear each other all the time. So they think, why are you talking to me like that? But anyway, you have to apologise and say, look, can I just... There's lots of people here and um, I have to just hone in on one, one person for this first thing. So what was the last thing you remember? And they start telling me again all at the same time. And you're like, no, stop, please, just one at a time. OK, I'll make it easy. What were you doing? What time was it? They don't know what time it is, but I was like, okay. Well, there's a few people watching Enders, same as me. 
So I'm thinking it's got to be that time when I heard that noise. And then I'm thinking, oh my God, it's got to be a bomb. It, and I was just like, all these people have died because of this bomb. And I told the policeman, his man was like, well, I've checked the area out and there's everything seems to be perfectly normal. I was like, what? So the, basically they blew the place up and magicked it back, but the people didn't come back. They were still flying around. I was like, okay, I had to say, right, we'll get back on it. What happens is that um, sometimes you come back and sometimes you don't. I'm very sorry, but we will try and find so that you can move on um, the culprits of this bombing um, and get back to you, which is how we left it. Because what were we going to do? Everything looked normal again. Loads of people reported that bang. Then... So like, you know, are there missing people and stuff like that? And then the thing is, when you come back, you don't remember much. So it's like, oh, um, I don't know. I was like, mm, okay. Uh, do you know your name? Mm, yeah, I know my name. So then they're like, okay, then they can match people to things. But um, that was awful. And then when there was a, when there was an actual nuke, I was in my house. And it wasn't actually a nuke that affected my area it was just a nuke somewhere but my god millions must have died because my god the noise in my head I could not take it it was horrible it was the biggest pain and hurt and anger and fear all these motions just massive it just like noise in your head screaming and I just I just couldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't turn off it would not turn off it was like it was hell and I just I had to take loads of painkillers and in the end they, they ended up giving me stress pills to calm down but no it's it's absolutely awful when these things happen awful um yeah awful anyway so that's one of the nuclear war secrets um that's me Ricochet thank you very much for your time bye